I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror code. Exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Here we are. It's 2016, and we're going through another set of shitty films for you guys on Astro Radio Z. What franchise did you guys decide to bring on and make us watch? Because I did put the vote out there to all of our fans, all 15 of you. Well, I don't know. That's a little high. Maybe it's like eight. I think all eight of you decided to choose The Howling And let me tell you, over the last two years that we've been doing these franchise episodes, I finally am really fucking excited about talking about a a grouping of movies. This is not to insult Mr. Scott Davis, who has (laughs) gladly come on the show and decided to to keep going with Astro Radio Z after a really brutal 2015 and the Vice Academy episodes. But the howling in my heart is a very special and dear thing because I love werewolf movie. I'm so fucking excited to sit here and talk to you guys about what many consider to be the worst werewolf movies on the face of the planet. And I say, fuck you people. Cause I don't agree with this at all because I love the howling movies, but Scott, I'm going to say hi to you first because I called you out. Are you excited for the Howling movies after the brutal, absolutely dick-kicking-in-the-dirt Vice Academy series last year? How are you doing? Well, we will see. You'll see my opinion of the Howling movies. They're complex. (laughs) Now, that's something I bet none of my listeners has ever heard when anyone's referenced the howling movies is they're complex well it's just me trying to get my way out of this you know so (laughs) (laughs) you really we've really given you a complex about uh the vice academy series haven't we you you know i i still enjoy them i still enjoy them and fuck them fuck you (laughs) they're good movies (laughs) they're good they had they had uh humor that was almost offensive in the 50s and you know totally inept and an occasional boob without a without a shred of sexiness well (laughs) (laughs) well now we exchange that for a bunch of horny werewolves so uh i mean oh my gosh you know yeah fur everywhere okay everywhere and a lot of growling yeah it's like watching it's like watching one of those uh early 70s stag loops it's just lots lots of hair yeah it's bush for days yeah (laughs) (laughs) so speaking of bush for days we have Mr. Glenn Bittner, who came on the show, deciding to sit and uh, drink with us and continue after 13 witchcraft films, which aren't done, which aren't done. We keep we keep saying this. We keep reminding the public and ourselves mostly <laughs> there are more witchcraft films to watch because we hate ourselves. But Mr. Glenn Bittner has come on for a third year in a row to sit and go through a bunch of franchise films that most people considered the worst films they've ever seen. So, Mr. Glenn, I appreciate you coming on. How are you doing tonight? I I am a rainbow, and later I will be a mountain. 
No, you're not. You're just going to die. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. <laughs> and next to that man is Astro Radio Z Staple. You know him as the amazing director involved with Gonzarific Films in Athens, Georgia, Mr. Andrew Shearer. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good, Black. Yep, and you know what that means. You know what that's translated to? Bush for days. That's what that's what that howling I, I'm not afraid of it, dude. Not afraid of it at all. <laughs> well, hey, we're all fans of 70s cinema. If you did not like Bush for days, well, you're gonna have a tough time watching some of that stuff. Hey, you are what you eat, you know what I'm saying? And back for some more after last week's Ash vs. Evil Dead episode. Mr. Seth Pollan of Celluloid Terror is here with us tonight. Sir, how you doing? Back for more punishment. Back for more punishment. We finally brought you on to talk about some sleazy werewolf movies. Are you excited to be part of this now? I am more than excited to be part of the Howling series talks. Yeah, what is it about the howling that really gets you excited? Uh, werewolves and sex and gore. I mean, hello, three for three. Yep, it's stuff right up your alley, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Speaking of werewolves, sex, and gore, Miss Angelique, she has come back to sit and talk to us about some sleazy flicks. How you doing tonight, Miss? I am wonderful. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Well, <laughs> we do have you at least locked in for two more episodes after tonight. Right? <laughs> I, I am going to warn you, this may be the funnest episode of the three. I don't know. Eight. Eight is pretty bad. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this may be the most fun episode. Oh, okay, so you're talking painful. I like pain, though. Oh, I mean, do we, do we want to get into uh, the subtext behind that comment? Let's wait till the next porn parody episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, get away from this porn parody talk. I, I was told by other members of Astral Radio Z that I shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the porn parody episode will be my most popular episode downloaded. And of course, in varying uh, formats, it is in fact the most downloaded episode across the board, across the world. So big shocker there. Um, so yes, we will be revisiting the porn parody episode at some point this year. I don't know sure. if we were going to do it for Labor Day or we were going to do it for Independence oh, Day. Funny. We got to do we got to do it for some holiday, maybe Easter. You know, because, that'd be wonderful rebirth. Yeah. Yes, and funny. <laughs> it's a holy day, that's for sure. Uh, that's a whole. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I love, I love sex and I love werewolves, so I'm I'm really really excited about these. And last but not least. The man, the myth, the legend, the frou-frou drink king of Wisconsin, Mr. Mark the Movie Man, is here, as always, to talk about some sleazy exploitation flicks. How are you doing, my friend? Cattle mutilations are up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Wisconsin for I'm fine. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Mark, I know you and I have been chatting back and forth while, <laughs> you know, about these howling flicks as you've been watching them. What is your level of excitement tonight about I'm, talking about these sleazy, horny werewolves? I'm glad to be part of the Amiga team. That's all I have to say. Uh, Oh, my God. So, folks, let's go ahead and get right on into it, and we're going to talk about 1981's The Howling. What do you see? 
The Howling. Somewhere in the city. In this human jungle. It begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods. In this primal, sensuous, secret place. Lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Tonight I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. was made in 1981 by one of my favorite directors of all time the man who directed gremlins which is one of my favorite movies mr joe dante it was based originally on a series of pulp novels by gary brandner called the howling and uh the books themselves i actually read the books uh, back in the day probably a good 15 years ago um, when I worked at a bookstore and uh, I gobbled the things up. If it hasn't been known already, I love werewolf shit. I will, There's something about it that it just hits a weak spot in me and I just gobble the stuff up. And the books, they I don't think they're any more than like maybe 150 to 200 pages long. Total pulp, straightforward, straight-laced, kind of campy exploitation books. Unlike the movie, which, you know, if you're familiar with Joe Dante, you know that it's going to be uh, have its tongue in its cheek and it's going to have a lot of black humor, a lot of self-referential humor. It'll be horrific when it needs to be horrific, and it'll be comedic when it needs to be uh, comedic, but it's always very stylish and well done. So here's the synopsis of the movie, and then I'll kind of tell you, fill in the blanks with what the similarity is with the books. Um, the synopsis for the movie is, at, and this is from imdb.com, and let me tell you folks, we got a lot better synopsis this year than the ones that um, Anonymous wrote last year for the Bicycle. <laughs> Those were hilarious, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, these actually sound like they are the movies we're talking about tonight, as opposed to somebody who is sitting with one hand down their pants and the other hand on the keyboard. You know, while- I'm sorry, okay, I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> so the the synopsis for the howling is after a bizarre and near fatal encounter with a serial killer a television newswoman is sent to a remote mountain resort whose residents may not be what they seem the plot of, of the book is a woman who has nothing to do with uh, tel- uh television whatsoever she gets raped And then her husband and her move to a small town to get away, and the town is full of werewolves. So, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two pieces of media, but uh, Joe Dante's Howling is quirkier. It's it's a little more stylish. It's a li- it, it, it references a lot of old uh, werewolf media. The film starts out. We have D. Wallace Stone 
playing this television uh, newswoman who's been getting these letters and phone calls from this serial killer. So the cops get her and uh, decide to do like a setup, like a stakeout, like she's going to go in and then they're going to capture this guy. Okay, guys, this is a jackpot. I'm on uh, Western between Ivory and I don't like that interference. It's the best rig we got. Oh, no, no, it's all that, it's all that neon out there. It messes up the signal. I'll get our people to cruise west of And uh, this opening scene, and I love to talk about this opening scene with everybody. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. It, it kind of sets up the, the overall style, humor, pace, and uh, it just kind of shows... What for a, a sleazy exploitation film, and that's kind of what this is. It's werewolves with a little bit of sleaze factor. When when you give this type of material to somebody who is a, uh, an actual like skilled filmmaker, how great it can be! Because this is a very complex opening scene where you have multiple characters going through one scenario, different perspectives, and you can understand all of the information that's getting thrown at you. So D. Wallace Stone is going to. Uh, meet this serial killer. She's bugged by the police, and there's uh, her husband, and, uh, who works at the television station. They're all there monitoring her. Jesus, Karen, see this? Yeah. Oh, shit. She never even mentioned seeing the victims. She didn't want you to worry. I'm worried. Andrew, how did you feel about this opening scene and how it was handled and how it built the the overall tone for this flick? I thought it was cool, man. It was nice and mysterious, you know. And they had they were smart enough to know that D. Wallace is a good actor. So, you <laughs> know, actually give her some intriguing stuff to do, but you know, I didn't lay everything out on the table and, and you know, like uh, today they would throw the werewolves in like immediately, you know, mm-hmm. like it would kill somebody like immediately. And uh you could tell that it's not it's more of like a 70s, you know, more indicative of movies like that, the way that they did that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, totally. They they try setting it up like it's a mystery. Sure, the movie's called The Howling, but it doesn't necessarily scream if you weren't aware of what it was, werewolves. And the artwork doesn't necessarily scream werewolves either. Um, but the way they set this up, uh, I love it. It's very tense. And Dee Wallace really feels natural in this film. Like the, her acting style is very naturalistic and it makes her character very relatable and believable to the audience. Glenn, what do you think of Dee Wallace in this flick? Um, I think Dee Wallace is great. As far as the Howling series goes, this, this is the pinnacle of acting for the whole thing. No but doubt. But yeah, I, I, I think she's she's great in this. I mean, I, I love everyone in this, man. I mean, Patrick McNee and his little bit and everyone. So it's hard to deny that the the level, the budget level was definitely higher on this film yes. than just about any of the other films. D. Wallace ends up um, they, they end up losing the communication with her as she's walking to this porno store where she's going to meet um, Eddie Quist, who is the serial killer in a peep show booth. Come on, Eddie, I know that's you. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I'm alone. Are you wearing what I ask you to? Good. Uh, Seth, what did you think of the Peep Show booth? I love the Peep Show booth. Uh, it really, I think for the audience, puts you in, in uh, D. Wallace Stone's shoes. Uh, it's completely out of her element. And uh, you're just, 
tense on the edge of your seat waiting for her to have a bad encounter because we know her communications out, but she's expecting the, the cavalry to roll in and end her nightmare. She didn't feel a thing, Karen. None of them do. They're not real, the people here. They're, they're dead. They could, they could never be like me. But you're different, Karen. I watch you on TV, and I know how good I can make you feel. I'm going to light up your whole body, Karen. But uh, I think it was really, really good choice to put her in uh, like a sleazy situation like that. I was really shocked that they had por- actual porno scenes playing yeah. in the film. They, they kept that in there. And then you have uh, the guy who plays Eddie Quist. He, he, his voice changes as as you can tell he's starting to transform into something else behind her mark well actually i'm just oh. going to say real quick because i i plugged in the blu-ray to watch this one it's the only one i actually had like on a really good physical media copy of the the series and um apparently joe dante says they couldn't show a regular porn so they actually shot that themselves Oh wow, that's really yeah. that's really interesting. They, they said they had to go. He said he had, we, he had to go. They had to go in with this actress into like some shed or something and just shoot this. Real, they shot it, you know, over like a weekend, real quick, you know, to make sure that it looked really explicit and unpleasant and violent, but not, you know. So, but they had to make sure that it wasn't actually like pornographic because so they wouldn't get an x rating and he says wow. yeah it says it just was not he, he says you know you'd think it would be a pleasant it would be a fun experience it wasn't he was he's you could tell he's just not into that at all and he was well, like, i mean i could have sworn that it was a shot from what was it called the last snuff film oh i mean i was confused i thought that was really footage from the last snuff film well, it feels that way. I mean, it, it really has that grimy feel. So um, is that Joe Dante's penis? Or? No. <laughs> no. Now, 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 the, now, of course, the, all the stuff that was in the store, like the, all, the, all the video cassette covers and everything like that. That was were, his penis on every cover. Those were real boxes and real magazines and stuff, though. And so, boxes. which is... Which apparently is why, like, and that they comment on that too in the in like the little extra that uh, when Dee Wallace is going in there and she's looking visibly uncomfortable, that's she was visibly uncomfortable being around. Oh, that. bless well, her. Can you can you imagine uh, how much work this was before Photoshop? Can you imagine how much work it had to be to get all those pictures of Joe Dante's penis on every single <laughs> one of those boxes? No wonder he hated it so much. Yeah, it was very comfortable for him. <laughs> yes, the original version of Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> they called no. him Spike. So, Mark, uh, what did you what did you ultimately think once this soul scene resolved itself and finally reached its climax? How did you think this started the film? Did this work for you? Yeah, actually, I liked this one. Uh, on the whole, this is uh, I think is going to be my favorite because it. I liked the way it opened because it felt like a '70s crime drama like we've just caught up to a 70s crime uh storyline more so than a anything to do with werewolves or anything actual horror related because he had the you know that feel of like nighthawks and even the uh, dirty harry films it had that kind of gritty feel to it opening it up and and i really liked it i thought d wallace is great and and if i don't if you don't mind me dropping yes that is the doctor from voyager as the the Quist character, I believe it was yes. his first acting job. Yep. 
in Hollywood, Robert Picardo. And uh, yeah, I really, I really liked how it opened actually. Uh, I thought it, it pulled you in It had you question what's going on and you're not quite sure what type of film you, you've been pulled into. You know, because you're not sure if if what she's seen uh, of him, the parts that she can see are her imagination, maybe, or if it, you know, made up in her head or if it's real or 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 what exactly is going on. So, yeah, I liked it. I mean, it pulls you in. It it keeps you there. It makes you want to find out more of what the hell is exactly going on. And Dee Wallace is just great in it though i did get a kick out of the fact that the minute a woman enters the porno shop all the men leave well it does bring me to my favorite line of the entire movie where the sleazy uh guy the the vendor that runs the shop goes back to the cops and goes i knew i shouldn't have let that broad back here i wrote that line down that is my very favorite thing ever because he's like what the where's the crab man what's the chicken or everything's all the hell yeah yeah, there's a broad that came in here. She emptied the place out. She's watching movies. <laughs> you can see the way they set him up, and that's why I, I, I'm focusing on this scene so much, is because Joe Dante really builds this entire atmosphere so meticulously that every character is believable in this world. And the moment she walks into that uh, that porno shop, the dude, he's he's like picking his teeth or doing whatever. He just looks up and and you can he's tell terrified. he's he's instantly annoyed that yeah. she's in there. It's not even that he is terrified. Oh shit! There is a real woman with a real vagina here. Oh god, <laughs> what do I do? So what ends up happening is that uh, Eddie Quist tries to kill Dee Wallace. Uh, uh, some young cop comes back and then shoots up the entire uh, booth. How he didn't hit D. Wallace, who knows? But they they think they kill Eddie Quist, who is half werewolf at that point. But it's not a <laughs> And uh, then her therapist decides to send her off to what's called the colony. I'm going to recommend that you go out to the colony for a week or two. Your place up north there. That's right. Uh, I only recommend it to very special patients, ones who I think will benefit from its environment. It's a place where you can recharge your batteries. It'll enable you to try and get back to what you really are. What goes on up there? Well, seminars, some group therapy. It's very low-key. It'll be a good place to try and tackle this amnesia thing. It's supposed to be some therapeutic thing, so she could get away and clear her head and hopefully get rid of, like Mark said, where she can't tell if what's real, what's not real, because um, she's starting to break down mentally and have these visions of this porno booth and of this uh, this attack um, keep coming back to her at every every time she opens her eyes or close her eyes or when her husband and her try to get intimate. So from this point on, the film turns into a werewolf flick. Scotty? Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about let's talk about this colony and where the film goes from here. And I just want to open it up from here on out because the movie to basically turns into the werewolf film after this point. We know yeah. what goes down. So uh, let, let, let's talk some howling. How did you how did you feel about the movie in general? And, and uh, what were some of the things you really you really got into? Well, you know, this is around the time. uh we actually were lucky enough to around like the 80, 1981 time period, 1982 period of getting like a few 
modern werewolf movies right away. Um, we got Howling, American Werewolf in London, and Wolfen and stuff like that. And a lot of times people kind of focus on American Werewolf in London as the real classic of the period. And no, no argument is a incredibly great movie. My favorite by far of the, of these movies is the howling. It's one of my favorite werewolf movies ever. I have this argument with people all the time about uh, between howling and American werewolf in London. While I can't deny American werewolf in London is an amazing movie. I prefer the howling. Coming from a, a woman's perspective, and it's really cool to be, you know, the only chick here in a room full of guys for a second. I mean, her level of trauma in the peep booth was insane. That backlit mullet was attacking her. <laughs> but I mean, her reaction to intimacy and everything, and, and then being sent to this colony where everybody's, you know, free love and have a drink of this drink that's mysterious, and I'm not going to tell you what's in it. I mean, that's going to make anybody uncomfortable. But I mean, honestly, the, the difference between this movie and American Werewolf in London, yes, American Werewolf in London follows the more traditional. Oh, you've been bitten by a werewolf, right. and therefore you're a werewolf, and this and that. Really great, really wonderful. And I, I kind of share with Derek's affinity to werewolf movies. I don't necessarily think that they're scary, but they're sad to me because the werewolf is something that you can't control. It's and something that we all share. That there's always yes. there's some part of us that there's something that each of us has that we just. It could be our affinity to movies. It could be affinity to booze. Could be affinity to sex. Could be affinity to whatever. We all have something within it's us. In us. That, Yep, that's uncontrollable, yeah. and it just pops out at any point. Yeah, so. I mean, uh, watching The Wolfman, I mean, I don't get scared. I weep because Lon Chaney Jr., it's so sad to me because all he wanted to do was be a good fella and to take this girl out and to be her girlfriend. And here Dee Wallace is, and in this movie, there's a lot of parallels to Don't Answer the Phone mm. to me, you know, that that – crazy grindhouse flick where the the stalker was calling the the newscaster and so it throws that kind of noir detective thing in there um but it, it's crazy the way everything kind of devolves into horny werewolves the american werewolf in london is more uh, of a with all of its quirkiness it's more of a traditional werewolf story and this kind of goes into a new direction. This also has a sense of humor, just like American World in London does, but the humor is a lot more subtle. It's like little sight gags, like having a copy of Howl on a newsstand table or something like that. One of the things it does is it takes you from this urban sleaze pit, and I'm a big fan of like the, that of urban sleaze pits of the mid-70s, early 80s. I, lo I love that whole era, that whole allure, because I kind of grew up near that. And that takes them, and it takes you into the nice country. And, of course, the country is the worst place for her because it's this isolated retreat. And it kind of go it's it, it kind of riffs on the uh, – psychology and self-help uh, camps and stuff from the up with people, like be a exactly. better you person thing and of the thing. And what it was doing was, was basically what that was, was uh, it was all like the uh, hippie mentality, uh, some of which was very good. And, you know, psych some of psychology is actually quite good. Uh, and it was taking that and basically uh, 
packaging it and com- and commercializing it into like a book and a, and a retreat and everything and suddenly everybody's following this program and this regiment of repression and they're yeah. repressing themselves and I love the fact that they have this party and everybody's trying to act like they're free and everything but they're hiding themselves uh, my one of my favorite bits is john carradine who um unfortunately he took basically he was a very work working man actor and so he took basically any part that was given to him pretty much for a long year, time over the years and this is one of the rare instances especially later in his career where you can say oh no this is actually a really good role and um he just sits there and he's looking at himself he's looking at the fire he's looking at the youth man go on like this damn piece of shot hell of a note and you think when he, he says that and later on has very soon has a suicide attempt you think oh he's talking about you know that he's tired of living. No, he's tired of living neutered. He's tired of repressing and he's tired of this. And it's a real switcheroo on, on you. And it's, it's one of the great things that the howling continues to do throughout its running time is just being this thing where you think it's one thing and it turns out to be something completely different. And it's so clever and it adds a really new spin on the werewolf uh, mythos. I love this movie. Now, now, Andrew, did you enjoy the fact that this kind of uh, decided it was going to live in a little more sleazier place than uh, most of the normal uh, werewolf flicks? Yeah, I mean, you know, some good titty in it. I I thought uh, the 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 nude scene's cool. How it turns into a cartoon, like that's pretty funny. Uh, it looked so bakshi. It looked so bakshi. Yeah, it really does look like rotoscoped. Like they're like, you know, uh, you know, fuck the werewolf and we'll draw a cartoon over it. <laughs> you know, let's see what it's like to fuck a woody woodpecker. It's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I, I prefer that to the Rob Bottin special effects because, like, his werewolf makeups are good. That is, uh, the, the the bubbly face thing is pretty fucking, it's stupid. I'm sorry. I don't exactly. like it. Yes, I think they gave you. him the job of special effects guy because Bottin looked like a werewolf. So they're like, hey, this guy to <laughs> do great with the effects. He looks like a fucking werewolf. Look at the guy. And then, you know, they give the other guy the job of the 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 role of the husband is he looks like a werewolf too. We won't have to do much to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot. Oh, I meant to say, I got some trivia. I oh, got go some for trivia. It. So Gonzo Riffick's first movie ever was a werewolf movie. Did you know that? Cause I love werewolves. That's my favorite monster. Our first movie was a werewolf movie. That's awesome. I, I love them too. And and here's another uh, bit of trivia as well is that, as you said, Mr. Rob Bottin, was the guy who made all the special effects. He got the nod because Rick Baker, midway through pre-production, got called away to do American Werewolf in London. So he he recommended that Rob Bottin come in and take over. Wow. The yeah, and he's effects. like, you know what, man? I think all werewolves have chewing gum under their skin. <laughs> it's just, remember, like, I know we'll probably talk about Philip Moore and Beast Within on the next one, but, like, you know how in the Beast Within, it's stupid as shit when that guy turns into a fucking birthday balloon. Yeah, big yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, well, and that and the Gremlins when um 
the water hits them, the but, bubbles that pop up with the little I mean, gremlins inside like them. Melting, that looks good. Like like Toxic Avenger makes sense because he's melting, and, and Robocop makes sense because he's melting. Where are they melting, man? He's not, like, you know, boiling water and shit. I don't know why. Like, I'm watching it, and I hadn't seen Howling in a long time. Actually, I've, I've met and interviewed D, D. Wallace in the time that I, uh, since I'd seen it, but, like, and everybody knows her as E.T.'s mom, P.S. It's like either that or Cujo. Nobody comes up for howling. I was the only one. They stay too long on the on the shitty, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Everybody's like, look at how good this looks. And you're going like, cut away, dude. It, it really doesn't. It really doesn't so look really, good. There's so it many really, really good, good effects. It, it looked good in 81, but it doesn't look good as good now I and, plus, and plus it got upstaged and plus it got upstaged almost right away by American Werewolf well, yeah because they pulled the main better. guy the guy you want to do a transformation scene yeah there's some great oh I, I gotta before we go to the next person I gotta say I love the the near dark looking burnt guy when he's all like you know what I'm saying like all, all burnt face that's a good makeup the one guy mm-hmm. with the vest where he turns into a wolf, that makeup that kind of looks a little bit like Thriller, like that's a really good, you know, there's a lot of them that look great. And even when D. Wallace turns into a Shih Tzu, looks really good. But like, <laughs> I, just, I just don't like that bubbly shit. I think she was a Pekingese, okay? Oh, so. <laughs> well, you, know you, mean, you mean Poop Wolf. Originally, right. like 20 minutes ago, you asked me if I liked all the sex. Yeah, I like that the howling's mostly about fucking. That made me happy. Well, yes. you know, also, also, also well, let's, let's just say, though, that the, as if, if we have problems with the makeup, it's still the, probably the best makeup of the series. Easily. <laughs> oh, no doubt, Seth. What did you uh, walk away with with the effects in this flick? Uh, they're okay. I mean, I, I see what everyone's saying for a werewolf movie. The bubbling crap doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... Uh, from a just a basic special effects standpoint, I think that they they're good looking, and I think they hold up decently well. I agree with you, man. I don't know what all this hate on this Robert Solid. They stayed too long on some of them. I I still say though that I would rather see even if even the stuff that didn't look real, even the Bakshi stuff, I would rather see that than a lot of the effects of today. And oh, I don't bad think that's really bad. bad. That and I don't. A good point. And oh, I don't, yeah. th- and I don't think that's just, that. n- I don't think that's just nostalgia talking, you know. No, I'd rather see that than a Van Helsing werewolf. I'm just, oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. Taking Thank context you, yes. of everything. We're just saying, you know, from the Howling the movie, you know, I was like, it's bubbling. Fucking what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take practical effects over um, shitty curse yeah, style. I, uh, I wasn't trying to get into awesome. all that shit. I was just saying, you know, for the movie. I don't know what it had to do with sex either. I like the naked werewolf lady. She's so she's pretty fine. <laughs> Seth, what did you think? Like one of the only points in the film where I thought the the effects looked super cheesy was the attack uh, at uh, Eddie Quist's cabin, where where the friend comes in, Jenny, and and they're like, and there's like hairy arms constantly reaching yeah, out. Just the, the close-ups of the the various extremities. You get the hollow extremities that yeah. are getting cut off. Uh, yeah, they didn't look great. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly weren't uh, American oh, Werewolf in London level effects, but again, they they were all right. Right, right. Honestly, I think the Eddie Quist transformation is one of my favorites. I love it. There are points in it where it's gross. His skin's stretching. His hands are stretching. And when you, the ultimate, like the the end result, when he turns into the werewolf, 
I mean, dog soldiers basically ripped it off. I mean, it's the exact same design. And the wolf designs in it are are really good. Yeah, I agree with that. Glenn, yeah. do, you, do you like the the werewolf in this flick? I do. Uh, I I think they they hold up. I think still pretty well today. And I think compared to almost, I would say probably in the top five for best werewolves in actual movies, as far as how they look, because so many werewolves in movies look so fucking bad. So fucking bad, including most of the Hollywood movies. Yes, let, let's just, just please put an asterisk and footnote on that. Howling <laughs> One definitely is the pinnacle of werewolves in this in this series. As as the movie was going along, the tension was building. The, the The werewolves are starting to come out. Glenn, how did you feel about how the movie was playing out? This is this is probably in my top two, maybe maybe. If I if I'm feeling kind of pissy, top three werewolf movies of all time. This is this is the not just the movie that got me into werewolves. This is the movie that got me into horror. Uh, wow. Because I mean, up up until this point, I mean, wow. I was ten when this came out, and I saw it at a drive-in with my dad. Um, but up to this point, you know, for me, horror was like you know, Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. You know, that was that was a horror film for me for the most part. You know, I didn't see horror that much. Um, and this really opened me up to, I was like, holy crap, there's like some cool shit out there. And I, I, there's so much I like about how this movie progresses, exception being the very ending, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, nobody was talking, so I was just thinking yeah. it. Yeah. It's very interesting, very interesting, Glenn, because this has always been one of my favorites. I've always loved this. I always like going back to it. I think a lot of why I like it is because it gets dark and grimy when it needs to get dark and grimy, and I oh, really yeah. like that. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, is just uh, it's been a favorite scene of mine for years in this film, is when she chops off the hand. That's a good-looking yes. hand on the ground. That's a good Yeah, hand. and the hand's, like, still moving and stuff, and I'm like, fuck, that's awesome. Yeah, I got well, like, because it, it deflates and then all of a sudden rebuilds itself and is bubbling and twitching and all that shit. Yeah. And then it's a dude's hand. I had I watched it. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. The the, the dark-haired woman, the one that gets naked with dude in the woods. Yes. I remember, I remember yeah. her, 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 her breast being really pointy. When I was a kid, for some reason, like I was like, "Oh, you're just gonna put his eye out." But when I'm watching as a grown-up, they just look normal. I still oh, <laughs> Sorry you've about seen that. Lot, you've seen a lot of breasts since then, though. I mean, when you're yeah. a kid, when you're a kid, you only have yeah. some. So you, those those first few, you always remember those first few in a certain way. <laughs> but you always have that like psychological, you know, response to, "Oh, that's what they look like." You know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, man. She's, I just thought I would dead too. Yeah, she. Oh, she cancer at uh, like like almost twenty years ago. Ah, oh, jeez, right. I knew oh, Christopher. That's so awful. Christopher yeah. Stone passed away too. I know that. So she was fine. She that's had a too good. Bad. Her, I, her boobs were better than I than I remembered, and I don't know why. I just feel comfortable with y'all to tell y'all some shit like that. <laughs> well, she definitely she played the seductress of the film that seduces uh, D. Wallace's husband away from her. And uh, turns him into a, a werewolf. And uh, what's going to be a mainstay of these uh, howling episodes is I, I have a segment that's going to be called Sure Sign You're a Werewolf. <laughs> the first, the first uh, sure sign that you have turned into a werewolf 
is that if you're a vegetarian, you start to eat meat. And this is what happens because her husband, uh, D. Wallace's husband, Bill, all of a sudden, after he gets bit or has his, you know, slimy, hairy werewolf sex with Marsha, <laughs> all of a sudden starts devouring meat. And D. Wallace and her friend are looking at him like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to bring you a vegetarian dish. And he's like, no, it's all right. This, this tastes great. If I don't have anything to eat, I'll eat anything. <laughs> sure sign that motherfucker's a werewolf. Let's let Mr. Silent mark the movie man who's been very diligent about letting everyone else speak and get their piece in. Let's have it. Mark, how did you feel this, this movie played out? I want to know where they're hunting to get rabbits that big. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, I liked how, how it progressed and how it went on and it and turned into just this, this kind of grimy, feral, just like a werewolf, just this feral film where where things just start getting more sleazy as they go along, which I think more, more so this one than American Werewolf in London set the bar or the tropes for your werewolf films after this one uh just the way the werewolf behavior in that are handled i love the look of the werewolves especially as we get near the end where they're all uh uh, changing uh, and they're coming out of the barn and that and they're chasing d wallace i i love the look and the makeup that they did there of them yeah you know it's it's fun it's it's Again, it's Joe Dante, and he is one of the few directors, I think even to this day, that is able to put his tongue-in-cheek but yet make you feel like they're not trying to be too hokey with the film, yet they are having fun with some things, too. You know, it's a nice balance. Usually a filmmaker goes one way or the other, either take themselves way too seriously or they go the other direction, and it's just, you know... Wow, they didn't. They aren't taking themselves at all seriously. But Joe Dante, you can tell he's enjoying this film, but he also wants to make a a, a legitimate werewolf film and not just some kind of cheesy, trashy thing. He he puts some thought into it and and some care into it, you know. And, and yeah, I love some of the subtle references too, like the Wolfman Jack line. I love the Wolfman Jack. I'm like, oh, hey. That was pretty doggone slick. You worked that one in there, you know. Though I did have a problem with uh, D. Wallace's wife not thinking it's odd. Her husband just gets up in the middle of the night and leaves, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And she goes right back. To Maybe bed. he had IBS, and that was normal, Mark. <laughs> it could be. She that was also traumatized. Be. I mean, that's, that's the one thing you have to get down to the root of. Wasn't she, she also was nuts. on pills? Wasn't she also taking pills at that time? Yeah, she was nuts. She was in no way in any kind of capacity to make any kind of decisions like going to this colony that's or, true. you know, anything like that. So, you I know, mean. at a place called the colony. Nothing yeah, I know. I mean. Yeah. You it's, know, it's, it's the, the doctor, the, I mean, it, I mean, at his root, this movie is pure exploitation. Exploitation yes. of a victim, exploitation of a species. You know, everybody is just feeding off of everybody else. And that's what makes it kind of a perfect movie. I, there, I have no complaints about the first Howling. 
No, no, I think I, it's I, very well thought out. I think it's very meticulous, uh, mm-hmm. the, like with the subject matter it's dealing with, with uh, just the tone wise. I, I honestly love this movie. And I do agree with Mark that Joe Dante was looking, even though, you know, it still has those quirks of a Joe Dante film with the right. humor and such. It, he was legitimately trying to make a horror film. I agree with you, Mark. Totally. Yeah, exactly. It's laugh or cry with him. But that choking scene, in all honesty, that one was intense where Quist is uh, choking her friend in the, the doctor's office. Yep. You know, I'm watching that going, holy shit. I mean, up until now, it's it's been kind of, you know, standard. But that scene right there where he's choking the life out of her, that was really dark and really serious. I mean, you're like... Oh, this is this makes me feel just a little uncomfortable, just the way the sound was and the fact that it wasn't your traditional choking like you see someone flailing around or anything. I mean, he just slowly squeezes her throat. That's going to be my favorite kill in this film. Fella, those are real silver. I got to check him with a jeweler to find out what the judge. Bill me. Crazy fuck. If you're looking for a, a, a good example of a werewolf film that is the right bits of campy and intense and dark and brooding, but also kind of silly, um, kind of sexy, The Howling really, really is it. Now, before we get to that ending that everyone's jumping at the bit for, let's, let's talk about that final sequence in the barn there. Which did anyone else? And this just like hit me while I was watching it. Did anyone else feel that it kind of reminded them a little bit of the the closing sequence from a uh, Fulci zombie? Oh yeah, man, totally. Yeah, yeah. The, the way the the they have the like the the wood breaking apart and shit. I mean, because that's an intense scene in Zombie. And you know, Joe Dante seen Zombie. Absolutely. I thought I couldn't help it. It's just like, wow, this is like Zombie with werewolves. Yeah, I especially absolutely when the werewolf it. fought the shark. That shit was like a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to drop real quick because um, for some reason I notice editors of movies. Don't ask me why, but I do. And Mark Goldblatt, who edited mm-hmm. this would go on to edit some of the biggest films <laughs> later on of the decade and, and still of cinema. He went on to uh, edit uh, Terminator 2, which is one, one of the reasons why what? I recognize the name. He he edited Piranha. That was his first editing. Well, that's he, a Joe Dante film. So yeah, that was Joe Dante, gone. but yep. he edited uh, Predator 2, Starship Troopers. He's edited a lot of really big films. So people out there, I just want to make a statement real quick because I'm always like this on my soapbox when it comes to B films. People pick on B films or pick on films like The Howling and go, a lot of people got their start working on films like this, big named people. So before you go picking on us folks who enjoy stuff like The Howling and and uh, other B-movie films, remember that's where a lot of your big named stars and your big named Hollywood guys got their start. Didn't he also, he also directed uh, Dead Heat. He directed Dead Heat, yes. And the, the best, movie. still the best Punisher movie to date. <laughs> he dated oh. the adults. 
God, shut the fuck up. This is not the best Punisher movie. is by far the best Punisher movie. You are drunk. If you think that the Dolph Lundgren version of the Punisher is better than Punisher Warzone, Warzone oh, yeah, it is. Look, Punisher Warzone is good in a what the fuck am I watching kind of way. Actually, speaking of what the fuck are we watching. Yeah, yeah, let's go on to the ending there so I don't get us off track. No, no, I don't agree. Punisher Warzone is fucking phenomenal. I'm not going to accept anything else. Like you said, it's my goddamn show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Here we are. The, we had the, the barn scene. Uh, they, they escape. And uh, then the, the final scene where D. Wallace and uh, their friend get back and decide to show the world that there are actually werewolves on air. From the day we're born, there is a battle we must fight. A struggle between what is kind and peaceful in our natures and what is cruel and violent. What the hell is this, an editorial? That choice is our birthright as human beings and the real gift that differentiates us from the animals. So now, here we are. I'm going to let Andrew start this one off. Andrew, let's talk about Poof Wolf. (laughs) Hey, man, look. That's that could have been like the Peter Finch of werewolves, man. They blew that whole shit. Could have been like that one. You know? So when we're like I'm hairy as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. <laughs> So when we're referring to poof wolf, then what what are we describing here? What what is going on? D. Wallace uh, turns into a. A, like a, I mean, I call it Shih Tzu, but yeah, Pekingese, okay. okay. Look like no, Fizzgig no, or some shit. Like from Dark Crystal, so, you know, they, not without the mouth. It looked like Fizzgig! It's Fizzgig! Totally Fizzgig. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, no I'm fairly certain that, that Poof Wolf was Dante's inspiration for Gizmo in Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, thank you, thank you. Man, if they would have just put some water on her, man, that would have been some crazy shit. Man. Yeah. <laughs> she was so sad. They try to. Why would they do that? Is that what we're asking? Why would they? Why would they try to make her cute instead of just a monster? No, it, well, that's, that's, no, that's, that's it's misogynist. That's why. Fuck she's it. She's sympathetic. No, no, it's because all the other werewolves were these vicious creatures who were prone to violent and murderous behavior and she was seen as the protagonist and innocent and so they tried to make her look as a more gentle uh, kind of creature and that was a conscious choice to make her kind right, of look but different it's a, like it's that. I don't believe instead, that. Which is not a wolf, it's an Ewok, it's like a whole other planet. <laughs> See, and so I don't think that's the case because there are not all of the other... Said. Well, but the thing is though, I it, from... If you were going to stand back and think about that, not all of the rest of the characters that were werewolves were vicious people. Mm-mm. Single her out as, as the one character that's going to turn into a Pomeranian at the, at the <laughs> end of the film is kind of is kind of bullshit. And all it they had to do is the fact she's turning into a werewolf. Was like, you know, because Robo T must have been a nice guy. All he had to do was make her look like him. 
<laughs> and I guess it, I mean they, they trap everybody in the barn and that's when everybody looks vicious when they're trying to survive and here's D. Wallace just trying to be like hey guys there's werewolves and here's kind of what we look like so, hey, so when she turns what's what's the next step like if they hadn't shot her and shit what, she, what would she have done just well, she would have turned and eaten the woman with the bad hair she, she would have started like, licking the person next to her. Yeah. She would have been like, pet me, give me some alcohol. Tell me she wouldn't try to like go out for blood or some shit. Tried to hump the little red leg. She would have turned violent. Pomeranians are violent. Sheezes are violent. You know, they're just, they just want meat. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to know, they're werewolves. Why was no one doing it doggy style? Ah! Hey, oh, it's down to the root of the problem. Wait a while, they the, do it the froggy room. style. No. What I will say about her, though, is I think he could have handled that so much differently. We didn't need to see her fully transform. I would have liked her get all crazy-eyed, start standing up. You have people react in the booth. You don't ever get a clear glimpse of what she turns into, and then the guy shoots her. And then and, oh, yeah, it would have been better, yes. And you don't need to see her fully transform. This is where, actually, I thought Les would have been better because mm -hmm. then you give the mystery to the audience as well of exactly what did she look like when she turned right. you know and that versus the the grumpy cat syndrome my question is when was she turned because <laughs> dude in the peep booth didn't break her skin it was in the car. Oh, it was in the car. Her husband. Yeah, husband. Okay, okay. Because, I mean, I've watched this. I love the howling. Like, the first howling, this one. I love D. But I've always missed where she was actually transformed into a werewolf. Near the end, so. it's that it's her, her uh, when they dive through the glass, the werewolves are jumping at the car. Gotcha, It's her gotcha. husband that bites her. Okay. I didn't even see. I mean, I've, I've seen this movie so many times, and I'm like, what the crap? She didn't even get bitten. No, there's some metaphor there with the husband biting her. Right. Uh, thing, just man, a little. He didn't, he didn't, for some reason, he did not want to cut away from some of those effects. He, he wanted to put too much on screen, which is crazy because you think about Piranha, right? Those fake ass fish, how good that still looks when they're attacking people because he knew they looked shitty. Yeah. So he like did really good camera and editing to cover up from the shitty fake ass looking piranhas. And then why all of a sudden in Howling, you know what I'm saying? Like what he could have uh, been a studio thing. I mean, it yeah. was it, it was it was Avco Embassy. Maybe they said, you know, we gave you like you know like four million dollars or however much this cost, and they said we want to see some of that shit on screen. You yeah, know, it could have been that. <laughs> Had to be, man. It was a poor decision. This is the only part of the film that I agree. I agree with Andrew Holhart. I think this was just, that was a, a horrible decision, and it really ends the film on a note where. Um, it's such a strong film that that last werewolf is just shitty. I, 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 I got I want to say though, I want to say though, I actually love this scene. I actually loved this ending. I, I agree with Mark though, that I think it probably would have been better to cut away and actually not show what she looked like. Right. Uh, but I actually love the idea of the ending that she's going to do this. I don't like the, uh, 
necessarily showing what she looks like as much, even though I love the look on her face, you know, that horrible pleading look. Well, her eyes. And, I yeah, think that yes. should have been where they sh- they cut it. That should have been where they cut it because the teeth and the look and the makeup there when she's looking great. back and crying is great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And I, I don't like so much where they, they cut to all the people like watching the TV. I'm like, we know people are watching TV. It's on TV. You well, know? The kids. The kids were the greatest. You know, I don't yeah. like that. What are you guys watching? It's the news. She's turning into a werewolf, and then it should should have ended right there. Well, they didn't do it, but I I do want to say one thing is that you know we haven't talked about this actor that you know she then is of course you know dispatched by uh, one of the other survivors uh, played by Dennis Dugan, and if nothing else is terrifying about the howling then we should all be terrified by the absolutely shitty movies Dennis Dugan did when he became a director. <laughs> <laughs> because Dennis Dugan, that actor, is responsible for most of the Happy Madison movies. Ugh. Did you yeah. know that? Did everybody know that? I'm, I'm sensing silence here. Yeah, uh, I'm like, way to just take a piece of all of our yards. Dugan is slang for dick anyways. <laughs> He's fucking awful, man. Come on, grown-ups do Jack and Jill. I'm not going to fucking back down from that. <laughs> I like Jack and Jill. The creepy doctor who convinced D. Wallace to go to the colony is from the Avengers. So, oh, all the know. other actors are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and he was fine until he, be, until he decided, I'm going to be Adam Sandler's lap. Boy, and then no, actually, he no. needed to pay some bills. His first movie, actually, as a director, was Problem Child, which had nothing to do with Adam Sandler. So, actually, I can't blame Adam Sandler for that. The guy that works, uh, the guy that played Junior, works less than 20 miles from my house in the Toys R Us. Oh, no way! Oh, no! He would have murdered somebody hates by it. now. Hates it so bad. Because, like, if you come in and you're like, is Junior here? And he's like, shut the fuck up. I want to strangle your ass. It's probably a bad move. So before oh, we go oh, into a awesome. spiral of problem oh. child talk, I want to I wrap up Howling 1. We're going to go down the line, and we're going to sit and give our thumbs up, thumbs down on, on the Howling 1. Glenn, thumbs up, thumbs down on this one. Oh, huge thumbs up for this one, man. Awesome. One of, one of the best werewolf movies ever. Cool. Andrew? Thumbs up, man. There is not a lot of good werewolf movies. There's one of the most, you know, the least done monsters and definitely the least done well. And I would say thank you, Joe Dante, for putting a lot of sex in it and for and even for putting a blonde werewolf in it because if you hadn't done that shit, we wouldn't have a lot of what I like about Howling Part 2. <laughs> Scott? Oh, two very furry thumbs up. I'm a huge fan of werewolf movies, and while I have a huge affinity for, say, like the Paul Nashie films, uh, man, Howling is just incredible. I absolutely love it. One of the best werewolf films ever. Seth? Uh, Big thumbs up. One of the top five werewolf movies ever. And I just love that Dante does it without winking at the audience. Like, (laughs) you know. Well, so like these other Gremlin movies would it would eventually turn into. Right, exactly. We got uh, we got quirky humor and horror and sleaze all at once without uh, bullshit on top of it. Mark, I give it a big old hairy palm high five. Uh, I think uh, this is probably one of the best uh, werewolf films. Out real there. subtle there, Mark. Re- real you. subtle there. Thank you. If nothing else, it's worth it for uh, Mr. Kevin McCarthy, who would go on to play once again a TV runner, operator, whatever, in UHF in oh, yeah. 89. Thank you. 
So if it's just worth it seeing him play someone behind the cameras, like, you know, eight years earlier. Uh, but yeah, this film's a lot of fun uh, and definitely one of those, uh, if you want to get into eighties horror, this should be one of your gateway films. Absolutely. Angelique. Absolutely. Big thumbs up. I mean, this is like uh, was said earlier, this is one of the top few werewolf movies out there. It's got that, that blend of comedy and terror and tragedy. Agreed. And I obviously, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say one big hairy werewolf boner up for this one. This oh. is d- downright my favorite werewolf movie of all time. I've watched it so many times. It's it's by one of my favorite directors and uh, it has like every I can't really expound on anything else that hasn't already been said by anybody on the panel tonight. I've had conversations and arguments with people that want to go toe to toe with me. It like like I'm wrong, like I'm wrong for not declaring that American Werewolf in London is my favorite werewolf movie. Sorry. Fuck you, dude. It's personal taste. And honestly, the howling does it for me. I'm an exploitation film fan and a horror fan and a comedy fan. And the howling hits every single last bit of every one of those things. So let's go in the pale, pale light of the moon glow, folks. Uh, And let's move on to Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf from 1985. In the pale, pale light, pale, pale light of the moon glow, I've got a hunger that's Hunger that I can control I'm alone now In my room again On the prowl now Through your dreams again Howling Since the world began Things come in multiple subtitles to Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Here in the States, we got Your Sister is a Werewolf. <laughs> in England, it was Sturba Werewolf Bitch. I love wow. that. That's awesome. That's her name, right? That's Sybil Danning. That's, yep, that's legitimately what it was sold as. That's what it, it was released as. In, in uh, Glenn Bittner's house, it was Sybil Danning's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> But regardless, we have a film that follows directly after part one here. It was directed by Aussie director Philip Mora and stars Mr. Christopher Lee as one of my favorite. I mean, here, I'm not going to expound on Christopher Lee and how amazing he, he is in general, but he gets outshadowed for me as an exploitation film fan by the one, the only strike commando. Red Brown. Yes. Uh, Red Brown is in this film in, in all of his <laughs> screaming glory. 
And yeah, we almost cute. get to see his butt. Okay, okay, calm down over there. Your Calm down about. I know Red Brown's butt is magnificent. I know yes. that he he is quite a, a piece of man candy, and he screams like nobody else. But <laughs> let me finish here. <laughs> Mister Starcrash himself, Red Brown, playing uh, D. Wallace's brother, who is now gone over to uh, mourn his sister's passing. Now, here's the synopsis from imdb.com of Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Can't wait. Uh, you, you guys can't even keep a straight face with us. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was more more Howling 2, Christopher Lee needs a Maserati. <laughs> which, which is funny, thing you, funny thing you say that, Mark, is because if you were to go in and study up on this film a little bit, Christopher Lee hated being on this set because he... <laughs> Because uh, he was so annoyed by Reb Brown and Marsha Hunt that oh. he literally walked away and was barely on set. He hated them so much that when he would go subsequently, because he's in Gremlins 2, he told Dante on set that he, he apologized to him for doing this film. <laughs> really? Wow. You can tell that he's like not all the way there, especially in the crowd scenes, which we'll get into later, like during the festival. That he's just like, Yes, I'm Christopher Lee and I'm standing here. Go ahead, pass me Reb Brown. Yes, oh, you need boy, me. Yeah. Well, I mean yeah, he had and he, he had, and now now he had worked now I don't know what his relationship was with Red Brown on the Captain America two or whatever. Uh, the TV movie, but I know that he worked with Philippe Mora before, the director, on uh, The Return of Captain Invincible, uh, which he actually had fun things to talk about because he got to, like, sing and dance to a Richard O'Brien song, so. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and let's finally get into this film. Let's go into the synopsis again from imdb.com. A young man whose sister was murdered by werewolves helps an investigator track down a gang of monsters through the United States and Europe. Now, as I as I did with the first film, we'll kind of do a comparison with the novels because there were actually three howling novels that came out. And the second howling novel followed the story of the first one, like right afterward. Now, while those novels were credited along with the subsequent sequels to the films, Howling 2 and Howling 3 both have uh, a, a write, written by, or, or it was like from the novels, inspired by the novels of Gary Bradner, they actually have little to nothing to do at all with, with those novels. And uh, I think, honestly, it's better off that they didn't. Those novels are pretty straight-laced, and while they're good for what they are, I think they would have they didn't have Joe Dante to spice them up because Joe Dante, with the first film, took the original script that was written that was really close to the Bradner uh, novel, and he completely had it rewritten to suit his style more. And I don't think Philip Mora, whose other films that people know definitely do not are not straight laced in any way, shape or form, he wouldn't have followed that as well. So while they were credited to the uh, to the novels, they have nothing to do with them whatsoever. So instead here, this film, Your Sister is a Werewolf, starts off with an intro 
that that has a shitty comp Christopher Lee over stars, not unlike Dune, <laughs> reading with with some crappy dime store skeleton behind him. Beside some shit that doesn't mean a single fucking thing in the world. For it is written, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with her blood. And I saw her sit upon a hairy beast, and she held forth a golden chalice full of the filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was written, Behold, I am the great mother of harlots and all abominations of the earth. Now, Glenn, were you having Berserker Hell's Warrior flashbacks with this intro? Oh, my God. When I put a VHS tape in my TV, I've never had my TV shit in my mouth so hard. (laughs) Thorny in my logo and then shit. It's like Christopher Lee is just floating in space with a shitty skeleton behind him, spouting off a bunch of crap. So this goes on. But it's Dracula in space. That's how awesome it is. (laughs) Well, the thing is, which is funny about that, when you say it's Dracula in space, while we all know that Christopher Lee was Dracula in many Hammer films, his character in this film is far more reminiscent of Van Helsing than just about anything else. Mark? Yes. Yeah, I I totally agree. He's 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 like channeling Peter Cushing. Yeah, he was. He was more Van Helsing than Dracula in his performance, definitely. Now, uh, Seth, how did you feel about how the the overall tone and feel of this film, which to me felt much more European than the last film, it was very gothic. It had that kind of Fulci feel. A lot of day of night. The acting was far worse than the first film. Had a lot of nonsensical editing. And it was far more in the style verse making sense camp that a lot of European films uh, had at that time and in the 70s. And I know you're a big fan of that style of film. How did you feel? Did you feel it stacked up to that kind of cinema? Actually, that's uh, one of the first notes I have written down on the film is that it's a U.S. 80s take on a Euro horror film. Complete nonsense going on and more worried about the visuals than making any lick of sense at all. When saying that, one of the, the mainstays of all European horror films is excessive gore and, uh, you know, like monster hijinks. Now, in this film, you don't get an actual transformation scene whatsoever. Just a lot of shots that are that are cutaways to uh, like ECUs. And when I say ECUs to people that aren't used to um, film talk, it's an extreme close up. Um, so there's ECUs of werewolf mouths and eyes and stuff like this. Uh, how did you think that that kind of stacked up to that Euro sensibility there, Seth? Uh, fits right in. I, you know, just give them the money shot and nothing else. Andrew editing wise, this film was a mess. What did you think of that? Yeah. I mean, it was more of like, they just, <laughs> Oh no, it, it didn't make <laughs> shit of sense ever. Like I, you know, except for the end credit, I don't want to skip to that, but like, it's that a made a lot of sense. The that was the best. Like all the weird editing seemed like it was a setup for that. 
Because if they had been normal ass editing, then they did that. It would have been like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Why would they do that? But because I like to think that it was a normal edited movie, then they got to the end credits and were like, you know what? We should show her rip her shirt off 18 times. And they're like, but we'd have to go back through the movie and just randomly put shots of her in between shit. That's fine. Do it. Do it. Do it. So so you're under the impression uh, that the end credit sequence was actually the first thing cut. Oh, man. There's no way. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm trying to make excuses for this movie, man. And get to talking about titty as soon as possible. Both of those things is all I'm doing. Don't this worry movie about it. was obsessed with nipples. I mean, that's 90% of my notes is there's so many nipples. Well, that's right for a dog, though, because there's more than people. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm glad that a werewolf movie finally got down to that. <laughs> it, cut the, it cut to the chase where the, the original film had that, you know, mix of sleaziness and horror and comedy. And Philippe Mora took it and took the subtlety out of it and just went full bore running flat into a fucking brick wall. Yeah, so no, the editing's not, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes the movie seem crazy, you know, like it's made by a crazy person. And to me, that that's neat. Did you find it to be, because uh, this was something that I noticed, and we haven't even gotten into the real plot of the movie, but we're still talking about the feel. Plot. Um, did, did you uh, feel that it was, uh, I noticed, and maybe I noticed this more because he directed part three as well, and he kind of did this in some of part three is that, if it was his editorial take or if it was like studio intervention or like producer's intervention to every time somebody talks about someone else to have to cut away to that person to remind the audience that this is who they're talking about. Did you, did you feel that that was a really strange editorial choice? Oh man. I mean, you're just, there's so the editing's so crazy. You're just kind of going with it. You know, like you're not even trying to, it doesn't, you know, making sense is just the last shit you're thinking about. You know, you're just like, hey, where's Sybil Danny? I, maybe I'm talking about me. Sybil <laughs> <laughs> Danny in that outfit where she looks like Miss Marvel. My gut feeling about what that was is that this very much wanted to be a the new wave werewolf movie. Not new wave as far as a new wave of movies, but I'm talking about the actual new wave music scene and all that shit. You know, hence we have victims that look like they were in a flock of seagulls and shit like, like that. Like music video MTV style. Music video MTV style. Moonlight howling. <laughs> well, new, new wave hookers did come out that same year. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it was a better movie and more professional, too. Anyway, but the, but so there's lots of neon stuff. But part of that is also that weird cutting. And now there are some directors that managed to actually take kind of that new editing style and actually create something interesting with it, like take a take a, a, a mainstream movie. Uh, from a, just a couple of years before Flashdance. Adrian Lyne did a fine job with that, you know? Uh, other directors did a fine job with that. Philippe Mora, not so much. And he's like, just saying like, uh, I think I'll do this because this seems more hip and trendy and arty. And instead it's just basically hammering the audience over the frickin' head with, with this- With nipples. Yeah, with nipples. I mean, those, <laughs> now those are the nipples that'll put your eye out right there. A lot of us. And they, and they just and they just uh, he just hammers it in, and it's just it doesn't work because even because even the most patient film uh, goer will think 
we get this. You know, we're not this dumb. You know, you don't have to keep on showing us this stuff. You don't have to keep on cutting away. And this is what it is. It's a lot of cutaways, a lot of inserts. And whenever he's like gets frantic that, oh, no, I'm showing two people talking on screen. I better cut it up. You know, so he's just not patient enough to let a scene play out because he, I think he senses how shitty the movie is or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's a, a matter of sensing how shitty a film is. I think it's more like what you started to say is that it was a conscious editorial style and a conscious um, aesthetic that he followed through on through the rest of the film. Maybe he's right. just on cocaine. Nobody said that. Maybe he's just on cocaine. Yeah. The 80s. That's also a problem. Well, that would explain why Reb Brown in is, is in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we you leave Reb Brown like, alone. His <laughs> butt is glorious. Okay, so here we go. We're back to talking about Reb Brown's butt. <laughs> Brown butt. Well, <laughs> what I get a kick out of is his character in the beginning. It's like they lay it out. Oh, yeah, by the way, your sister's a werewolf. Jenny, what did he say? You said your sister is a werewolf. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> yes. Like, did you not see the footage of how your sister died? And Christopher Lee puts that videotape in of that horribly reenacted. Thank you. It's a fake. That's not my sister. Ben, it isn't a fake. I recognize those people. You know, I mean, that wasn't even Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 level reenactment. No, it looked like some Ugandan version. Yeah, that was the chick that played the lead werewolf in D. Wallace makeup and costume. No, I'm a werewolf. Bang, you're dead. Well, never mind that. The new set in the original looked like a new set. This one looked like some kid's cardboard stage play that they It was a table at some Comic Con. I mean, let's get real. Table access. Night. I will return to Karin's grave for her body. But I will protect her. And I will prevent this blasphemy. How? With this. How can you listen to this bull? I know that Glenn has been waiting, has been just waiting to talk about Howling 2. Glenn, give it to me. So far, it's shit in your mouth. But then you, you, you get Red Brown in here and Christopher Lee and the plot starting to thicken. How did you feel about this as, as we, all, we went through this club scene where these horny guys are trying to fuck this, this werewolf chick? Come on, Glenn. Howling 2. <sighs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the sigh. Um, okay. I've, I've, I've used this term on, on my web series numerous times, and it's, the term is awfulsome. And awful sum means that a movie is so bad that it is looped past awful back to awesome because it's so bad that it's it's so enjoyable to watch because of how bad it is. That's kind of how this movie is. I mean, that whole fucking orgy type scene. The movie is like uh, well, a hundred or what? It's like an hour and thirty minutes. minutes. Yeah, it was so like long. And, and like. 48 minutes of that is Sybil Denny's boobs. Um, yeah. And the rest of it is Christopher Lee uninterested in where he is. Um, I love that Andrew's response is, yeah. Whoever, I was going to say, whoever that was is really creepy. And Sorry, man. It turned into, I, I kind of liked it. Detail. I, liked it. So let's, I, mean, so, I mean, this is, it's, it's like Sybil Denny owed someone a favor. 
And another guy said, I know how to manipulate old people. So they got Christopher Lee. <laughs> and then said, hey, I like werewolves. You want to make a movie? And they're like, yeah. Hey, let's throw some witches in there, too. You know, it was some, like weird, weird matchy shit. Because, you know, that's so much like the original Howland. Let's just say that this movie, as we had alluded to, the style of this film is literally all over the place. It's constantly shifting. It has it, it, it beyond the the obvious editorial stuff we had talked about and, and uh, the wackiness of some of these characters. Let's talk about its soundtrack. And by soundtrack, I mean one, one song. song. <laughs> the one song that's played over and over and over, and it gets introduced via a club sequence in which Christopher Lee gets dressed up in a bunch of obviously clothes that were outdated by that point. It's supposed to be like mod clothes. And, you know, this dude that's like seven foot tall is definitely inconspicuous in this club. <laughs> and uh, I so love his glasses, though. Come on. Glasses are so good. <laughs> glasses are banging. <laughs> so, so there's this club scene where this band is singing this howling song, and the crowd is going nuts, a bunch of mod punks all flailing around and whatnot. So let's, let's go down the line. Did anybody get sick of this song? by the end of the movie, Angelique? No, because there were two songs, actually, that repeated throughout the entire movie. There was the Howling song, and then there was the Hunger song. very very similar but uh, i'm an 80 80s music aficionado so there were two distinct songs but they were looped and then it would go into okay now we're going to play the pale pale light of the moon howling song um i could i was confused what were the band members werewolves or were they humans (laughs) allowed to play werewolves was it just some band that the werewolves hired to play i mean i would write werewolf songs as i if i was allowed to live i mean i'd be like yeah okay we got full moon rare meat gotcha i'm gold give me a keyboard we'll put something in d major I think you're reading way too deep into that. Oh, that's <laughs> I mean, what was that movie with Rosie O'Donnell where Which they had to go one? undercover in the BDSM club? Exit to Eden. Exit to Eden. That's, this that's, movie really reminded me of that because there was so much leather and so many nipples. It was just nipples a go-go. I think <laughs> the problem here is, is not so much the nipples. It's the endless, hairy, growling, sniveling, Werewolf orgy scene. Yes. That seems to um, go on for days. <laughs> Mr. Mark the Movie Man, would you like to talk about the werewolf orgies? You you know, that was just running through my mind right now that werewolves have extraordinary stamina, for one, because you get that scene where Civil Wolf. Uh, before her bush takes over her whole body. Uh, <laughs> wow! 
sits there and, and shows shows the breasts, but then she has her two underlings go have sex. I'm like, she's been down for like you know centuries, and here she gives the sex to two other people first. She's got to warm up. She's got to warm up to the to the task. She had to get her fur on, is what she had to do. Right, and, right. And so she lets the other two go on, and then between that, we're cutting away to other scenes, and then we cut back to them, and I'm going. Holy Christ, aren't these people done yet? And they're, they cut back to the scene some more. And then suddenly, just out of the blue, our heroes, uh, his butt, and our. There was our, no bare red brown butt. No, it was close. But, yet. but those two just suddenly, like. I need you to hold me, Ben. Yeah. Oh, Ben. And she starts going at it with red brown. I'm like. Wait, she was there, she was under werewolf spell. She was okay. not. Well, she, well, she was pla- well, she was planning that in advance because remember he he was trying to be all chivalrous, you know, your douchebag from the present, and you know, uh, no, basically they were they were outside. Mickey had his handcuffs on and his tag from his mattress, and he yeah. was like, "Go for it." He was yeah. trying to well, he was trying to be chivalrous and said like, "Okay, two separate rooms when they were yeah, checking." She, the hotel. She's like all my like, room. Oh no, one one room, one yeah, room. I'm hitting that. I'm hitting that. Oh, Big yeah. McLarge huge. What are you? She's what gonna you? go all over Big McLarge huge there. Well, oh, this but, brings me to. This film's, and there's two of them in this film, this film's sure sign you're a werewolf. And that is during that scene while they're they're getting it on up in that uh, that bungalow at this. 666. Yep, in, in room number 666, Reb, Brown, and Jen. Outside, there is a werewolf. Sure sign you're a werewolf. You can smell sex in the air even if people are in a house far away from you. You can just smell you sniff in the air. Mm, somebody's fucking. Somebody's fucking. So in sure sign you're a werewolf number two of the film who takes place during the, the funeral sequence when these two werewolves are hanging outside of, of the church or outside of the mausoleum where uh, this funeral is taking place and one of them Wipes his feet on the dirt like a dog who just took a shit. Thank you. Thank you. It's a sure sign you're a fucking werewolf. I was going to ask if anybody else noticed that, if anybody else had dogs, because I'm like, is he always pooping? Because he's always, you know, doing that scratchy. Yeah, I don't know. I I know we're we're jumping around here just like the movie jumped around. But back (laughs) in the appropriate, Mark, I think it's very appropriate. But in that beginning scene where she's in the coffin. I I was trying to figure that out because okay she's she's you know comatose whatever in the coffin and all of a sudden she wakes up and she's clawing at it and then the next time she's she's comatose again I'm like is she awake or is she why does she keep going <laughs> back to sleep I'm like you know she's a werewolf she hasn't supposed to be dead yet here she's like oh my god I'm in a glass case oh man am I tired well that goes into the question of, of embalming and funerary practices if they removed all of her internal organs they didn't it would take time her. well I mean they autopsy because she was shot on live TV true would it grow but it would, back it would take time for her organs, including her brain, to regenerate. Well, then why have her wake up then just to go right back to sleep, though? I mean, well, sure. because she was prayed over. I hey, mean, think Mark, about it. Think if, about if it. If you woke up and you were in this movie, wouldn't your ass go back to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be too busy Glenn staring at Sybil Danny's tits. 
Yeah. But no, I mean, think about it. I mean, if it takes time for your brain to regenerate and say her body's still in the church and they're doing the whole funeral service, when they do the prayer and the last rites and whatevs, she's been prayed over and holy relics or something that plays a big part into this movie, including the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, she's consecrated and that delays the whole werewolf process until, you know, the stroke of midnight comes. Then her brain is grown back. All of her organs have grown back and she's ready to go, you know, showing her nipples everywhere. (laughs) That's funny because I don't recall any of this bullshit happening in this movie. No, I'm really a lot into it. That you really are, honey. That's uh. You guys should go get a fucking room already. I I think it was just really bad scripting. Honestly, I mean, it's really. That's for damn sure. He missed a prime opportunity there to have her turn into a werewolf in the casket in the church, pop up and be like all, and then Christopher Lee could come running down with, we've upgraded now to titanium, titanium spike, and just spike her. That would have been a great scene. Could you imagine this thing opening up with her in the casket, turning slowly as they're doing the whole preaching thing, and then she shoots up and like bites the priest in the throat, and then Christopher Lee comes running down and jabs her in the chest with the titanium, and then our hero comes out and goes, I don't think she's a werewolf. Bullshit. Oh, bullshit. Can you make that movie, please? Can you just make that movie? Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Just like just about anybody else, you've made a better movie than Howling 2. I mean, it's a, but yes, again, titanium. Because obviously it's the strength of the metal that was the problem. <laughs> and once you're old enough, you, you develop an immunity in silver and then titanium and then, I don't know, platinum, whatever. <laughs> oh. Well, it was – well, I think the first film also played on some of the – like uh, some of the tropes of werewolves from the universal films and of, of mm-hmm. literature that it wasn't strictly playing by the rules of that these werewolves have to change – uh, with the full moon, and that they could they only could be killed with silver bullets. Uh, uh, in the werewolves in this world and in the howling world can change at will based on mm-hmm. their temperament and based on if they're because let's go to to Sturba, played by Sybil Danning, who is the ultimate bad villain of this film, who starts who is also Christopher Lee's sister. By yeah. character in this film, <laughs> which yeah. means that which means that Christopher Lee has to be thousands of years old, and they never address that. Do not just walk around that plot hole. Just walk <laughs> around the plot I'm hole. I'm too busy concerning all the other people with bad dental problems in this movie. Okay. <laughs> so, so we have Sturba, Sybil Danning in this film. She starts off as this old lady who uh, they have the, all the werewolves congregate in this one place where they have big orgies and they, they give her her power back because they do this ritual and all of a sudden she turns into Sybil Danning, this extraordinarily gorgeous woman with barely any clothes on, which I appreciated quite much. And uh, she was nice. Yes, she was very nice. So, so this character comes in, Andrew, Sybil Danning. Yeah, man. Hey, hey, you know how much I love women's prison movies and shit like that. Civil Dancing is just royalty from that stuff, man. And I don't really like the Howling movies that much. Like, not really. But I like Civil Danning a lot. And so when I 
bought the Blu-ray of Howling 2 immediately because I want to see Sybil Danning in high definition, man. Doing <laughs> this stuff. She and plus she's a blonde werewolf. I never seen that before. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And that looked great. And anybody that's seen my movies knows who Dee Flowered is. She's yeah. like yeah. the star of a lot of my stuff. She very, very much reminds me of Sybil Danning in a lot of ways. And I remember when we were making Pajama Nightmare uh, available on Amazon on demand. Um, there was this the character D plays of this Batwoman, and I was like, totally, let's do a Howling Two. I mean, cover up her with hair, you know. I just, to me, it's just ultimate shit. I mean, I I don't know what to say. I just, I'm all for it. They could have. I fall asleep when I'm looking at Howling Two, but I wake up when I see Sybil Danny. <laughs> what I haven't mentioned is that her titties have so much power that she can shoot lightning out and explode motherfuckers' eyeballs out of there. Yes, head. I yes. was going to yes. get around to this. I was going to get around to this. Is that she is so powerful? She's not only just a werewolf that gets sort of blondly hairy at times and has endless sex orgies. Yeah, with Mickey also- from Pee Big Adventure. Yeah, she also has she also has witchcraft style finger powers and lasers that she could shoot out at will. Imagine if she had uh, them powers in reform school girls, she could have done that. Or an Andy Sedaris that what was that Malibu Express that she was in? Yeah, Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be good stuff. Now (laughs) now Seth, what did you think of the werewolves in this werewolf movie? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he can't even speak. I brought the man to speechlessness. Had all this time to prepare. <laughs> it's been bad. But I love this movie. Uh, just, it's so awful and it's so enjoyable. I just looking at everything and how just completely full of shit everything is in this movie. <laughs> From the the sets to the the makeup and the the effects and everything, it's just so awful. Some as Glenn put it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Now, now let's go specifically straight to those werewolves. These fucking people that are just barely covered with fur. How did how did you feel about these? It was lazy and half-assed, and just like the rest of the movie, (laughs) it's very indicative of the rest of the movie. Glenn, did you like these werewolves? Werewolves. Those were werewolves. Well, there was this epic scene later on once. you know, Christopher Lee and Reb Brown, who are teamed up together, yet for some reason, those two and Jen form this group that are out to try and uh, destroy uh, Sturba. And they, uh, for some reason, they have no plan at all. They're constantly running around on their own while all these werewolves are trying to destroy them. And they're a group. They could work together. Nope, nope, nope. They're constantly in peril, left and right. Now, eventually... They, uh, uh, Jen, the, the, the romantic interest, gets kidnapped because some grapey, creepy Euro guy leads her into the woods saying Reb Brown is out there somewhere and, of course, tries raping her. What are you doing? I want to make that to you. But then gets knocked out. There's this great scene where uh, Christopher Lee and Reb Brown are out to rescue her and then try and destroy uh, Sturba. And they shoot every motherfucking werewolf in the entire country. Now, 
This this was one epic fucking scene. This is like classic strike commando, Reb Brown screaming, <laughs> shooting, shooting people with a gun by his dick. There was just like this thing was just epic. Mark the movie man, tell me about this scene where Reb Brown clears out all the fucking werewolves in Transylvania. No, he it wasn't just him. He had the Gothic Avengers with him. <laughs> they assembled. And so he was just the Captain America of the group. And so That's a deep cut. Way to reference. Deep thank cut. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he uh, this this scene was a trip. I I'm like these guys are some badasses, and these are some of the worst werewolves ever because these guys, there's, what, three old geriatric dudes and Rep Brown, and they take out, like, 40 werewolves with, with just shooting them. These guys right now, they do eventually, their numbers thin out of the badasses, but still, the, the massive amount of werewolves these guys take out, including with the holy hand grenade, uh... Jeez. <laughs> Thank you again. Yes. It can't be brought up enough. <laughs> it can't because it su- completely surprised me. I'm like, okay, Christopher Lee's got this vial of, I forgot what it, whatever Jesus it was. Jesus' blood. That's what it was, was Jesus' yes. blood. It was, he stole it from the cross from, you know, from Demon Knight. And he had some of Jesus's blood in there. And so one of the werewolves grabs one of the Avenger Gothic guys. Uh, Red and, Brown, he grabs him. No, he grabs the old guy and pulls him into a pit. Oh, the priest. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. the priest. And uh, so he grabs the priest, and the priest is in the pit with the werewolf, and they're writhing around or whatnot. And Chris really just nonchalantly walks over, pulls out the red vial of cranberry juice, looks down, and he just – and he goes, okay, let's go. And he walked away, and there's just this huge explosion from the vial. And I'm like, damn. One, two, five. <laughs> going. The thing is, the fire keeps going. And the, this scene goes on for like a couple minutes where they're standing there just watching this fire that continues to go. You're watching it burn, but that's after they eliminated the entire werewolf population in the air. I mean, I'm like sitting here going, Wow, these guys really are badasses, I guess. I mean, so that that part was cool, but these werewolves go down real easy. You got to personally also love just that bit where they're actually talking about the weapons they're bringing along. Prism, the consecrated oil. Wax from the sacred candle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just offhandedly say that you're in possession of the Holy Holy Grail? (laughs) (laughs) That's hush. I mean, Indiana Jones found it three years ago. I mean, relax. It doesn't matter. I mean, bury the lead, (laughs) why don't you? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) they show all those, they show all these bladed medieval weapons, and then they're like, Oh yeah, then we got this rifle. <laughs> so, of course, Red Brown goes right to the rifle. That's, that's more my style. That's how Red Brown agreed to this part. I'm sorry. Of course, he because did. he's an idiot. <laughs> he was the hush. smartest guy. He was the smartest guy. He's looking at these medieval weapons, going, no, "That's going to kick our ass. That's going to kick our ass." Oh, you got a rifle? I'll take that. Yeah, like, exactly. You lead with you have, that. You have creatures that jump and have claws, so sword uh, short. Short-range combat with tiny little knives is 
probably not preferable to a long range weapon <laughs> that can shoot from yards away. And but, one of my favorite scenes, parts of that sequence where they literally eliminate every single werewolf is Red Brown shooting him and screaming. Well, Christopher Lee eventually pulls out a revolver, too, though. He's like, screw this knife stuff. And, and he, he tosses it to Reb, because yeah. Reb eventually has the shotgun next to his dick and then the revolver next to his dick. And he's just going left, right, left. And he's just screaming incoherently. And well, no. I got a little turned on. Oh, of course you did. It's Reb Brown. It's what Reb Brown does. So here we go. They eliminate all of the werewolves in the area with their, their dick shooting. And... Uh, uh, Van Helsing. I want to say Christopher Lee, but he's basically Van Helsing. Van Helsing, yeah, absolutely. Van Helsing. I mean, there was a lot of Dracula werewolf confusion here. Oh, big time, big time. Christopher Lee comes in and finally meets Sybil Danning. The epic standoff between boobs and Dracula. Finally, we meet again. For the last time. Stefan. You never could resist me. So, and they have this, this standoff where we're inside of his head. He's saying, Silver must be destroyed, and I will do it. Silver must be destroyed, and I will do it. While, while she's you shooting. You never resist me. Witch, yeah, witchcraft finger powers. Like she wants to fuck him. Basically saying, oh, we need to be together, lover. We Absolutely, love. that's what she was saying. Yep, it was Christopher yep. Lee, wouldn't you? Well, well. Um, um, <laughs> he wasn't 90. He wasn't um, 90 during the Paint Derek into a corner. <laughs> um, he did look pretty good in that suit, but yeah. Yeah, he did look at it, it, Let's just say he's not my type. He had titanium spikes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, newsflash, listeners of Astro Radio Z. You want to get into Angelique's pants? Have titanium spikes. There you go. So, so what ends up happening? Uh, Christopher Lee obviously vanquishes Sybil Danning, and then <laughs> Reb Brown runs out with Jen. Out into the middle of a plaza where there's a festival going on, points a gun at, at a violinist, <laughs> and then says, "Which way is the fastest way to the airport?" And then gets on a plane and flies away. So this is basically the end of the movie, except, except, except. except oh, hey, hold your horses. <laughs> they're back. They're back in the USNOB, and there's some scene in a totally throwaway scene. Where somebody knocks at the do- at the door, and then Reb Brown and Jen decide to go and talk to the next door neighbor, who is the creepiest, weirdest priest on the face of the fucking planet. Now, did anyone feel that this throwaway little scene just like slapped them across the face? Like, what the fuck was this? He was not a priest. That was a Halloween costume. He was all over Craigslist. Whatever it was. He was like, hey, you come over soon. I got a chainsaw. You got a bush. Let's go. What's creepier about it is he's a priest and, hey, I saw a little kid run in here. And he's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) Please, come come over later. I, I have no wife. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're going, well, that's just a bit creepy. I don't have any children. <laughs> but I'm about to. Anyway. <laughs> just the ones in my closet. 
But can we, can we go back just really quick? I, I, I know we're getting to the end here. We want to move on. But I just want to say the scene where uh, – what's her name? I forgot the names, but our, our reporter, she got kidnapped when she's hanging there. Did anyone notice how she just mysteriously got more bloody and dirty? They were having crazy werewolf bathory sex with her. Yeah, but they didn't apply that. They just, they just came up and wiped her arms with blood and left. Who has time for that? Who has time? I I will say that the kid that shows up at the door in the werewolf mask for the trick or treat, uh, I don't know who made his mask, but man, I want that guy to do every Halloween costume. For I want that, that was excellent I want that makeup. Guy to do, I want that guy to do all the rest of the makeup for the Howling movie. <laughs> yes, I know, right? I mean, that it was, was better than all of the Howling werewolves from here on out. So the kid comes up, and obviously, creepy. Uh, we have the creepy uh, priest next door. Then. Let's get to it, folks. Let's let's end this right. We get to the epic end credit sequence, immortal credit sequence of Howling 2, which is probably well known for beyond anything, anything that we had just talked about, where we are then treated again, recycled, because this is a main thing that happens throughout all of this film, is that they recycle so much footage in this movie over and over and over and over and over again that we then see the club sequence again with the epic hobbling theme that we've heard 15 times before in the film. (laughs) And, And then... Intermixed in this, we basically get what amounts to be a, a, a sizzle reel of all the best footage from the film. And when I say all the best footage, I mean one shot of Sybil Danning tearing off her, her top 15, <laughs> 16 times. Well, that was the chorus. So yeah, every every good hard, hard downbeat was a bam, bam, nothing but nibble. Absolutely, absolutely. Mr. Andrew Shearer, would you like to wax nostalgic about this end credit sequence? Wax. Yeah, dude. Hey, check it out, man. You gotta remember, this movie came out in the VHS era back when you had to rewind and slow motion. You know what I'm saying? One boob in a whole movie. Somebody, like, went to the future and came back and went like, hey... <laughs> Let's just do this, man. This is gonna help out a lot of somebody. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like it's some Back to the Future two type shit. It's the sports almanac of, of masturbation and VHS. I mean, it's it's just great, man. That's so cool. I, I it's one of the. It's not just one. It's the best thing that happened in the Howling movies to me. It's the best thing that happened in almost any movie. <laughs> It's it's agreed. It it seriously now now there were multiple versions obviously of this film and of that end credit sequence. Yeah, that and were out there. says that she got she got upset and went after the premiere, went to the producer and like you got to you know take that shit out, you know. But I think she kind of probably realizes that that <laughs> you know, and as far as cult movie, uh, you know. The whole universe of that is concerned. That's some. That's some ultimate type shit. I mean, Russ Meyer never even cut a scene like that. It is seriously just flabbergasting. The first time you see it, as a as a man or a woman who's a lover of women, it blows your fucking mind. Glenn, this end credit sequence. Did you have both hands? 
on deck or were you incapacitated at the time? Um, I was still busy cleaning the shit out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> by this point, I, I, I had probably less interest in, in the Howling 2 than Christopher Lee did. It's, it's really hard. The film is nonsense. So let's go ahead. I think on that note, let's go ahead and give her thumbs up, thumbs down on this across the board. Angelique, we'll start with you. I have to give it a thumbs up simply because of the sheer audacity and ambition of everybody in it. I mean, I mean, come on, you've got Christopher Lee in it. How could you possibly give it a thumbs down, especially when there are that many boob shots? Plead that case. Good job. Mr. Mark, the movie man. Oh, um, I can't give this a thumbs down because Christopher Lee's acting in a completely different movie than everyone else. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for validating me. He is, he is making some movie. He's gone over to his happy place and going, I can't believe I agreed to this. This is the movie I'm making. I don't know what the hell these people are doing, but this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> And up until the final scene with Sybil Danny, it's like Christopher Lee's just doing his own thing. I enjoyed Christopher Lee in this. I enjoyed him because he was like the anchor of of, of sanity to the rest of the bullshit. I he's Christopher Lee, and he, he even in a crappy film like this. Uh, He's still being Christopher Lee. He's still playing this part. You can tell he doesn't like it, but by God, is he playing the part he's been hired to play. And for that, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that and its awfulness. Uh, you know, as BFG said, he, it's it's yeah, it's that bad. It's good. But I watch it for Christopher Lee. I, I enjoyed him. I focused on him. When he wasn't on screen, I checked out. But when he was on screen, I was like, yeah, okay. So I give it thumbs up for, for the boobs and Chris Lee. <laughs> I like how you slid the boobs in there. You slid the boobs in at the very last moment. The whole, the whole <laughs> fucking monologue about Christopher Lee. And then you're like, yeah, well, I like this movie for the boobs and Christopher Lee. Well, <laughs> I'm a guy. Simple Danny. Hey, I'm a chick, and there were some really good boobs in this movie. I'm sorry. All right. I I love that, Mark. Well done. Seth, your turn. Uh, Two big thumbs up. Uh, For all the bullshit that goes on in it, I loved everything about it. Christopher Lee bringing the class, Sybil Danning bringing the ass. Just weather-clad nipple fest of bullshit gore and... Uh, just excess. I love it. Love it, brother. All right. Scott Davis, you. I agree with everything that has been said. I can't, guys. I just can't. I've had to watch this movie so many times. Uh, first, when I rented it on VHS back in the day, and then I've had to like review it. Like This is like the third time I've had to review it over the years. Um and I, I I agree with yeah it's 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 amazing to watch it because it's so bad it's amazing to watch because it's so bad they're currently rebooting Mystery Science Theater the three thousand right now with a new cast uh, it's owned by like the Shout Factory people who, who just released it on Blu-ray please do this movie guys uh, but honestly no. I can't. It. I love boobs. I love all the trash and stuff. But it. But I keep on. But I always wind up screaming at the move at the 
TV screen every time I'm watching it. I don't know why. It's, oh, it's so painful. This movie is so painful for me every single time. So I've got to give it a thumbs down, guys. I'm really sorry. I just got to do it. It's just it's this movie causes me physical pain. It really Whoa. does. <laughs> wow. Whoa, like before three, you're going there before three, you're going there. Yo, it's oh, really bad. Oh, and, 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 and you know what? I'm sure like it's and uh, and since we've got six more of these movies after this, this is going to be a rough year. <laughs> Dude, be downer here. No, nah, let me tell you, after we just had to watch six fucking Vice Academy movies, this is like, oh, this, this is like, Vice I Academy won. is so awesome. Compared I to just, this. this feels like I just won a presidential pardon to <laughs> watch the, Har- the Howling movies. And the only matter of physical pain that I get from these is the possible hard boner that I'm getting watching Sybil Danning tear her top off 15 different times. Please, guys, let's move on. Mr. Mr. Andrew Shearer, thumbs up or thumbs down? Hey, I give it a thumbs up, man. You know, so we I, we do make a lot of mention about Sybil Danning, but I want to make sure we don't go, let this go past without talking about Marsha Hunt. She's mm-hmm. one of the few black women in horror movies and definitely one, another person responsible for a lot of nudity in this film. Uh, Marsha Hunt was with Christopher Lee in uh, Dracula AD 1972. Yes. And, uh, probably best known for, uh, supposedly, she's definitely the father of one of Mick Jagger's uh, kids, but she... Uh, <laughs> Supposedly, the song Brown Sugar was written about uh, Marsha Hunt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that uh, I wanted to make sure we mentioned she's really fine, too. And, you know, bring some some uh, some of the nudity as well for the movie, too. So I want to make sure we mention that. Definitely. She's awesome in this flick. So, Glenn, thumbs up, thumbs down. I got to do a thumbs up just solely for the fact that you can watch this and find out what Hammer Horror Films would have been like if it was made in the late 80s. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I couldn't agree more. I also give this a huge thumbs up. I watch this movie all the time. I literally, before it was decided that we were going to do the Howling series, I had just watched this movie on my shitty old VHS that I showed before. And I watch it at least once a year or once every other year. Um, this movie is just pure hijinks. It's it's just what shit film fans like salivate for. It it, it it's got hokey hokey monsters, tons of action. Red Brown. How could you like Red Brown instantly in a movie puts the camp level past the roof? You already know what kind of movie you're in for at that point. And then you have these beautiful women, people just writhing around with like glued on hair and snarling at each other. And it just this movie is ridiculous. I absolutely love this movie. So big thumbs up. These you're going to get you're getting on this episode extremely happy Derek because as we're moving on to the third part you're gonna find out I really like these three movies so next you are going we're going to talk about now howling three the marsupials made in 1987 it is the beginning of the end that's a camera What's so funny, fellow? 
It's loose in the Soviet Union. Do we tell the powers that be? I'm not telling them. It's not the full moon that makes you wild. The moon doesn't do it. Do you realize what this means, Sharp? A new species of human. The beginning of the end. It's quite beautiful. Beautiful? Yes, Mr. President. Is it a goddamn Polaroid of Jesus Christ or what? How many more of them there are out there? We are turning into a little monster, aren't we? We understand the scientific significance of studying them. However, we are of the opinion they should be wiped out completely. They should be eliminated. Don't touch me! So Howling 3, The Marsupials from 1987. Now, you're wondering, The Marsupials, what the fuck is... It's a werewolf movie, right? Well, we have Philippe Mora, who directed the amazing part two. You heard it here first. You know, uh, Scott Davis said how much he loved Howling part two. Mm. So we have (laughs) Philippe Mora back for part three. And uh, it's really hard for me to grasp exactly what this film is about. So I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Glenn Bittner, and he's going to tell us what the plot synopsis is of Howling 3, the Marsupials. Glenn, go for it. Yes, Howling 3, Marsupials. It is a tale as old as the ages. Uh, Boy meets girl, girl has a pouch, dude fires a rocket launcher in a tent. I mean, they've been telling this story for hundreds of years. Hundreds. (laughs) (laughs) And there, folks, it's only three the marsupials in a nutshell. Shakespearean. I'm crying. I'm crying. It it, it literally, that sums up, you know, well, one, it gives you the highlights of the film. (laughs) But just in general, this film is batshit fucking crazy if you ever saw any exploitation film you know what you're in for say you saw a turkey shoot and you're like oh fucking hey i love this film some people saw as escape 2000 where and you're like i need more like that howling through the marsupials will fit in quite nicely because this is actually has nothing to do with the previous film it uh, has nothing to do with any of the books because, again, they decided, even though it gets credited as part three, he decided, nah, I'm just going to do my own thing. This is actually a standalone film. And Philippe Mora must have had uh, a deal already to make this uh, before part two came out because I can't imagine after part two came out, anyone would get the nod to make another one. Oh, the, the, the producer talks about this. Uh, he, um, for some reason, there's an extra on the, on the Blu-ray of Howling about where the producer just talks about every single sequel really briefly. And he must be the most affable guy in the world because he doesn't hate any of them except for maybe the seventh 
Uh, which he didn't have anything to do with. And he said, yeah, uh, Philippe said he would like to give, have a shot to do a, another Howling film uh, based because he feels he kind of screwed up the part two. I don't know what he's talking about. I thought part two was a really good movie. <sighs> so <laughs> he decided, to, so Philippe decided, he gave Philippe free reign. And, free, and since Philippe Mora is an Australian director, he made a quintessentially Australian air, uh, werewolf movie. Yeah, it couldn't, be, it couldn't be more Australian werewolf, if he yeah. tried. It, I mean, werewolf in quotation marks is, every, you can hear by through everyone right now, it is not necessarily a straightforward werewolf. Now, the, as Scott had just alluded to, Fleet Moore was disappointed in the way that the second film came out because the film was recut with more boobs that he didn't add into there. And he wanted to rectify this by making a PG-13 werewolf film. <laughs> he raised all of the money. And he had complete control of the content. So what does he make? As Glenn said, he made a film where werewolves are marsupials and have pouches. Um, Yeah, Uh, this film has (laughs) let's just go into the style of this film real quick, as we did with the last one, because really, if there's anything you're going to point to in this film, it's the style of the film. Because the content is so all over the place that I really firmly believe this is a film you have to watch multiple times to really get your head around to understand what the fuck is going on in this movie. It's batshit fucking crazy. There are jump cuts in time everywhere. People talk to the camera. They break the, the third wall. And, and it just literally like at times it's a found footage movie. At times it's a regular film. At times people are talking to the audience at times they're not. There's hard transitional noises like lasers in between scenes at times. Um, there's a lot of self-referential uh, comments on film itself, on uh, society, on the government. There's a lot of metaphorical tones to this film. Overt black humor. This film is much more of a comedy than it's anything else. The main thing is that it nothing at all in this film is subtle. Glenn, what do you think of the style of this film? It is definitely an Aussie film, first of all, uh, because nothing makes a lick of fucking sense. I'm trying to think where I've seen worse-looking werewolves or an uglier baby. Um, <laughs> that, that, that Georgie Animal Steel thing that she has as a baby is terrified. <laughs> okay, so what we're talking about is character Jaboa who uh, is is this marsupial werewolf. She runs away from her her tribe and goes into the city and then becomes an actress in a shitty underground film called Shapeshifters Number 8. You know, this movie is about pop culture. In the 60s, Andy Warhol showed us how pop could be high art. In fact, everything is high art. That's what this is all about. For example, in your first scene, you'll be gang-raped by four monsters. She meets this boy, they fall in love, have sex constantly, and then she gives birth after two days to this little puppy wiggly worm thing that crawls into her. Yeah, into her pouch. This is what Glenn is referring to. So Glenn, continue with the puppy furry worm thing that (laughs) crawls into her pouch. Yeah, I just, man, I just like there's the three females. 
that always, I mean, their fucking faces, I mean, it looks like stuff you'd buy at a Bart's party supply. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just so bad. that such awful, awful makeup effects that are, it's, it's laughable. I mean, beyond laughable. Although we do get a werewolf ballerina, so there is that. Oh, yeah. So, so what you're referring to is a Russian werewolf, because now not only are there regular werewolves in America, there and marsupials in Australia, there are Russian werewolves that have six nipples. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just like, like normal Russians from what I'm told. Don't, don't um, forget her and, pouch glows. Her yes, her pouch glows. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean. That, that's, dude, it, that's how you know someone's talking about it. Marsupial marsupial young are known for having pouch raves. So (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So so here we are. This film is already in this conversation's already off the rails. Seth what did, what did you think of this one? I know you're a big Aussie film fan. Uh, this movie, I think it was about the 40-minute the mark, which felt about two hours long. It hit me that this movie is Troll 2 through and through. I mean, I know Troll 2 came out a couple years later, but there's so many similarities to it, including the stupid village name that is Wolf Backwards, Blow. <laughs> And and the uh, the the weird like uh, shaman guy from the the werewolf village that reminded me of Grandpa Seth from Troll Two, who just sporadically shows up yelling his fucking lungs out at everybody. The whole thing is just batshit crazy. The pouch creeped me out. The little worm dog thing needed to get stepped on. The whole fucking movie <laughs> is it, it just blew my mind that this managed to get made. It's uh, the the makeup effects. Oh my gosh! It is just it is just downright shocking. What? Well, one, it's very ambitious. The film's very ambitious. The story is it changes on a dime every half hour, and sometimes every fifteen minutes. But um, it's it, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Um, Andrew, what did you what did you think of this one? Oh, you know, man, I like. I didn't really remember it, but then when that that movie, Not Quite Hollywood, came out, that documentary about Ozploitation, I saw the scenes in it. I'm like, fucking what? That was Howling Three. I don't remember all that shit. (laughs) And kind of most of what it showed was uh, uh, the stuff from uh, what is it? Something from Uranus. The movie that he takes movie within a movie. Yeah. Um, So I was like, I gotta, I gotta watch House. I got, I got Howling Three off Netflix after I watched that documentary. And I just remember really digging it. I'm like, this is kind of a parody of the other Howling movies and like the special effects, especially how they're all like funny, stretchy balloon face shit was yeah. a great takeoff on the way those stupid, I'm sorry, effects were for the first movie. <laughs> and and uh, I just thought like, you know, especially with the sexual element too, it was just like the Australians making fun of the Howling, you know, so people really, when they talk about the Howling movies being comedy or whatever, being funny, this is the movie they mean as the best Howling movie to me. I love it. <laughs> 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 I mean, I like the I like an original thing. Like, I like a memorable thing. You know, I not, the other two weren't as good as I remembered them being, but this was this was great. It was like way better than I remembered it being. I I just like 
don't know, man. I'm, I'm big on originality to me and just like an audacious kind of thing. And it really did its own thing. Didn't give a shit about <laughs> making sense or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just like it. I, yeah, I then it really doesn't give a shit about anything other than it wants to do what it wants to do. And mostly what it wants to do is lamb-based everything literally yeah. everything yeah and, and i even like the the woman the, the 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 one who has the 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 kangaroo baby or whatever i thought she was really really pretty um i thought she was a good actor so much yeah. yes all my favorite acting too um is in this one as well well and i have to say when i rewatched this one uh the other day i said i, I thought to myself God, Andrew probably loves this fucking movie. <laughs> I've been on enough of these shows to where y'all kind of get a sense of what I mean. I'm, for those who don't know, I mean, I'm, my profession is a movie critic. So I'm, right now is Oscar time. And so I've been watching a lot of really depressing, <laughs> sad, and having to write about it and all of that stuff. And I'm like, Howling 3 was exactly what I needed, man. So thank you for thinking of this and for letting me be on it. Because I was like, Howling 3 made my, made my fucking month, man. Dude, I knew you were going to dig this. Like when I revisited it with Amanda, who couldn't be on the episode, she watched all of them with me, but she watched it. <laughs> she liked it too. Oh, she loved it. She yeah. you know, ha- most of the way through it. She kept looking at me going, what the fuck is this? Right. It's unreal. <laughs> but like, I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of it or anything. I don't think it's bad. I think you could not try you know what I'm saying? To, to make a movie as crazy as that. There is so much in this movie that's so bonkers. And let's talk about let's talk about the, the lead character, Jaboa, who is the main marsupial. Who and named see. after shampoo, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so her and her man have this sex where he's in bed with her. She doesn't want to take her top off. And he wakes up and then looks down and her entire abdomen is hair. So it, instead, it, but it doesn't, you're not, it's not really apparent. She has a pouch. It just looks like she has bush for days. Well, it, it looks like she has a cesarean scar. Yeah, for real. More that's, than what anything. That's, that's what I thought. I was like, did the stepfather cut out her wolf baby from times past? Because when it opens and you get to see her for the first time, she's being taken back to the man. And Don't be afraid of me, my child. I want to help you. I don't need any help. You should not run away from home. I don't like home. Why, child? Because my stepfather tried to rape me and he's a werewolf. And it was like, oh, Jesus. But I was like, is that a cesarean scar? But then it what turns it out like. to be her pouch. That right. was cool. See? See? Cool. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bobby. You've been waiting. Go for it. Let me take you back <laughs> to, when oh, I, to, when I was, to when I was 12 years old. So you're going to have to go like way, 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 way back in the time machine here. And this movie came out on video because it didn't come to uh, our area in theaters at least. Uh, where I was living in New Jersey at the time. And um, my, I would always rent these movies. I loved B-movies. I loved exploitation films. And I would rent this stuff all the time. And I wasn't I was wasn't quite at that age where I was really able to rent R-rated movies, and this was PG-13. So it was the first Howling film I had ever seen. And I rented it. And I remember starting it up. My parents had no interest at all in anything I, I watched. You know, my dad doesn't like fiction, period. Uh, my mom just thinks they're stupid movies, whatever. She sees this come on screen. She sees the marsupials. And she just starts 
freaking laughing, just busting a gut. And I'm like, why? What is a marsupial? I mean, I was going to private school, so unless it was about Jesus, they didn't teach you what it was. And um, I had the same reaction. Yeah, so I didn't know what a marsupial was. And my mom told me, she says, a marsupial is like a kangaroo. It's a creature with a pouch in it. I said, so the werewolves have pouches? I just looked at my mom. She did not even scold me for looking at her dead center and saying, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> and... and Throughout the film, when I watched it when I was 12, and I had not watched it again until like about a week ago for this show, I still have the same reaction. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> like, I told, like I told everybody before the start of this, I had never watched Howling 3 until having to watch it for this episode. And I pretty much had the same reaction, oh. except alone in my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it's like when you do these franchise shows, unfortunately. And uh, I mean, yeah, I'm thank you, Seth, for bringing up the Troll 2 thing, because when I saw Troll 2 years later... I said, holy crap, not only is the twist of the story stupid, they ripped it off of Howling 3. It's got, like, just ridiculous things where, people, where the uh, U.S. government, uh, classified as the National Intelligence Agency, not the Central Intelligence Agency, knows about werewolves. I'll have to speak to the president. No, that won't be necessary. The president has given me the authority to take charge of this situation. You will report to me. Uh, you've got Michael Pate, who also played the president in Philippe Mora's Cap Return of Captain Invincible, incidentally. Uh, you got um, just ridiculous things going on and on and on. But you got stupid things, too, like the werewolf, ba marsupial werewolf baby, which looks ex almost like just like the thing that uh, the little creature from House 2, the second story. Yes. Anybody remembers that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it kind of looks like that. And you have this thing where, okay, not only does he see fur on his lady's chest and not react to it, <laughs> later on he finds out that he's having a child. Yes, okay. I love where this is going. Then he sees the child. He sees the child in person, and she shows that this child, this weird creature thing, come out of her pouch. You're, and now, you're, well, I mean, Mercy came out of her vajay. Let's be, let's be cool your about this. exact reaction. Now, now, you'd think, no, even if you turn out to be ultimately cool with it over time, you'd expect your first reaction to be, There's got to be some kind of shock there. What's his reaction to this completely alien creature no one's ever seen? Is it, is it a boy or a girl? That's Big it. smile. That's He's not it. traumatized at not all. Not at all. Not at all. This is like, you know, this is like freaking Thursday for him. This is nothing. Maybe that's what it's like in Australia, man. Well, you know, Australians, you know, and I've met my fair share of Australians. They live differently, man. Maybe his they live on another was level. in Australia oh, is out to kill crap. everybody that is there. Maybe his previous girlfriend so, was Including Dame Edna. <laughs> Dame Edna is out to kill everybody and everything. She is the number one predator in Australia. I'm going to get you, possums. Exactly. So I mean, this is—it is not surprising that there is a ton of werewolves or were marsupials. Werewolves. 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 I like the kangaroo. Kangaroo wolves is the best. Kangaroo wolves. Yes. Is the best. Yes. I like that. They're 
it is not surprising at all between camel spiders and platypi and <laughs> kangaroo wolves. Any, everything in Australia is out to kill you. So this is this was not a surprise. Didn't they make a like a joke about the the duck billed platypus in this yes. movie? Yes, they did. I was just about to say that there is a scene where they they you know equate basically. Oh yeah, why is this out of the ordinary that we werewolves would have you know a mutation where some of us have have this where the platypus actually you know they equated what a duck and a what fucked and they <laughs> had a baby. I I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Duck and a beaver. Oh they, my god! They, they bring that backstory up is that the legend is that this like now okay was it a guy who loved a woman that was a wolf or a woman that loved a guy who was a wolf? I forgot. Oh, it was dude in, in no, love it with. Was, the- the Tasmanian wolf yes. hunted down and killed in the spirit of the Tasmanian wolf angered so that it, it changed the people into where with the kangaroo wolves. Oh, but they, but they also had a legend or something about a guy who loved a wolf, didn't he? It's like a At fake old movie, point. like the Cannibal he Wolf was, Holocaust. I mean, yes, it was. I love that. Yeah. It, it is can, it's cannibal. Worse than <laughs> it's, it's cannibal Wolf Holocaust. Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> Holocaust. <laughs> we need to copyright that name immediately. Kangaroo <laughs> Yeah, copyright that and make Get sure it. that kangaroowolf.com is, is available, folks. Get it before the Sell asylum gets to it. Asylum. Gets to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. They're already on day two of production. They're they're kangaroo. So, Mark, the movie man, what did you think of uh, Howling 3 Kangaroo Wolf Holocaust? (laughs) Um, I took some notes. uh, I never read my notes from any of The least native-looking natives ever. I mean, ever. Those were not. They, I don't know who they found, but what do you mean that you are you talking about the <laughs> Aboriginal guys? The Aboriginal guys. They they seem legit. There was this uh, that awesome scene where <laughs> that one Aboriginal guy <laughs> flat out tells the dude. Could you imagine? You got one tooth. So you put one tooth down in your mouth. It'll come out of your asshole. No shit. Love that dude. He's the best. <laughs> but they have that found footage from eighteen whatever fuck. And the uh, natives are smiling at the camera. I'm like sitting here going, what, what, where did they find these guys? And what tri- are they? Australia. The, they're, they're like the tribe that no one attacks because they're just too pitiful that they, they're not even worth it. But besides that, yeah, there's the found footage angle. There's the breaking the fourth wall at some point. Why are we being filmed? Uh, don't let it bother you, Beckmeyer. We are recording everything here for future generations. Please go on. Wait, what? You're acknowledging the camera. What? What's going on here? Um, it's so random. I will say I do enjoy uh, the Jerboa character, not just because uh, she's hot, yes. but she gets some of the best – she does some of the best acting in this film for a positive because this film, when I first saw it, I just, I hated it completely. And I, I've never been a big fan of the series in general, except for the first one. But I watching this one again now, having watched many, many, many films. And I will say that I think uh, Imogen and Nestle 
puts in a actually a decent performance in here as her character, namely for just the scenes. And I, I love the little tidbits where they're watching the werewolf movie, and she just nonchalantly, she's just cold as ice. She's just like, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll show you later. I just, I just loved how she, she, she played that off because the dude's totally pointless. And I'm like, dude, warning signs. I'm like, I'm like sitting here going to be like watching a slasher film. And she goes, nah, blood doesn't burst like that. It's like, she's got nice boobs. It doesn't matter. Well, true, well, Mark, what about her epic scene? Probably the, the pinnacle of her acting turn in this movie and perhaps the pinnacle of the film. Mm. It, when later, when um, their aboriginal buddy who just summoned the spirit of uh, Air Muno, who yeah. is the, the Phantom, and he ends up dying because he kills all these hunters who, for some reason, forget how to use their weapons as soon as a werewolf <laughs> comes by. And she runs over to him and, and, and like, consoles him. And- you'll turn into a river, Kendi, and then a rainbow, and then you'll be a mountain. No way. I'm just going to die. It's a great scene. That was actually a good scene, actually. Yeah, Aboriginal spirituality, the the whole, you know, recycling of the spirit and reincarnation and that sort of thing. Which I mean, honestly, to the to the you know, Australian and Aboriginal spirituality kind of thing, you know, kind of plays into it, the spirit of the wild and, and whatnot. And the whole thing about this wanting to be free and wanting to be our own tribe or whatever, you know, they really were kind of put upon by the, you know, the government or the man or whatever, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. But where'd she get the money for the bus ticket? Is my question. There was then, a free bus. Here we the go free, again. And then, the priest on. paid for her ticket. The priest paid for her ticket because he was like, my child, this and that. And she's like, oh, well, my stepfather tried to rape me. And, oh, he's a werewolf. And the priest wait, is like, oh, shit. Wait, wait, wait. There was no explanation leading no. up to that. Because it jump, cuts from, it jump cuts from her running away. Right. Literally, she's not even three feet away from the fire. Jump cuts to her then riding a bus. Have Hold you on, never I seen Priscilla Queen of the Desert? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, there are people patrolling Australia from one end to the other. And if you got your thumb out, you can hook a ride. I don't care if it is Australia, but the director, to get the actress for his movie, chases her down like some kind wow. of stalker perv. Yes, the rapiest <laughs> chase scene. <laughs> Okay, no, no. Don't be frightened. Don't touch me. Look, I don't want to hurt you. I want to offer you a job. A job? Yeah. Dude, what the hell? This is your approach? Run out of a car and just start running after her? So there's that. Then I mean, they, then he know. looks past that, and she's like, yeah, okay, let's get it on. And they have the wettest sex. And, folks, I'm not talking about <laughs> wet like she's turned on. I'm talking about there's a leak in their waterbed. They should really look for it because when <laughs> look at how much hair she's got going on, though. They aren't just sweaty. Did they just come out of the shower or what? No, they have sweaty sex. Now, I can understand her because she's got a lot of fur. But, man, are they just... 
just wet. I mean, those sheets had to have like a pound of water in them. It's it, the early 90s. It's jazzercise. Everybody's wearing leg warmers. There's a lot of moisture be. above the waist. <laughs> There's a lot of moisture in that bedroom. They needed a dehumidifier because, man, they had some sweaty-ass <laughs> sex a couple times. I'm like sitting there going – you're wet. Get a towel or something. My God. Oh, and so then, so Mark, do you uh, have completely dry sex? Do you, is that what you're, we're basically alluding to? Is there uh, no, no. I'm in? saying well, a little bit of, that he never breaks. No, no I'm saying that the fires are guy, the, the guy who is in charge of the spray bottle to make it look like sex used a hose instead. A little. So spray you need for, a new spray bottle you know, guy. Is what I'm yeah, hearing. I almost just yes. spit beer all over my computer. <laughs> so so besides. <laughs> that then you've got an entire hospital that gets killed and there's no security no panic no house the cops or anything this whole hospital just got annihilated that's what you get with obamacare and and then and there's then, so much shit in here. I don't know. <laughs> I, there's a lot of, I've got a longer list. Anyway, pouch glows. Uh, yeah, she was the best part of it. I liked her character. I wish her character was in a better script because I enjoyed her character quite a bit. And I even dug the bits and pieces like with the phantom wolf and that. But then it takes a turn. Like I, I thought I was watching the return of the king. Because yeah, there's, there's like, four different endings to this movie. There's like freaking I'm like, oh, okay, so we resolved this up. Okay, wait, what? Wait, those kids are growing awfully damn fit. Wait, fifteen years later? Really? Yeah. And uh, then the third, act, the third act spans decades. You know, the third act spans almost twenty five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean honestly mind blowing. When she gives birth, I was done. I was like, I'm done with this. Okay, you had a Joey and it crawled into your creepy pouch and I know your metabolism is accelerated and everything, but I'm done. I'm done with the weirdness of this. And I mean, I've watched this, I think, five times since it became available to us to view. And I still am like, Anything past her giving birth is kind of a blur. <laughs> wait, wait. Are you trying to tell me, Angelique, that you weren't pulled in during the one hospital sequence where they basically strobe light Philo, who's the leader of the marsupials, who's a big, bald guy with a tiny face. No, the small face. You need an odorous wolf mongus. And, and, and all of a sudden, all these people run in to try and, and, and try and stop because the guy can't stop shooting the or flashing him with his light. For well, some I reason, mean, there's some tractor beam. And then all of a sudden, he breaks out as a werewolf and throws somebody out the fucking window. And it's the worst <laughs> The werewolves all had bunny ears. Falling down 40 stories to the sub song that's all falling down. I was just kind of like, eh. You know, they all had bunny ears. (laughs) It was all nothing but Easter bunnies to me. And the cops still don't show up, though. Yeah. It was was odorous wolf mungus the whole time. And... And I mean, I had fun when he was looking at the camera and laughing at his own, you know, image or whatever. But the minute she gave birth and was like, oh, I got to protect my baby. I was just like, check out. Yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, remember I, that they're not. There's no cops because they're all under the uh, auspices of the National Intelligence Agency. <laughs> no, remember, guys, the Pope did verify. <laughs> too. So, so it's okay. He can recognize whatever he pleases. You know, that's cool and all. But I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, they're different species. Fuck it, it's Australia. Oh my gosh! I, I, for me, I'm trying to figure. out she was an actress right she was a famous actress okay she's a werewolf first she i i'm hold on she <laughs> she has paparazzi that were probably following yes! everywhere yeah she doesn't change until she's getting her oscar at the cameras are flashing i'm like this is she's a big ass star and this is the first time she's had the strobe cameras flashing well, her in the right. face i mean look at, it, look at it she was out during the daytime and during the day as as a former photosensitive ec- epileptic you know, during the daytime, your strobes aren't as evident as they are during the evening when the award God. ceremonies are going on. Yeah, all of the photos, they showed nothing but photos in her sizzle reel. Exactly! <laughs> this was in my notes! <laughs> I'm trying the- to give them credit, okay? They I don't tried to enjoy this I movie, know, so but look at this! Look at this! This is a gift! Me. 90, half a bottle of 90 proof watching this movie! Multiple times, and I'm trying to give them the best. I can't, and I can't, I can't. Holy great marsupials has melted Angelique down. She has melted down into nothing. Is like the, uh, the the werewolf girls that were just getting hammered watching her turn into a werewolf at the award show. <laughs> Remember, the award show was the Academy of Laser Arts and Science. <laughs> For God's sake, Dame Edna is an institution. She was on Mr. Bean. God damn it. You know, Barry, to be fair, Barry Humphreys was in shock treatment, which I'll always appreciate. But well, that, that is a totally different realm than Howling Three. Well, I liked shock treatment. <laughs> oh, there were laser discs at the time, so laser arts. There you well, go. Let's not, yeah, let's sure. I just, I don't know that that whole scene. I'm just waiting for her to start, you know. The impression I got from that whole scene is I'm like, it's Peter Boyle. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. The ballerina was amazing. <sighs> yes. She was amazing until the bunny ears got put on. Okay. Yes. I'm glad we're moving. We're going back to some of the characters. The Russian wolf, who's the the ballerina, who's the bootleg Francis McDermott. Yes. Uh, who, who, Just a, a real, pawn. She was a pawn in the she whole. She had a scheme. hard time. She was great at looking very inhuman, which brings us to sure sign you're a werewolf. You will feel the need to growl and bare your teeth when you're thinking deeply. I'm the dead. Time, she was thinking about something. She said, You're a fucking werewolf when you start doing that shit. 100%. She had six nipples. And then how about let's talk about the, the scene where she's in. And we'll we'll start to wrap this up soon. The scene in the hospital, which was an emulation, a shitty version of the Exorcist 2, where uh, they're yes. talking. To oh, her. my God. You're right. 
<laughs> and and uh, the lead, uh, the other lead, the the professor who we haven't talked about yet, who had this amazing mustache, fights just fights his urge to kiss her mm. so hard. He this is knew a romance, she wasn't his. Oh, this is a romance made in in Hollywood. Oh, actually, Australia. Australia. Thank you. Australia. They're Romance made out. in Sydney. In flow. In flow. <laughs> flow there... is wolves built backwards. <laughs> where there is no poofdas. Let's get to the end of this film where you were alluding to. There's, there's this emulation scene where it's like a tie back to the end of part one. But it's like 25 years in the future where supposedly everyone wears orange. I don't I don't quite understand what that meant. But the film just it turns on a dime 15 million times. It makes no sense. Um, but I was highly entertained. Andrew, as as the silly film went went along, did you was this one of those films you just turn yourself off and just enjoy the ride? I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything really to turn off. I mean, I'm like I like trauma, you know. I like a lot of really outrageous type of stuff. But I I I just I just appreciate when something leaves an impression, you know. And it's listening here to y'all go. You've been the loudest and the the most outraged and all that. This has been the movie of the three that we've talked about that's elicited the biggest and uh, most enthusiastic response from you guys. Yes, and I think that says everything about the movie. It's why I liked it the most. It got the most enthusiastic response out of me too. It's just I'm looking for something that's pretty wild and pretty out there you know my dad was like that he liked like david lynch stuff that's why i like john waters stuff you know it's just to me very very memorable and very cool i have a feeling this is the high point of howling series for me that's just but i also don't know if i'm gonna be able to hang with everybody because i really when i watch movies man i don't think i use the same part of my brain as everybody else here (laughs) i'm not i don't give a fuck about what makes sense or why someone did something i'm just want the movie to do something to me you know what i mean like i want i want to i want to remember it i want it to make me because i was watching contracted part two last night there there's somebody there's a part where, where um there's a couple parts that are just like one thing is really original that happens i'm like shit how come nobody ever did that in a movie before i'm if i don't remember anything else from the movie i'm gonna remember that howling three's got a lot of stuff that it, oh, yeah. uh, that stuck with me man and i just i don't know i think that's worth doing i, I think that's worth i'm so, i'm sorry i said the wrong thing i think that's worth um commending i really think yes. they achieved something with this movie yeah, I think I agree. And let's go ahead and let's just wrap it up and give our thumbs up and thumbs down on this, folks. So I'll go straight to you, Andrew, seeing how you just said your piece. You're giving this a thumbs up? Yeah, two thumbs up. Homie's my favorite. I like yeah. it a lot, man. It's a crazy-ass movie, man. Pat on the back, Howling 3. Yeah, I, I knew the moment I, I was watching this and you wanted in, I knew you were going to love this one. It's going to be worth me watching all this other sh- I'm not going to say it shit. I'm not really looking forward to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to put my my good positive thinker hat on. You know, I'm going to put my pootie tang hat on. <laughs> good. I, yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I'm feeling I'm going to be the Scott of this franchise year. I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the guy that's holding strong. That's going to be loving these movies. <laughs> And while everyone else just deflates. I'm not, man, I'm not trying to make up my mind. I'm just saying I have a feeling there's not a Howling 3 with the, in amongst the rest of them. I just oh, got a feeling. I don't want to. I'm not going to say mm. anything, but I'm just going to give you a hint. Mm-mm. 
Um, so, <laughs> so uh, Glenn, thumbs up or thumbs down, bud? All right. Despite all I said about all the weird shit in this movie, I love this movie. I love pretty much everything that comes out of Australia when it comes to movies. Um, I mean, I could, I could probably watch a movie that was nothing but two Australians taking a shit for an hour and a half. You seen that documentary, Glenn? Not quite Hollywood. You seen? Oh that? man, that's yeah, absolutely so good. Dude. I yeah. just I. I, I love as bad, quote unquote, bad as this movie is. The fact is, it's supremely entertaining. It really, really is. Um, eh, mostly, I mean, I think it's a little long, but aside from that, I I enjoy this movie a lot. I've watched this one probably. I've probably only seen the original Halloween more than I've seen this one. So this is definitely uh, two thumbs way up for this one. Right on, right on, Scott. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Go for it. Well, apparently Scott's not going to be the Scott of this franchise. <laughs> because, yeah, okay, I want to say, well, first of all, a couple things in the movie's favor, just so you don't think I'm crapping on the whole movie. Um, no, Imogene Anesli, uh, if that's the correct way to pronounce her name, I hope it is, uh, who so plays Jermoa in the after lead. she got married, I think. <laughs> yeah, very cute. Is uh, She's really good. She's really good in the movie. And uh, I was also happy to see uh, character actor uh, Frank Thring, who you might have uh, recognized from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, yes. as the uh, director in the movie. I liked, I always liked yes. seeing him. He's awesome. But okay, here's the thing: is like no matter how many bizarre, wonder, weird things that are in this, I guess I just have a thing with the direction of Philippe Mora. Uh, you know, there's some, a few of those films I like. For instance, I think Communion is a fantastic movie. I wish more people watched that movie. Communion's incredible. Okay. Uh, but the Beast uh, Within is also a film that I've always enjoyed. Beast yeah, Within is a decent movie. It's like, I, I, I don't go as crazy about that as a lot of people do, but I do like that movie too, Beast Within. But I mean, but this, I don't know, something about the way he does it, it's too long, it's too kind of mysterious how he tries to cloak everything and just instead of go, just going for it. So I just, I know I hate this movie. I thought it was dull. Uh, even you had all so many crazy things happening in this movie. And still I was just waiting for the thing to be over. Thumbs down on this movie. I'm sorry. Oh man. Seth. Uh, well, the, the, the first howling is a legitimately good movie. And the second one I enjoy because it dabbles in the uh, Euro excess uh, kind of schlockiness. This one just took that, uh, like I said, Troll 2 Avenue and went with it, and I loved it. Just complete <sighs> nonsense that gets two thumbs up from me. I just had so much fun watching it that, you know, the bad turned to good. Awesome. Mark, when I first watched it, I really hated it. Uh, after watching it here many years later, um, I didn't hate it. I thought it went long. I could have uh, done without the uh, without the multiple endings. I hate to give it a complete thumbs down because I think it deserves being watched at least once for at least it's just craziness and obscurity and it's randomness. And as Andrew put it, I do look for something original. This would work almost like a TV series. Had they made it like a mini series almost because there's a lot of great ideas in here and interesting things he wants to explore. He crammed them all into one film. And I guess for me, that was just a little bit much. Uh, so I'd say watch it 
once. Uh, so, but then after that, I, I only rewatched it for the show. Otherwise, after I watch, you know, and Emogene is Emogene's the best part of the film. Mm. Uh, so, I guess kind of thumbs down in that you should see it probably once, but uh, I don't think it's a repeat viewing. At least not for me. Oh boy! Oh boy! All right. And I'm usually and I'm usually soft on films too. It's just I couldn't. I don't know what it was with this. Maybe it was the. It's just a little too random for me. It is. It is. And I totally can get that. I can totally get that stance. You know, maybe that's it. I'm not sure, but uh, it, I and that could be it. It's just that it was too too much. I, I'm I'm open to obscure stuff and Lynch stuff and all of that, but for me, this one it just didn't quite get there for me and i think i know where this is gonna go but i'll let her have her piece angelique thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up because i mean honestly to me a movie can be anything it being great oscar caliber or bad even intentionally bad it can be anything but boring this movie was not boring because it's constantly keeps you wondering what the F is going on. And I mean, just the blending of the, the specious aspect and the, you know, Hollywood aspect with the wonderful director, John, and then the government getting involved. It was not boring in the least confusing absolutely hard to follow sure craziness <laughs> on the werewolf mythos what's a marsupial let's talk about it because i had the national geographic cards when i was a kid in kindergarten and certainly none of them involved you know crazy ladies giving birth and then you know crawling into a pouch via her cesarean scar absolutely not but it wasn't boring i had a good time watching it and and it just leaves me just kind of scratching my head wondering what's next so i mean thumbs up not necessarily two but definitely you know what it's worth a watch cool cool and big shocker here folks one thousand percent two thumbs up one big marsupial penis up I love this movie, just like Andrew. For all the reasons Andrew likes this movie, I love this movie. I may have been dogging on it. It may have sounded like I was making fun of it. But I'm with Seth. I'm with Andrew. This movie is different. It's silly. It's jam-packed with tons of ideas that are that are not only explored but made fun of. It's, yep. it's a satire through and through. It's, it's editing is so tight it never breathes. It's constantly moving forward and, and, and sideswiping you and slapping you across the face. With it's a, not boring. It is not boring whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. Is it traditionally what people would consider a good film? Is it entertaining? Then, yes, it's a good film. And this film is so entertaining to me. It is just like the epitome of Gonzo cinema. Next episode of Astro Radio Z, we'll be talking about Gonzo sequels, which are sequels to films that go completely off the rails. This, if we weren't doing this episode, Howling 3 would have been included in that episode. Absolutely. It it would have had to be. It is seriously the epitome of of a movie going off the rails and not giving a flying fuck. I mean, at one point, and, and Glenn said, talked about it in his synopsis, there's one point where a dude 
in close quarters decides shooting a bazooka at something a foot away from him is a good idea. That's like Invasion <sighs> USA, man. Chuck Norris did that shit. Hey, exactly. Chuck Norris. Exactly. <laughs> so thumbs up for me. So let's <laughs> let's get right to this. There's a lot of non-werewolfery we need to discuss tonight. And we will start off with 1988's Howling for the Original Nightmare. Oh, God. Everybody's worst nightmare has returned. It's known simply as the howling. Every night I've been hearing this howling. There's something so sinister about these woods. He's out there. There's no big animals here, Bass. Don't worry. There's nothing in the forest to harm you. Original Nightmare, which essentially is just a retread of the original film, but supposedly a more accurate spot on rendition of the original novel. That's why it's called the original nightmare. Being somebody that actually read the original novel, it is closer, but it's a lot less rapey. So, I mean, if you... If, if that's something that you were you were hoping for, then you got it. Uh, here's, the plot, <laughs> here's the plot synopsis of Howling for the Original Nightmare from IMDb. A successful author moves to a new town after suffering a mental breakdown and is tormented by demons and werewolves. And I said it like there's a question mark because there ain't no fucking werewolves in this damn movie. Exclamation point point turns into a question mark. I don't want to get the the shortest remake of the incredible melting man ever. Oh, I had that in my notes too. Oh man, folks, you know. It, for a movie that essentially, if if you are a fan of the Were- of the Howling series up to this point and watched it through, you know what this movie is. It's uh, point by point, like the same movie, only done is like a quintessential 90s direct-to-video sequel. It has all the hallmarks of it, horrible music, zero style with their opening credits. It's just stark white text on a black background. Um, it, it's shot like a TV movie with zero visual flair, no camera movement. All of the images are four by three safe. Everyone stands in the middle of the screen and they're all uh, mid shots, um, flat lining, uh, lighting. And it's just everything is obvious and telegraphed and boring. And unfortunately, which which is the most shocking aspect of this, 
is that it was directed by John Hugh. Yes. Who directed Dirty Mary Crazy Larry and Escape from Witch Mountain and Legend of Hell House. Went from those films to direct this complete snoozer. There's really not a lot to say about it style-wise because there is no style to this film. Uh, Andrew, what would you say about Howling 4? I was really surprised, man, because like we were getting into now the ones that I had never seen before. You know, like I'd seen one, two, three, and those are, you know, I had never seen the rest of these. So I actually kind of got a little excited about it <laughs> when we ended the last one. I'm like, man, I'm kind of stoked to watch these. And then um, I started to think about like uh, if these were like if they took the same approach to Jason movies, people would have tore the seats out of the theater. They would have they they would have made the next Jason movie about what happened at the screening of the Jason movie. You know, just to think about it. Remember how how pissed everybody was about like part eight, where it's like Jason takes Manhattan and is like, well, he really takes a boat. You know, Th- yeah. this was like, oh man, I, I yeah, I don't get it, man. It was really like, is Werewolf so hard to make that you don't want to show it? You know what I mean? It's like, is was it a budgetary thing? I'm still. Still trying to figure that out. I mean, they have one great effect in the movie that Glenn already mentioned, and you know, but I just don't understand, man. I mean, it was like, is it a? It's not a much fucking. There's not much nudity. It just, you know, I would have been fine with no werewolf if they had put a lot of titty and just nothing, man. There's, there's really nothing. And when we're talking about titty, the boobs don't happen until 55 minutes into the movie. And if you remember the first film. The setup is essentially this couple goes out to a retreat or out in the woods um, as a getaway because uh, the female of the couple is distressed and needs to take her mind off of a trauma. In this film, uh, the, the lead character is an author who is stressed out from her deadlines and is having these dreams that are causing her to have these waking hallucinations. So they go out into the middle of the woods, her and her bootleg Richard Marks husband. Uh, <laughs> Another movie with a great there. mullet. Yep. He had a great mullet in a in a three-day shadow beard. Um, he was right there waiting for her when she got home. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but anyways, the nudity scene is the nudity scene from the first one where we got animated werewolves fucking. And this doesn't happen until 55 minutes into the fucking movie. I mean... She had the this, worst nipples I've ever seen. Okay, do you do you feel? I don't want to get really super into her nipples too much. But Why not? Oh, I thought I, I thought they were pretty fucked up too. I didn't want to sound like a. I wouldn't sound, want to sound like that one guy who's like, "Oh, what's wrong with this chick?" But you know, if Angela's on board, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just gonna be like, "Yeah." Was, I don't remember the nipples. Somebody tell me what's up. They're like multi-layer puffy nipples. Yeah, it was, it's oh. like there's a, there's a tiny little wedding cake sitting on the end of her boob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I really don't even. Is that bad that I don't even remember the nipple? I just think. No, it's not something about it. It's like a wedding cake. Gotta go yeah, back like, and your nipples. Oh, that actually sounds pretty cool. Man. It's not. It's like awful. A fondant one or like a, a an old school. 
like, yeah, like an old buttercream. More like a cupcake. More like cupcake frosting on top of it. You're not making this sound bad, dude. I I just wish now. Now I just wish that there was like a little like werewolf bride and a werewolf groom at the end of each nipple. That would have been so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That scene would have been a lot more interesting. I'll tell you that. It would have happened in Howling if Philip Mora make it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And and that's the thing about this movie in general is it's just like. Really, there is no style, so the movie is just boring and flat, and it goes nowhere. She, the most of the story after they decide to go to this little town, and it lo- it looks like a desert town. You you think that it was? It's of course some southern Californian desert town. Nope, this was actually shot in South Africa. So that is explains a lot of why a lot of the acting and a lot of the voice seems off because it was all dubbed. It almost every single line, every single sound effect in this movie was dubbed over. And the reason was is that they did shoot in South Africa during apartheid, my dad. And they were shooting in and around this area and often in this shack where there was like lots of noise nearby, including an airport that would just fly right over the thing. So every time that, so whatever they shot, they had to redub over because every time it's like, I don't know, I'm in this town and there are werewolves. So they had to do that. It was, and this is one of those rare cases where it wasn't a language barrier. It was a, you really didn't scout this location very well. <laughs> oh, it was obvious that it was completely dubbed over and it unfortunately made a lot of the performances extremely wooden, especially the temptress. Her, her overdub is a atrocious and makes her sound like a robot it's just it's really unfortunate seth i know you like these sleazy ass werewolves but man this thing came up flat what did you think of this wow what sleazy ass werewolves (laughs) (laughs) it felt like they just took the most basic plot outline and said fuck it let's go shoot it nothing nothing's planned out it felt like a Coke commercial at times to me because they just kept going to that general store and having Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I got out of this movie, that I wanted Coke. <laughs> Howling for the Coke nightmare. Oh, man. Well, that was the thing is that this little town, it, it almost seemed like it was some backlot, like Old West uh, town that it was built in Southern California for, you know, you know, back in the thirties or forties for people to shoot Westerns at. And it, it, it just was boring to look at. There was mu- not much going on. And then half of the film is this Scooby-Doo mystery about a missing nun that formerly owned the cabin that kills the movie flat. There's almost like nothing that goes on because it's the lead and her friend who's a, who's a fan of her novels decide to go on this hunt for this knowledge of these people for what reason i have no fucking clue and it doesn't really fucking matter because it goes nowhere absolutely all three, nowhere. yeah all three of these are actually scooby-doo mysteries if you think about it there's no monster and and there's a literal you know bad guy in every single one of them i thought six was kind of like a incredible hulk tv episode yeah, yeah, I got agree. Away with it, too, yeah. if it wasn't for you and your meddling cake boobs. <laughs> <laughs> the 
this is good. This is good. I love this. Mark, what did you think? I know you you text me every time we have these episodes. You live text me the entire time. Uh, telling, I'm just like, dude, just save it. You're giving away all your good stuff. But uh, Mark, tell the listeners what you thought of this one. Well, I do that because I have to share because I'm watching these for the show and I need need to share in the whatever is going on yeah this one i was texting derek and i'm like yep no werewolf yet (laughs) it's called the howling right (laughs) and then like 33 minutes in we get a little hint i'm like oh oh werewolf i'm like there better be titty in it so 45 minutes go by nope Still no day. <laughs> and then finally, minutes. And then 55 minutes. I'm like, finally, there it is. Oh, wait, there it goes. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this film, this, this, I, this film, I don't know. Uh, it was a snooze fest. Uh, I, the, the script, yeah. This author who apparently makes friends very easily because not only was this fan suddenly her, her, bosom buddy but she called these two people who just show up in her cabin from this rv she calls them their fr- her friends i'm like you knew them for like two minutes and and they're your friends what the hell and, and she's looking for the license plate and yeah they're doing this mystery with this nun and she's having visions of it was like the script was a werewolf mad libs and go Okay, I'll put this here. And I'll put this here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we need cake nipples here. Okay. And by the time you get to some werewolf action, I was like, wait, the the way the werewolf trans, tr- he, the way he transforms, he's got to completely melt into Jello Boon Bop. And then <laughs> he comes out. <laughs> As a werewolf. I'm like, what the hell kind of transformation is that? It's called the souffle method. It's a bit impractical to me. I'm just like So did he have to roofie himself in order to do that first? I'm thinking. I think he actually popped one before he, he melted. You know, and, and did that husband quote unquote boyfriend, husband, whatever he I guess husband. Richard Marks. Yeah. He's like all jealous because she's all buddy buddy with her agent. Yet how long did it take him to go sniffing around the butt of the, you know, the temptress in the shop? Yeah. I mean, he was there. He was practically doing that when they first met her. And I'm like sitting here going, this writing makes no sense. You really, dude? You're sitting here and I'm like, oh, yeah, the film, very little payoff for what you have to slog through on this film. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Honestly, there's that, that's why we're gonna have a tough time going on and on about uh, uh, the, at least the first couple of these movies is because they are essential. Like this one is essentially a soap opera version of the first film, mm-hmm. and it's shot in that way, a very made-for-TV type movie. And then the last. 10 minutes are great. Yes. He finally turns into the werewolf and melts and reconstitutes. And um, with all of these, the the townspeople chanting Satan, Satan, Satan. And they look like werewolf versions of the people from the Carnival of Souls. The movie turns really fun and the werewolf looks great. I was like, man, can you imagine if this was at least 
maybe half of the movie? <laughs> yeah, the last 15 minutes of this movie are incredibly great all the out right all of a sudden. Uh basically I'd say I would probably go as far back as the ridiculous twist where they find out that the nun who they thought was saying something like they thought thought she was saying something like we're all alone here or something like that. But I guess because she's got like some kind of speech impediment or something they didn't figure it out that she's saying And I guess, like, I would say everything from that, like, you've got to be shitting me uh, reveal all the way to the end, which is, I think, of like about 15 minutes or so, because that's when the guy becomes all melty. Andrew, you were talking about how uh, silly it was that um, uh, Robert Picardo melted a bit in the first one. And here he gets really melty, the werewolves, all the way to that ending. I'm like, Jesus, that's now that's the John Ho or who or however we pronounce his name. That's the one I know. Oh, okay. That's the, that's the guy I know from Legend of Hell House, man. That's like that level of crazy. And you know, Legend of Hell House, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, Escape from Witch Mountain, Watcher in the Woods. I mean, those movies got that crazy. But this one, it didn't get that until the end. And until then, we had to deal with, you know, Michael T. Weiss, the guy from that 90s TV show, The Pretender, the one who looked weird. I always thought it looked weird. As, and like, Freeway 2. And Freeway yeah. 2. That's right, he was in yeah, Freeway. Well, whatever. He plays aggressive Kenny Loggins in this movie. So, I mean, <laughs> he, he, I just didn't like it. He was constantly dismissing his wife. Even before he was under the werewolf spell, he was dismissing his wife. I don't know when. Christbury, we stop hassling me? And even after her dog is missing for several days, like, no, okay, a few hours, yeah, there, it might be nothing. A few days, there's something wrong. <laughs> Dude, it's, he didn't give one shit about anything she said the no. entire movie. No, he well, no, he was just a dick. He was a total dick. I mean, if this if his part if this movie was made about ten to fifteen years later than it was, that part would have been played by Thomas Hayden Church. I mean, this guy I mean he was he was that level of a dick, you know, like the guy from Sideways and everything like that. He was that level of self absorbed. I'm the victim here because no one's interested in my needs, that kind of person. And it, it was there was lots of stuff I actually enjoyed about the film, but I mean, it was so dull of until it could really go nuts towards the end. It, it, it might be, be and I'm just going to say it right now because I've already babbled, is that it might be because the, the part four and, and the next one, part five, are produced by Harry Allen Towers, who if you look, if you did ever do a check on this guy, he's produced like hundreds of movies uh, since the 50s and 60s. Uh, often from existing material, often public domain material, sometimes not. Uh, and some of them have been really great movies, and then some of them have been really, well, not. <laughs> so. Well, there's also another name attached to this that is quite, at least from this point on, a frequent contributor and primary, like one of the primary creative forces behind the subsequent sequels, Clive Turner. And you'll get to know this name and this man little by little as we go along in these movies, because he not only goes from producing to writing to acting, 
Uh-oh. to directing. Now, that's not this episode. Next episode, you'll get Clive Turner's magnum opus, oh, New Moon boy. Rising. <laughs> but but he is he is somebody who's attached to all of these subsequent sequels, and you start to wonder, well, what is the thread here that's like holding these things back? I don't want to put a name to it, <laughs> but somebody's <laughs> responsible for these non-werewolf movies. And everyone that he's attached to have a whole lot of non-werewolf action going on. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up part four, because I really don't think there's anything more to talk about with this movie. It's 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 a snooze fest. Let's go ahead and go down the line. Give a thumbs up, thumbs down. Glenn, thumbs up, thumbs down on this one. Oh, thumbs down big time on this one. Andrew. Thumbs down, man. You know, the, the sexually frustrated husband is really kind of a metaphor for how your ass will feel watching this movie. <laughs> it's it's totally – there's so little to talk about and to think about with this movie because it is essentially the same movie as the first one, only less stylish, less interesting. I forgot. there. I got uh, The original drummer for Guns N' Roses has a quick cameo as a tow truck driver. <laughs> you know who that actually is? Uh, the original drummer for Hanoi Rocks? I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I like your references because I get them. Um, that's actually the man I just discussed. That's Clive Turner. Oh, God. <laughs> well, he should have turned the truck around and went home. But I don't. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the, the, it's if you thought that Howling 1 was too much for you this might be more your speed so anyways scott thumbs up or thumbs down you know i and i didn't i didn't hate it as much as you guys did um i almost wish i could kind of like go eh, but you know push comes to shove i gotta give it a thumbs down uh it's not quite like you know trying to like dig into the earth thumbs down but it's definitely a thumbs down seth if you want to, I know you didn't say a whole lot on this one. If you want to say a little bit more, go for it. I know I'm moving, I'm pushing this along because I just, there's nothing going on in this movie, but thumbs up and thumbs down. Uh, it's all been said. Thumbs down. There's nothing more to say. Yeah, I agree, brother. Okay, Mark the Movie Man. Yeah, this is the Vice Academy 4 of the series <laughs> where nothing happens but a wedding at the end. Only in this case, a werewolf <laughs> happens at the very end with very little exploitation elements that you least like to see out of something like this. Yeah, thumbs down. Yeah, it's just not even worth it. The last 10, 15 minutes do not make it worth sitting through the other hour and 15 minutes. Though you do get some intermissions in between because they literally put in a fade in, fade out for commercial breaks. It felt like it really did feel like it was made for TV, even though this looked like that's why I called it the quintessential 90s direct to video film because it looked like all of those horror movies that were coming out on what was that, Hallmark? video 
No, yeah. Yeah. It looked like yeah. all of those fucking movies. Tri- Trimark. Trimark. There Trimark. you go. There Thank you. Not Hallmark. Trimark. I, I remember when this was coming out, and um, I, of course, was renting movies every weekend. I would try to like, rent like uh, four to five movies every weekend when I was in school and because I was a little kid at the time. And I saw the ads for this, and it was uh, IVE video as was the people who actually put it out. But I'm saying that because this is when people were sequel crazy i remember i think i think this was even like might have even been on like a tape of rambo 3 that i rented and there was trailers for this iron eagle 2 yeah. i think a watcher sequel or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that because i've re- i rented this i remember that yeah although i i will blame angelique I'm gonna have to go back to the 55 minute mark to see the the cake nipples because I. I mean, I will I will take a screenshot, screenshot and send to you guys if if, uh, if I must because I, I mean, beca- I had to pause it. I was like, "What is wrong with? Oh my god!" No, it's, it's been built up way too much. We can't not all about it. <laughs> Trust me, I remember it seared into my brain from when I was a child, from 1988. I remember seeing those nipples, and even at that age, thinking, "What?" What's wrong with those? Okay. Well, I mean, the whole sex scene was just terrible anyway. So, I mean, the fact that there were boobs in it doesn't really improve it any at all. Sounds like some very interesting boobs, I think. That's part of this discussion, <laughs> in my opinion. I think, Andrew, why you don't remember it is probably because you fell asleep at that point. Homie, not to make this about me, but it was fucking brutal to sit through these at night. I fell asleep so much, man. It took me three days to watch each one, probably. That's exactly how I felt watching the Vice Academy movies. It was the oh, movie viewing God. equivalent of being on the crew of the Revenant. These were rough. I, I I recall back in the day, and Angelique, I am going to get to you eventually. Oh, I know we're stringing this take off. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day, for some reason, and maybe it was, you know, you're more easily pleased when you're younger. And at that time, you know, when these were coming out, even just the slightest bit of sleaze, you know, when you're a young boy, Get you get you going. Oh, that was great. I remember liking these all of these movies when they came out. And now coming back to them, this movie was just a whole lot of fucking nothing. Just a lot of fucking nothing. Um, so is this this is some great A bullshit. Some old bullshit. <laughs> so Angelique, let's round this out so we can move on to the next boring movie. Um, <laughs> what thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. The best part of this movie was the theme song. Oh, you know? it's good. I'm glad it's you so brought good. that up. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and it's funny that Andrew. Oh man, when Andrew brought up Friday Thirteenth Part Eight, this song that. Something dangerous. With it sounded just like the darkest side of the night from Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. I remember I was sitting in my car after I had watched it, and I made Amanda listen to this, and she just looked at me like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> listen to the lyrics of the song, and and seriously, if you don't crack up dying from laughter i don't want to know you i don't want you in my life it's a great it's you don't need that kind of negativity so it reminded me of, it actually reminded me of well this is from a really good movie but i mean it reminded me of like a song that would be like on the fright night soundtrack 
you know? For, for two seconds, I thought you were going to say Howling 2, and I was going to punch you through to the screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good movie. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play a little bit of that song here for you folks, so you can you can listen to the greatest part of this movie beside. And, you know, if we made a super cut of Howling 4, it would be like three minutes long. It would have uh, frosting uh, nipples and uh, a melting werewolf. And then that would be the end of the, the supercut of uh, Howling 4. So uh, here's, a, here's the amazing track, Something Dangerous from Howling 4. And when we get back from that, we're going to talk about Howling 5 Rebirth from 1989. Another sleepless night And I don't want to dream Now
Now, Howling Rebirth from 1989, Howling 5 Rebirth from 1989. Uh, I so remember when I was younger that I actually liked this movie. I said a little bit in the last segment for Howling 4, the original Nightmare. But for some reason, I recall in my stupid primal brain that Howling 5 was actually a good film. That it actually had werewolves in it. <laughs> Rewatching it, it not only is not a good film, it also has no fucking werewolves in it. It claims they have a lot of fucking werewolves in it. There ain't no goddamn werewolves in this movie. <laughs> if you did a super cut of the goddamn thing, it would have it would literally have all of 15 seconds of fucking werewolf in it. But anyways, to stop the rant, let's let's start this the proper way like we do every single one we do. Here's the plot synopsis of Howling 5 Rebirth. <laughs> from, from imdb.com. A group of strangers visit an ancient Hungarian castle for no fucking reason! <laughs> And bring along a werewolf. <laughs> so again, Clive Turner takes a more active part in this. He actually stars as the Aussie comic relief in this film. He's the guy who, who goes up to the bar and talks to the quote-unquote bitch character of the film. A vodka martini, very dry with a twist. No, 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 no. A vodka with a twist. I do not understand. Vodka. Twist. Here. She means this, mate. If I want your help, I'll ask for it. Sorry, love. And I'm not your love. No, I wouldn't want to allow him to stand it. So he's an active star in this movie, and he, I believe he co-wrote it and was an active producer on it. And uh, the director was the co-director of the red-brown-fronted Space yes! Mutiny. <laughs> So there's another tie to Reb Brown in the series. Ah, Reb. And uh, this is one I want to start off with Mark the Movie Man. Because uh, (laughs) while he was watching it the other night, he had a lot to say about the the opening sequence of this film that was set in Budapest, 1489. (laughs) It was. I I texted Derek because I, I started up five. And like I said, I like to share so he knows what pain he's putting us through. And I sat there and I just texted him like, Budapest, 1469, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is a howling, right? And so then they show the scene with all the dead people at the buffet table. And I'm like, holy <laughs> crap. I'm like, the buffet table of 1489, Budapest. <laughs> it, it, was the, it was the really old country buffet. <laughs> it was the really old country oh. buffet. You know, they didn't, they didn't, have, they didn't have Mr. Safe Test the food first so they just dove right into that shit and I'm like okay everybody's dead and then this dude shows up with the most impractical sword ever in the history of cinema this thing has such a huge hilt I'm like 
holy crap you can't, you can't even wield that thing what the hell type of sword is that i don't know so what you've never seen sword and sorcerer then well no i have yes but 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 that had three blades but <laughs> that makes a difference we need to do that on our show because that's that keeps coming up over and over and over again on this show gladly that does make a difference, but no, seriously, you look at the handle on the sword, and you're like, how does he even wrap his hand around that thing? Is he compensating for something? I don't know, but he shows up, and his girl shows up, and he's like, oh, okay, how about the baby? And she goes, yes. And so he assumes that means it's dead, and he runs her and him through with his big-ass sword. I mean, this thing is huge. I don't know what Dollar Tree they got it from, but whatever Dollar Tree, it was <laughs> – but and then just as he's dying, there's a baby crying. I'm like, dude, you didn't go check. What? The-? <laughs> I'm like, well, and then he pulls a Darth Vader. No, died in vain. I slit myself in the crotch with this huge sword for nothing. <laughs> this, this is a werewolf movie, right? <laughs> well, the movie has has actually it starts off with um. Uh, the opening shot, the title shot, is a cradle rocking back and forth. Yes, yes. It's actually the coolest title shot of the entire series, and it has nothing to do with fucking anything. <laughs> the, the subtitle, The Rebirth, has nothing to do with fucking anything. No, it was like it was like Clue in a Castle. We had <laughs> we assembled all these characters for. Because they have this birthmark that's shaped like a wolf head. I'm like, I was going to say tattoo, but they've all got this birth. I'm like, really? That's one hell of an intricate birthmark. That was exactly my thought. Clue in a castle. It was like, it was again, Scooby-Doo and Clue and House on Haunted Hill and Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> but, yeah. but but nothing that relates to a werewolf movie you will exactly. notice, folks. <laughs> yeah, but they keep talking about a werewolf and they keep flashing because the whole setup is essentially these people, they get invited to this castle for who knows the fuck why. And they all decide to go and they are all the most generic stereotypical characters on Earth. You have the jock, you have the bitch, you have the rich guy, you have the aging starlet. You have the foreign wisecracker, blah, 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 blah. And they all go to this castle. And once they get to the castle, the rest of the movie is them sitting around in a dining room talking and then walking around with candles as they, in flash frames, get supposedly eaten by a werewolf for the rest of the movie. And um, really, that's it. There's yep. fucking nothing else happens. And then it just, it just ends. It just ends. No transformation scene. That's it. Seth, did you have a real lack of a sleaze boner with this movie? Yeah. Um, I mean, doesn't the movie end with a literal wink to the camera? Yes. Yeah, it was, a, yes. it was a thriller wink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think my favorite part was uh, when during one of the dozens of scenes of people walking around various rooms, <laughs> uh, the guy's drawing a chalk line Yes, to, to find his way back. And they start, I guess they think that someone's erasing them and uh, they start flipping out. And then the girl turns around and goes, Oh, there it is. And sees their chalk line again. That, oh, okay. Everything's fine. 
it, it's just a lack of anything going on that that made it into the movie. Uh, and just walking into one room and coming out another door and the whole Scooby-Doo thing where one door leads to six other rooms. Secret passageways. There's just nothing going on. Speaking of nothing going on, at least this movie 34 minutes in had a boob flash. Yeah, flash. That's it. The whole thing was was, uh, bland enough that I thought Clive Turner as the asshole foreigner was actually kind of funny. He, well, he, at least you could get some yucks out of what yeah. he was doing. Maybe he did that on purpose. No. <laughs> Set no. himself up for the future installment. Yeah. <laughs> this is all a precursor and a buildup to New Moon Rising. Let oh, me tell you, this that. is, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just wait. You just wait, Angelique. <laughs> oh, Andrew also was going on to social media to talk about his experience while watching Howling 5. Andrew? Oh, I don't remember what I said, but I think I arrived at something later. Um, I think this is how the pitch meeting, the production meeting went, rather, for Howling 5, if you guys are ready. It's the end of the 80s. All the slashers and all the horror movies have all been done. And they're like, so what can we do that's different? I know... You know how those movies where they kill a bunch of people one by one? Let's just not for a really long time. Let's write nine <laughs> characters for a solid hour. That'll do it. And then instead of having everybody die in different ways, let's just all have them have their throats ripped out. Just all throats. No different deaths. That'll be new. Oh, and you know when usually when they find the body, they're like, oh, God, let's have them not give a fuck. <laughs> Uh, and one guy raises his hand. Uh, but what, do I, what about the werewolves? Oh, well, here's a here's a Halloween mask and a gray glove. Okay, go shoot. <laughs> and that's it. And you, I mean, he, you are not exaggerating. It literally is like ten frames of werewolf before kill. I would describe it as bullshit. <laughs> I don't know how even, even as a kid and I watched anything, you know, I just saw these in the, in the video store and went, no way. Like, I don't know. And I was watching anything. I watched like, uh, like heart beeps and, uh, and, and, and Munchie strikes back. And I didn't watch the, I mean, I just, I don't know what it was, man, but I'm like, why did I never watch these howlings? I have no, that's why future Andrew visited the brain of of eighties Andrew and went, oh, dude, just just watch Frankenhooker again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what little me was thinking. I really. I, I think I you think, guys are being overly harsh. Uh oh, Glenn. I, I think let's hear it. Things, I just think you're free, you're forgetting really good performances by Calvin Lockhart and Peter Cushing and Mike. Oh no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's the original movie they made 15 years earlier. <laughs> the Must Die, which is basically this movie, but you actually have a werewolf occasionally. Oh my God. <laughs> it's interesting. Right, the Beast Must Die. Yeah. Yes, this is. It, it's. I mean, for it's eight people invited to an estate, and the werewolf kills them off one by one. You are correct. I mean, but it, I mean, it's got no camp Ampersand. No, it's not. In, in Germany, it's known as the Beast Must The. Yes. 
which is confusing to people. You know, that's interesting because the, I mean, I mentioned Harry Allen Towers before. Glenn's right because I, I was looking at it as ten little Indians with a with a werewolf because he had shot ten little Indians like three times before this, and but Glenn's is even more on on board. Yeah, he's right. It's the beast must die, isn't it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it absolutely is. You couldn't get more accurate than that. Just watch The Beast Must Die. Or The Beast Must. The Beast Must. The Beast Must Die. Scott, I'm going to let you give your, your thoughts on this one because I think we've already exhausted this one. This might be the quickest franchise episode of all time on Astro Radio Z. Scott. Uh, I like it. <laughs> Oh! <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait just moment. one goddamn minute. Yeah, yeah. This is from the guy who didn't like the one with Sybil Danning topless the entire time and didn't like the one that was gonzo shit ass crazy with marsupial fucking werewolves. But he likes yourself, the one sir. where people walk around in the dark with candles and have fucking jelly on their necks as if they got their necks torn out. I, I might have to go somewhere right now. <laughs> I am just, I am thoroughly just shocked. No, no, no. Okay, Explain here's, yourself, uh, Scott I will, I will, I will, I will. And uh, you know what? Let's not oversell this. It's not that I really thought it was a great movie. I barely enjoyed it. And <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do with adjusting and so, I mean, there's lots of backhanded compliments to the movie here because a lot of it had to do with adjusting my expectations. Because, uh, Derek, you said you remembered really liking this movie as, a li- as when you were younger. Yes. And I never liked this movie. I uh, When I saw it as a kid, when it ca- came out, of course, I'm like, fuck yeah, Howling 5, I'm totally going to get this. Totally forgetting how much I didn't like the last, you know, three in, in the series that came before <laughs> it. And I watched it, I really hated it. But So I was kind of thinking like, okay, what do I remember from this movie? Not much. I remember soft focus the whole time. I remember people, it was all in a castle. And it was all like a murder mystery, like an Agatha Christie with a werewolf. I remember that it was uh, a bunch of people wandering around this castle, and uh, and the werewolves were all like silhouettes. So okay, I got to remember that that's going to be there. Now, if I had come in here cold and just seen that, I probably would have been so pissed. <laughs> but I remembered that much from my youth, so I was able to like look at this movie and say, you know. This film still has problems. Uh, problems I didn't mention or didn't remember before was that characters change their motivations constantly throughout the film uh elizabeth shea is absolutely terrible in her part at the same time i was like you know there is a sense of you know atmosphere about this movie and i kind of enjoy where it's going i i I, as far as being just the only like crazy is shit part of the movie really is that for some reason they keep on splitting up and sending people off on their own whenever that happens somebody panics and accidentally kills another person which I think is like a great way to reason not to do that. <laughs> but, uh, it makes no sense why they wouldn't just sit in the one dining hall and just stay there the entire fucking night. No, because if they did, because if they because if they did that, there's no movie. That would have made it. There was no movie. It, <laughs> it, it, it would have been like it. It, it would have been the why don't you just close your laptop of un- unfriended? You know, I, there was enough atmosphere and enough going on and and enough kind of where I I really appreciated that they went with in a completely different direction with this that I still in spite of 
of it managed to just barely enjoy this entry in the series. And but I have to. But again, you know, I'm and I'm not just saying this because everybody hated it so heavily. I kind of knew you everybody would. But um, I think a lot of that, though, is because I had remembered the parts that I did not like when I was younger that took that really pissed me off when they took me by surprise. Well, I was expecting there not to be any werewolves in this movie. I was expecting there not to, you know, to, it to be a lot of wandering around. I was expecting it there to be lots of soft focus, which I usually hate. And I took all these things and thing, and I just barely kind of came out on the positive side of this movie. Oh my gosh, I am thoroughly shocked. If I'm going to say anything positive about I'm this, I'm never going to be allowed in the show again. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody had something good to say about it because honestly, so far, two movies in, and I'm, I'm to Vice Academy middle section uh, level annoyed. Um, but if I was going to say anything positive about the movie, it is the setting. It's very gothic. It's very stylish. Yeah. Um, at least the camera moves in this film, unlike mm. in part four. The, the the music, though, was horrible. It was the same goddamn stinger every single time. But that's really all I can say about it. So let's go ahead and wrap this one up, because without just bitching more about this film, there, I don't think there's really anything else to, to discuss. Let's go the opposite direction this time, Angelique. Thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, I have to give it a thumbs down. I mean, I didn't loathe this movie, but it just there was nothing redeeming about it, uh, as you mentioned, aside from the set. Because, I mean, honestly, I'm like, is this the same castle that they used in Ram Stoker's Dracula? I mean, really. But, yeah, thumbs down. Uh, Mark the movie, man. I'm going to spoil the film for everyone. The innocent one who wasn't on camera for 99% of the film is the werewolf. <gasps> there you go. <laughs> you said the Hungarian proverb said. You, you don't have to say it now. It was better than four, but still a thumbs down. Oh, my God. You know, I think I had discussed with you guys. I think we were joking about it on, on some side conversations on Facebook or on Twitter or whatnot, how I thought um, this was mildly a step up from four. Watching it again today to do my notes, as I do with all of these franchise episodes, I sit and I watch these multiple times, one time to just get the feel, and then the second time to sit and make some observations and some notes. And the second time today, this movie is fucking nothing, just nothing. I cannot give a thumbs up to this thing whatsoever. This is this to for me. And, and I, I've seen the other two that we'll talk about next episode. For me, this is the worst film of the series. Wow. It, 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 it is by far. Really? I don't think, wow. Well, I, well, I kind of knew something was up because, I mean, you just, I mean, you couldn't even restrain yourself there, Derek. It was it was kind of glorious. Honestly, I loved it. But I mean, it was, but I mean, I could tell that you were like, un, which was unfortunate. It was funny, but it was unfortunate because I could tell that you were speaking from a great deal of pain. You know? <laughs> it is just a movie, but <laughs> it is, it, it, it really is just a miserable viewing experience. Seth? Uh, thumbs down. But I did enjoy the uh, set pieces and the atmosphere. And uh, I guess I'm a bit of a sucker for overappreciating murder mysteries and castles or crypts. Kind of reminded me of a uh, shittier 
Graveyard Disturbance by Lamberto Bava. Just a bunch of mm. bumbling uh-huh. idiots running yeah. around. But thumbs down, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, we kind of know what Scott's going to say, but Scott, go ahead and give your th- final thoughts. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I, I'm, a, I'm also a sucker for gothics things, but, and I think because I was able to remember the things that disappointed me firsthand, I could concentrate on a lot of the other elements that I maybe didn't notice when I was younger or didn't have patience for. So I can just barely come up on the thumbs upside on this. It's not a great film, but honestly, it's a lot better than I remember it being. So. And yet, and yet, he panned Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. I'm not saying. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> I would rather watch this again. This Pride one Prejudice didn't break me. This one didn't break me like three. So I'm, I'm like, mm. I'm just joking oh. with you, Scott. You know. Oh, I know. I know. I know. It's it's that's all. And, and Mark, where is that original <laughs> conversation so that the listeners can know what you're talking about? Go ahead and plug your show. Oh, no, actually, it took place just before the show happened. But yes, uh, on the spoiler room on uh, specialmarkproductions.com, there's an episode where we talked just before we started recording. And uh, Scott and I uh, got in about Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, uh, so it happens when you get two people passionate about film. Uh, it, we are not above shameless chilling here on Astro Radio Z. You can find Astro Radio Z on AstroRadioZ.com. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it, it's funny that you, you, part three of this series broke you, Angelique, because I absolutely fucking love part three, and I know this man absolutely loved part three. Andrew Shearer, what did you think of part five? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I would give it, well, yeah, I would give it a thumbs down, definitely, man. You ever get, like, a bag of chips out of a vending machine, and that shit's, like, half full, and you're like, what the (laughs) fuck, man? Howling 5 is like getting a bag of Doritos and open it up, and there ain't shit in the bag. It's just air. And I could understand how somebody might be like, well, that's interesting. It kind of smells like Dorito. What an interesting thing. But people like me would be like, you know what? It says Dorito on the bag, but there's not a motherfucker in here. And I would be really <laughs> mad about that. But I will say this, man. I have in the last episode, I, I had to make mention of the brown person that was in Howling 2. And I will make mention of the brown person that is in Howling 5. This is Stephanie Faulkner. She was in uh, JD's Revenge. And um, they call me Bruce. And I don't know what other stuff she was in, but I know she was in those. And yeah, a brown person is one of the leads in another Howling movie. Pretty cool. She's yeah. actually the, one of the best actresses. She's you great. Know, I thought yeah. she was going to be a main character in the film. You know, not it starts just, out like that, but and uh, and it didn't work out that way, which I, no. it was kind of disappointing because I I like I really liked her too. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it's too bad because they 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 literally killed the interesting characters right off the bat. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I just. Yeah, man, it just, um, you know, that with sequels, a lot of time they go to direct to video and everything's cheaper and whatever. Yeah, you just, that's just wrong what they do <laughs> with this shit. It's wrong. It's not cool. Like, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I think from now on, when somebody asks me about Howling 5, I'm just going to say, dude, it's a Dorito fart. <laughs> Dorito fart in the bag. God, that would be more. I would rather see that. Like, that would be at least because be, farts are funny, you know. This is true. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Last but not least, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Ah, thumbs up or thumbs down? I would have to say thumbs up if 
what I was looking for was what a Hammer horror film would look like if you just filmed the empty sets and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I have to say thumbs down if this is actually supposed to be a howling movie. <laughs> the biggest letdown is the fact that as a movie, it's just kind of eh. But as a howling movie, it's just as there's not a motherfucking one in there, as Andrew said. Oh, did it's I just, say motherfucker? I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> oh, no, we swore, we swore on Astro Radio Z. What will Derek Carey do to us? No, man, I wanted to be able to share this on my work account, and I never can. Leave it out with Tony Howell. not a movie, is there? My, my boss would be like, why do you say motherfucker on Facebook? I didn't need to say it. Did you mother? Fucking see Howling Five? No, <laughs> you so watch Howling Five and see if you don't think motherfucker when you see. <laughs> Dude, are you are you into motherfucking Dorito farts? <laughs> so, you better watch Howling. This is a movie five. for you. You just got motherfuckered. <laughs> All right, who's gonna be the one to Photoshop the poster of this movie? Because I can't. That says that's gonna change it just to say Howling Five Dorito farts. <laughs> the Dorito farts. <laughs> Uh, it has to you have to get one of those little snack uh, size Dorito bags <laughs> and just superimpose the cover on top of it and just have howling five Dorito fart and have the bag open and just like the remnants coming out of it. Or or like Cracker Jack except, except instead of a surprise inside, someone just kicks you in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then winks. And that it's like, oh, you want to decode a ring? Nah, bam, nut kick. Oh. Give me a moment to catch my breath, folks. I'm glad we don't have to talk about that movie anymore. Let's go ahead and let's move on to the final movie of tonight. This may be the most epically quick franchise episode I've ever done on this show. But I have a feeling we might have more to talk about. With Howling 6, The Freaks. Howling 6, The Freaks. The world will look at you with awe. As long as you're with me, they'll never again call you freak. Step right up for the most bizarre carnival ever staged. Well, allow me to be your guide. But here is the most astonishing. Your guest has a little secret. The most deadly. Stand back, he's dangerous. The most terrifying exhibit of all. I'm the new entertainment. Is this God's will to put a man on display like some sort of animal? You are not talking about a man. You tore her limb from limb. You can't deny your true nature. You get this thing taken care of. Find out whoever or whatever is to blame. Kill it, arrest it. I don't care which. You see the devil? You shoot him. Things work. The series renters are howling for returns with its most spectacular edition ever. Howling 6, The Freaks. Made in 1991, Howling 6, The Freaks, or as I'll call it, Blue Vampire vs. Emo Wolf. This this movie is the age-old tale of a British guy who wanders into a dead-end desert town, renovates a church, Fights off the advances of the church owner's daughter, wolfs out, and gets caught by a carnival runner who is a mutant-looking vampire. They then fight, and then the wolf runs off with the alligator boy. The end. If you were to take 
any of the decent bits of four and five and actually try and stretch them out a little bit more, you get Howling Six. You finally get a movie that has some style to it. The pacing isn't so glacial that you'll fall asleep every 10 minutes. Um, You actually have makeup effects, decent makeup effects, and the acting, it's fairly decent. It's not too shabby. Glenn, what did you think of Six, The Freaks? I don't have a problem with a lot of versus movies. Whenever you have something versus something, it's nearly always a letdown. And this one just, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this much. We get about 18 seconds more werewolf than we did in the last movie. <laughs> I understand being on a budget, but you, you can't afford like just the floor mat from a 57 Chevy pickup truck just to have a guy <laughs> wearing his back or something. Come on. No one can grow a beard. Nothing. <laughs> he was too pretty for a beard. I think it was. I think it was. What was funny was the werewolf because they actually had a transformation scene, even though most of the transformation scene was this dude that wore kind of like a a plastic bag on his foot with with claws. That that seemed to be most of the transformation scene. Wait, wait. When they showed the werewolf, he had nothing on his face except I that mean, lipstick. It didn't make any sense to me, Glenn. It didn't have good music though. Except for the, what, the country tune, the hor- horrible country blessed by the Lord song that played while that they were was rebuilding. was so much fun because it was so awful. Oh, That's boy. That's one of the funniest parts in the whole movie. <laughs> so you get, uh, you, you get a Rocky Four-style montage where uh, the British guy who comes into this dead-end town, um, he ends up taking a job in order to have some place to live with this guy who bought this old church, this rundown church, and they decide to renovate it. And during that, they have this montage where they're renovating it. You know, they're fixing it up. They're tearing boards off. They're scraping off the paint. They're putting on new paint. They're bringing in pews. They're doing all this stuff to the most unbelievably stupid country tune. This side of Howling 7, New Moon Rising, which is a, it is foreshadowing for the entire film of Howling 7, New Moon Rising. cameo ever with with mary lou for like two seconds in the audience oh yeah i had read about that i missed her entirely i read about that on the imdb and i missed her entirely that's where i read about initially i had to go back and watch and yeah she she's in the audience doesn't say anything you see her for like two or three seconds that's it i'm like what is fucking point of that there's one where i thought i'm like if we paid attention to howling five that we would be able to pick up on her popping up like that was she the one in the polka dot dress? Because that's the only one I thought maybe it might have been her. I believe so. Okay, because she was the only one who was scowling instead of cheering. The scowling. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the scowling. The scowling. <laughs> um, let's explain to the folks, who the fuck is Mary Lou? Oh, yeah. Is that the werewolf from the end? Yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. werewolf at the end of five. Yeah, the, the innocent one. She's the thriller wink. 
Yes. He's the one that, that hugs him and then looks at the camera like, I'm the werewolf. Fuckers. I did it, me. This is what constitutes as continuity in the howling universe. <laughs> so anyways, what did you what did you think of the werewolf, the, the look of the werewolf, Glenn, as you're you're still going? You still you still seem to have a lot to go here. It's better than, than as as what it was with what a mask and a glove from the first from the last one. Like Andrew said, it's better than that. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give him that much. It's it's slightly better than, you know, a hand job from a hook handed man in a truck truck stop bathroom. It's better than that. <laughs> Um, let him work it out, folks. Let him work it out. Yeah, I got to. I got to work this out. Um, but just so much of it was just the, the first thing is you have the setting of a circus, which is a great setting for a horror film because circuses, just by their very nature, are creepy as fuck. I mean, everything about a circus is wrong. If you think about it. carnies, if there was ever. Ever an evil being put on the face of the earth? It's a, it's carnies, and I'm sure there might be a nice one somewhere, but they're the spawn of Satan. And you throw in the freaks and the and clowns, and I mean just people, you know, living in these big tents and wagons. I mean, come on, you have a perfect setting already, and somehow you blow it. I just I don't I don't understand it. You have such a good setup. Have a werewolf versus vampire movie that doesn't really have a werewolf very much. And God, I hate when they have to do things like, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll name the vampire guy Harker. Huh? See if people pick up uh-huh. on that. See if they harken back. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Clever. Wink. That's Mom Soaker's Dracula, baby. Yeah. I mean, oh, man. I'm telling you, th- this movie, Howling 6, is the Ghoulies 2 of this series. It's, <laughs> it's, it's set in a carnival, except they exchange out Royal Dano for Antonio Fargus as the yes! geek Redfield character. I was so happy to see a real geek. I know. Uh, and another black person. It's pretty crazy. And yeah. it's looking hot. Huggy bear. And <laughs> <laughs> dimple the year. Yeah, Andrew, what did, I know you you got a hold of me about Antonio Fargus. Were you super excited to see him in this book? I thought it was farkin' great, man. <laughs> oh, no, <I'm> <laughs> what, what do we like about the Howling movies, the first three? We like the sex, we like the humor, and we like the werewolves. Well, let's take all those out of the next three. I mean, that's basically, this is the best of four, five, and six, but it's still like you wouldn't what they should have done was take like the production value of five, the effects from four and actually the story of six. And then you would have had, if you let Philip Moore make it, then you would have had a, a good, a good movie, I think. But uh, even the vampire versus werewolf thing, I mean, it just doesn't like that vampire. When he finally vampires out at first, I was like, that looks like Baphomet from Nightbreed fucked an eggplant. I mean, he, he, yeah. was kinda, he, he was an interesting looking thing. And then, they kind of try to make it like freaks by having Deep Roy attack that girl. It just didn't. Um, like I said, man, it's kind of like an Incredible Hulk episode. Even at the end, the guy walks off and rip clothes out into the sunset or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> holding the, the alligator boy instead of going with what you would imagine, you know, the romantic interest where, you know, she fought so hard and defended him when her father decided once they found out he was a werewolf, the father is just like, nah, he's the spawn of Satan. You can't go anywhere near him, but she still loved him. So what happens? They get go through all of this. And at the end, nah, I'm, I'm going to carry in my arms 
the alligator boy off into the sunset. No nah, man. <laughs> talk about talk about talk about it being shot down, man. Wait, I thought everybody liked this one. What? What's up? It, this one is the least painful of the ones so far to me anyway. I mean, I I kind of enjoyed this one a little bit. I loved Alligator Boy. He was cool. I loved the geek. But the whole, you know, exoskeleton Nosferatu versus <laughs> shiny Rocksteady werewolf. No. You know. <laughs> the little bit like Teen Wolf got into the Mac, you know. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like he, he wasn't even, it wasn't even wolfy. He was just, you know, like the elephant man with fangs. <laughs> I liked the way that vampire looked, though. I actually liked that look on there. It was kind of like the Nosferatu thing, but they made him kind of look like more like a. Like it made him look, I think it was trying to make him look even more like ancient, you like know? Like and everything. the gin from Wishmaster. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, raisin. <laughs> yes. you win. Yep. He was purple as a bastard. <laughs> like, a, like a vampire plus balls, and you get <laughs> motherfucking eggplant Dracula. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> Mark the movie man. What did you think about the eggplant Dracula? <laughs> you know, I think I remember seeing this once. Yeah, it was during a Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. This thing felt like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. That's how it played out from from the way the vampire looked to the way they handled the werewolf. I'm like, this would have made a really good Buffy episode. <laughs> you get Miles in there. and But yeah, as itself, I, I enjoyed after watching four and five. This was like amazing. This was like, I was like, wow, shit's happening. Dude just actually bit the head off a chicken. That's awesome. And I'm like, this is great. And it's still not fantastic. But out of these three films, this is the one I enjoyed the most because shit happened. Not mm-hmm. even werewolf shit. Just shit. We we actually had a story in here. We we had the religious dad who who once he finds out the guy's a werewolf, suddenly he's like he's spawn of Satan. And you get a little bit of a character thing going on there. You know, the dude being a vampire it was pretty obvious from the get-go uh, right. where he looked like, you know, a rejected casting call member from, you know, interview with a vampire. No, he is a vampire. And yep, sure enough, he shows up that he's a vampire. I'm like, well, that wasn't a twist, but stuff happened. You actually had a plot that had things that moved forward and things happened. <laughs> so I guess in that sense, I enjoyed it a lot more than the other two if nothing else, because this actually had a, a story mm-hmm. it had a narrative to it, uh, it as a werewolf movie. Yeah. He kind of looked like teen wolf. He kind of looked like, you know, a Chewbacca costume gone wrong, but uh, <laughs> like other, he put the Chewbacca costume on backwards. Yeah. You know, uh, but other than that, I don't know what that means. I don't know. I did like alligator boy. I, I thought he was an awesome character. I wanted to see more of Alligator. I was glad the werewolf walked off on the end with Alligator Boy because I wanted I want to see more of that character. Not that we will, but no, I like no, never. 
Now that's an interesting story from here. You could you could go on and actually make a great movie with with the Wolfman and Alligator Boy. It's like a good. superhero movie, man. That would be like a Joe Lansdale thing. You know? yeah. That'd be really good. And at this at this point, he was bitten by both a vampire and a werewolf. Yeah. So yeah. Alligator Boy is a new creature altogether. Thank you, so, Angelique. Alligator I, Boy was a new creature. I want to see what would happen to that. I'm like, he got bit by both. I saw that Scooby Doo episode. Yeah, he's a werewolf that's vulnerable to sunlight and silver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was the Scooby Doo movie that they made later on that uh, where they had werewolves and vampires fighting each other and biting each other, and they kept turning back and forth to one another. You know, I'm like, see, like I said, all yeah. three of these are Scooby Doo plots. They are. But this one, yeah, I enjoyed this one the most because it actually had some interesting characters. It had a story that that moved, that had stuff happening that went along. You know, you had a point A and got to point B, uh, you know. And so, yeah, in that respect, I, I enjoyed this the best out of the three. Yeah, I, I don't want to say I think I still have residual grumpies <clears throat> from part five as we start to talk about this one, because I actually did like this one. Um, if you you want to break down some of the good stuff about it, I, I liked Bruce Payne as uh, the vamp slash carnival runner. I thought he, he did a good job. He was he handed up, but he did a, f- a fairly engaging job of his uh, what he had to do. Like what's others? He he looked real familiar. What's he been in? He reminded me of a knockoff Julian Sands. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. At first, I thought that might have been Warlock, but uh, bad guy from Passenger Fifty Seven. There you go. Okay. It's like the guy that played Buffalo Bill and the guy played Lucius Malfoy had a love child. <laughs> yeah. oh. right. I wondered who that was because he yeah. looked familiar from something. He, he was also the devil in Switch, if you remember that yeah. Ellen Barkin movie, which I liked and no one else seemed to. I like that one, dude. I like mm-hmm. that movie a lot. Yeah, he was yeah. the devil. Nah. W- would you conjure my Patron? I'd conjure my Patron. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My gosh, it just got very erotic. <laughs> got... <laughs> Goodbye, werewolves. Are we I'm howling t- over you. <laughs> are we? Are we about to see an appearance of Black Mark? <laughs> <laughs> no, you got you got Cosby Mark. That was enough for the night. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I thought we already got that with the pudding pop reference. He was in the Absolute Beginners and he was in uh, Solar Babies. I, I thought Bruce Payne did a, did a pre- particularly good job in this film. I thought the boom mic as the supporting actor did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> it made many appearances and was always spot on. Uh, <laughs> I, one of my favorite... Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the film was where the werewolf guy takes a nap on the one day of the year that he turns into the were or one day of the month he turns into a werewolf and oversleeps and then wakes up and goes, "Oh crap!" and then turns into a werewolf. <laughs> I love that. I, I laughed that. so hard the first time because I this is the first time I've ever seen either any of these three. It was watching them for this show, and and when he was like, "Oh shit, I died." I was like, "No, you did. You you had a calendar you were writing on five minutes ago. What is wrong?" Yeah, and he, yeah. And he, he literally, literally had a nap. 
Well, never mind the fact that it appears that the moonlight triggers it. So what does he do? He goes to the window to look at the full moon that he knows is on the calendar. I mean, I thought maybe if it's diffused through the glass, maybe it won't have an effect. But no, I was I was I was giving him way too much credit. I'm like, way dude, too much. Just, just hide under the covers. You're fine. You were fine <laughs> until you went out to the window and went, oh, crap, look, it's the full moon. Oh, wait, I'm a werewolf. I shouldn't be doing. Ah, oh, fuck it. Oh, so he turns into a werewolf and breaks out of his room and then five minutes later he's walking down the city street not a werewolf <laughs> with just tattered clothes well and then you get the the vampire who can apparently just magically not just a vampire we find out later alligator boy too anyone who has the magic crystal can just manifest this werewolf at any time apparently yes, i'm like the- what <laughs> you know and then he alludes to him killing the preacher girl and i'm like dude you are so gullible you've got the villain telling you that you killed someone I'm well like, they ditched that plot uh <laughs> that that plot through line within five minutes oh yeah cause then she i was up. gullible i'll admit it I was like, did he really kill her? Because, I mean, she was all like, hey, you know, I'm about to take my robe off. And he's like, no, be innocent and blur. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. this, this werewolf guy, uh, he was something else. I mean, he's the only werewolf in recorded history that is kind to kitties. Yeah, Which I've was ever- the best part of the freaking movie. That was the best I part I was of like, the don't movie? you? Yeah, well, no, it, one of. Okay, I'm sorry, but animals, innocent animals, I have a thing. I'm like, you can kill children all day long, but don't you dare kill that kitty. Yep, I'm and- right there with you. I'm right there with you. If, <laughs> if anybody hurts a dog in a movie, I'm like, whoa! You son of a bitch! <laughs> like American Psycho. I, I, I turned the movie off when he stomped that dog, but you know, this one I was like, oh, it's a werewolf with a heart. Mm. The well, emo the- wolf. Uh, <laughs> Seth, what did you think of emo wolf? Uh, Emo Wolf was all right. He was just uh, hanging out in this Lifetime movie production about a deeply troubled drifter trying to find another troubled guy hanging out with a uh, eggplant vampire. <laughs> yeah. Eggplant Dracula, get it right. Uh, Dracula, <laughs> Dracula, holding on to Alligator Boy, and they just wanted to ride off into the sunset together. So, <laughs> how, is, uh, how is six isn't that bad, I guess, in comparison to four and five. <laughs> just so we get maximum yucks i just wanted to say one more scene that i really really liked in this movie it it was right before um bruce payne decides to turn into eggplant dracula and uh he's talking to the the city cop this cop who right off the bat is a total fucking dick knob to uh the british guy who walks in for no apparent reason this town don't need no long-term visitors. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, but anyways, the cop is starting to figure out that Eggplant Dracula isn't what he, he appears to be. And he goes, Don't move, or I'll shoot your dick in the next county. Then I certainly won't move. Yes, yes. Best line ever. I laughed at that. Yeah. I'm going to keep that dick. I I remember that line. That was a great line. I loved it. I love that cop, actually. I mean, he was a dick to the British guy in the beginning, but later on he warmed up after he fought, saw how quickly they could restore this very super huge church, which is two people, some nails and a board. It was better than any montage in Karate Kid. They just 
whip this church right up. Mark um, remembers so, by the power of shitty country music. That's true, by the power <laughs> of shitty country music. Yeah, I, I liked them later on. Again, this goes back to Angelique saying, you know, these are Scooby-Doo. This is another murder mystery. This is another because you got people starting to uh, go missing in the town and you've got the sheriff, you know, actually doing some cop work, though. He decides, oh, no, I suspect this guy. So what do I do? I'm going to go out without my cop shirt buttoned or anything. I'm just going to go out like I woke up and dive into a dumpster. And, oh, look, a dead body. You know, I mean, at least even though he was a prick at the beginning, I I liked the cop guy. I, I actually did because he was sitting there and he was the only one thinking something was kind of fishy with the freak show, you know, with the circus, he was noticing people actually disappearing in that, you know, I mean, he was putting some stuff together, which in a film like this would be easily easy just to keep him the dumb cop, you know, and that part was being played by the mayor who was the dumb mayor. But I kind of dug the sheriff, uh, the the sheriff in this. He was a decent character, even though his motivations were all over the place uh, throughout the movie. But um, on a whole, I got to say the last again, the last 15 minutes of this movie is the highlight. If you were to take all three of these movies in this episode that we watch four, five and six, and you were to make a supercut, you just make the supercut of the last 15 minutes of each of these motherfuckers. And those are the best parts of any of the movies and the final battle very anticlimactic but i didn't care because it was two rubber suited dudes just throw you know flailing about and he grabs some railroad tie and shoves it in his throat little did you know drac uh, eggplant draculas their heart are in their throat so you just take <laughs> take his, a railroad his spike. aim was off his aim was off but it was still yeah. iron and traditionally that is a weapon against draculas <laughs> Scott, you haven't really had your your piece on this one yet. Go for it. A lot of people have said it already. I liked this movie. I really did. I thought like this is of the six we've seen so far. This is the best one since the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's really going out of much of a limb to say that. Is it a classic? No, but I liked you know some of the elements of the of the film. I was calling cliches early on in the film. And then I actually had those cliches come back on me and say, no, they're not going in that direction. That, which is kind of rare for me because when you see as many horror films as we do, you can kind of like call them like a baseball game, you know? (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, there, I mean, there's goofy bits. Like the guy doesn't quite recall this person. And I think you'd kind of recall if you met a werewolf, you know, and there's like the bit where, Bruce Payne's he gets found out by the father finally and he's approaching him and you think oh man he's gearing up he's gonna have the greatest line and his line was so fucking what and he threw him <laughs> was like that's it that's your line <laughs> but you know but let's got a lot of this. things to think about when you're a Dracula <laughs> but look at this I, mean, I liked the setting of it I liked that they didn't just uh, make the character that they started out making the characters as caricatures and then some of these people were actually able to grow throughout the film I liked you know supporting cast including Deep Roy and everything like that Antonio Vargas um, I really liked the vampire design uh, and I loved those bits like there's this great bit I mean where there's the scene where the mayor, you know, the mayor is going to get it because he's the most dickish character in the whole movie. Um, and 
he start and he starts to he can find him out. No, it's not that. No, the 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 vampire doesn't just raise from his coffin. The vampire doesn't just come from behind him. He bursts through the ground with all like the lumber and split wood coming up for it. Throws him up on the roof of the RV through the roof and drags him down. Holy crap! That was great. I, there was a lot in this movie that I really enjoyed. I mean, I think that with more time and money and maybe if like they were allowed to like take a little more care with the movie, cause I'm sure these things are polished off and turned around pretty quickly as are a lot of exploitation films. Uh, I think that if they were able to take a little more time with it, they could have really come up with something really special as it is. I think it's still a good movie. Yeah. Compared to the last two, it, it really is. And I think it would have been a great thing for the series going forward to have used this as a starting point. But mm-hmm. instead, which you'll find out next episode, Clive, Clive Turner comes back in a big way in Howling 7. So we'll leave that to the next episode. But here, let's go ahead, folks, and let's wrap up Howling 6 and give our final thoughts. Andrew, I'll start with you. Final thoughts on Howling 6. Uh, I mean, it's the best of these four, five, and six, but it's not. I don't like it. It's thumbs down. And, uh, but I, I should mention, though, that it is the, possibly the only Howling movie directed by a female, Hope Perello. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is now, um, I guess she's involved with the Space Arts Center in Pasadena, California. It's like a nonprofit arts education thing. And, and um, the website does not list uh, that she's the director of Howling 6. <laughs> Shocker. She she started out with uh, Charles Band uh, working for uh, Empire Pictures back in the day on a lot of their productions. So Angelique, would you give this a thumbs up? I have to. I mean, taking this face value of the three, this was entertaining. You know, it had a little tone of, of Blood Freak and it, you know, had the Dracula versus the Wolfman. So, I mean, <laughs> you, had, you have to. I, I had to give this a thumbs up because, I mean, there, there was a lot of heart in this. And you can tell that despite Clive Turner's involvement, they tried. Nope, he, had no in, he had no involvement in this one. This is the I only one. I thought he had a writing credit. Nope, not on this one. I believe this is the only one of these three that he did not. He had everything to do with the next one. Well, that makes all the difference. (laughs) Yep, it really does. Seth, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I thought the the makings of a good movie were there, but I I was pretty bored throughout most of it. So uh, thumbs down, barely. Just uh, didn't all click together as entertaining as the pieces the sum of the parts uh, was not greater than the parts. There was large sections of this film that were that there was nothing really going on in it. I can totally understand that stance. Uh, Glenn? A flaccid dwarf penis down. <laughs> <laughs> That's me the whole podcast, just a flaccid dwarf penis down. I have come here to chew bubblegum and flaccid dwarf penis. <laughs> I mean, that's a good summary for the entire three movies. Oh, boy. Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> Scott <laughs> Davis. I like it. It's a, it's a, this is a solid thumbs up for me. I mean, I thought that, they, you know, you give the, give the movies, they don't all work, which we've seen. I mean, I think I've disliked more, far more than I've liked in this series so far. But give them this thing that each time they do try to make a real movie, you know, sometimes it goes horribly off the rails, but they do try to make real movies here. 
And I th- I liked the setting. I liked what they did with the characters. I thought it was a, a not a cl- classic by any means, but a perfectly good, enjoyable exploitation uh, horror film. You know, nice little battle royale between budget werewolf and budget vampire. Yep. Between w- Wolfman and uh, Eggplant Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Wolfman and Eggplant Dracula. Which I'm now going to have to be like, I'm probably conditioning myself to say it like that from now on because of this. That's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's too bad. It's too bad you'll never get to say it again through the rest of the, the next episode. Oh, because I'll there's say no Wolfman way. every time. <laughs> oh, please. I, I want that to be the standard. But uh, oh, I'm, I don't want to ruin the next one. So I'm just going to keep it at that. Mark the movie man, thumbs up or thumbs down. You know, you ever had like root canal and then you had a tooth pulled and then you had that cleaning from the dental hygienist who scrapes your gums until they bleed. Mm-hmm. This film out of these three films is the scrape your gums till you bleed. It's kind of uncomfortable, but at the end you feel clean. It's enjoyable. Uh, and that's what this is. This, I mean, Granted, like I said, the other two were very painful. So after watching those two, this is like a vacation because of <laughs> a lot of a positive things going on in it. I, I have to give it a thumbs up, not as a howling film, but as a film, because this was the first one out of the last three that felt like a real film. Had an A to a B, had some growth of characters, had something happen. Um yeah, so it, it, it's a film. I give it a thumbs up. I did enjoy it. But again, it's after getting sandpapered, you know, for the last two. This one was like the soft, you know, Charmin. Yeah. So, yeah. I love your description of it's a film. It, it, it is. <laughs> well, the other two, I mean, you know, they uh, were. They that describes it to a T right there. It's yeah. a film. It's, it's a film. <laughs> this is good. This <laughs> is good because we can use this. Plus, we can like take like uh, Mark's quote, you know, from the uh, for Halloween Four. Things happen, and just <laughs> put that Things above happen. the title on the box. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the greatest thing <laughs> if, if the poll quote from now on for for Howling, Howling Four. No, that wasn't Dorito parts. That that was part five. Um, <laughs> part five was Dorito. Things happen. <laughs> if Love that's it. not your opener for the compilation episodes of all of the movies, nothing things else will happen. be. Things happen, and it's a film. So yeah, I gave it thumbs up. If only compared to the other two that we had to suffer through. It's one that I would, if I had to watch again, I would watch this one. And not the other two. I will agree across the board with you guys. Um, I, I think this one of the three obviously is the most enjoyable of these three. Is it the most enjoyable of the series? I think each of these three films are far below the first three films. Even as good as six was, as um, Seth had said, there's a lot of stretches of nothing that happen interspersed with either hilarity or some kitschy fun. So I can't really say any of these were recommendable. I, I think six was okay. It, it was, it was fun in a B movie kind of way. Um, but I still one through three are just so damn 
fun and so good. I mean, well, it, I mean, good is a relative term, I As suppose. You. But <laughs> but uh, I I can't really say six is great. But of these three, yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up. It was it was some B movie fun. So um, let's go ahead and take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll we'll set ourselves up for the last episode and talk about our experience with the howling so far, and then shamelessly shill the fuck out of you. We'll be right back. Do you like horror movies? So do we. Fucks his little eyeballs yep. out. Just to cut this tongue out. On out. She yeah. was great. Do you like American Horror Story? So do we. There were some butts. Yep. Pillins. Yep. Butt. Yep. Pillins. Butt. Yep. Pillins. If it's over 90% cheek, that's your butt. You see the essence of the butt. Are you into vampires dancing in mesh tank tops? Us too. I was mesmerized by the mesh tank top and leather pants. Are you into high-minded film critique and discussion? Because we've got that. And it is beautifully filmed. Like, it really... Just the stark contrast of colors, like you said. Not your thing? How about a dick joke? His dick, dude. He put his yeah. dick in a fucking pig. Come on. We've also got one dude to give dude perspective. Zombie apocalypse is no time to have your head in the pussy clouds, Mickey. This is survival. <laughs> Thank you. So head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and subscribe to The Bloodlust, your go-to podcast for classy broads and a token dude talking horror. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm waste. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios. Welcome back, listeners of Astro Radio Z. And uh, so this one was a rough was a rough one for the Astro Radio Zombies tonight. How are let's give general thoughts. How's your experience been with the howling? Are we hating our lives? Are we anxious for the next one? Andrew? I'm not looking forward to it, honestly, man. I mean, uh, I think it was a big letdown from the first three watching the next three, um, because as as anyone that listened to that episode will know, I enjoyed those, man. I really did. In particular, three. It ended that first trilogy on a high note. Uh, three to me is the best. So for me, so far, it goes three, two, one, six, four, five. Yeah, it's pretty. My list is pretty close there, except I would say one, three, two, six, four, five. Glenn, are you are you excited? Did you actually marathon these all in one sitting? Uh, not this time, but I have, I've, I've watched all seven in one after one, one day once. 
Oh my god. <laughs> you are a fucking Klingon warrior. He's amazing, isn't he? <laughs> I'm a disappointment to my family. <laughs> <laughs> but you are you are an honor to your ancestors. Today is a good day to die. Jesus Christ. I am I am Man, I remember the first time I watched Howling Seven and uh just wow. So am I looking forward to it? No. And I mean I mean, I love I love the first Halloween movie. I like the second one. I, I enjoy the heck out of the third one. And I think I'm just going to watch videos of cats now because that's more I'm doing. That'll cleanse your soul Let's see. Yeah, there we go. Now we know why Glenn has a broken toe because he watched all s- six of these in a row and then at the end said, fuck, <laughs> something. <laughs> So, oh boy, Scott, I know we've had a, a role reversal this year where now you have been hating life as I was last year with the Vice <laughs> Academy episodes. Um, are you anxious that. for this to be done? No, I wouldn't say I'm hating life. I'm entering. Here's the thing is that am I looking forward to from, you know, all like the little hinge you're dropping and even from like actual things I've heard from various people who have been on like the productions in like other videos and stuff, the seven and eight doesn't, don't sound that pleasant. I've never seen them. Uh, I will say that I think I'm entering what I'd call like the witchcraft uh, portion of this uh, franchise thing, which is that we started the witchcraft movies. I'm like, Oh, this is shit. Oh, this is shit. And then as it kind of went on, I'm like, it's shit, but I'm kind of feeling kind of pleasant and, 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 and nice towards it, you know? And, and then I think by the end of it, I'll wonder where, so wait, please don't take my shit away. So <laughs> the, um, so I'm like at that kind of like little malaise. It's kind of like that. It's, it's kind of like the feeling after you get, I imagine after you get like a lobotomy, where the the deep thoughts don't hurt anymore, and you can just sit there and drool, <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm at right about now. Oh, wow, wow, <laughs> Seth, I know you have a deep knowledge of exploitation film. Have you seen Howling Moon, New Moon Rising? No, I've never seen uh, seven or eight. Oh man, am I so excited for all you people! I am so excited for all you people. You, you don't realize what's about to happen to you. But, <laughs> so all I'm hearing right now is Buffalo Bill screaming down into the pit going, you don't know what pain is. <laughs> oh, my God. And you know what really excites me is that the fact that my brother Shane is finally going to come on the show. And it was it's because Howling New Moon Rising is on the plate oh, that I finally got my brother to come on my show. Wow. So you better prepare yourself, because let me tell you, my history of trolling goes back really far. When Howling New Moon Rising came out on VHS, I was so fucking blown away by it that I dubbed it to a VHS tape, unlabeled it. I didn't <laughs> label it. Handed it to my brother and said, dude, you got to see this movie. Handed it to him. And then he got back to me like, what the fuck? (laughs) I think I found that tape in the Goodwill in Bristol, Tennessee. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, you're in for a special treat, folks. Mark, have you seen either of these two last ones? No, I haven't. 
Oh man, I'm so happy because I'm so happy I, I get to give you guys this treat next episode. I'm so excited because you're so excited. Yeah, you don't even God. know how many. I've already watched it three times in anticipation. I've already watched it like literally when I knew howling uh, the howling was the series was on for this year. I watched it once, and then as I was editing the first episode, I, I had it on on another monitor again. It, <laughs> <laughs> oh man so how much are my neighbors going to hate me you know I think that I, from the sounds of things I think that he's taking such delight in this I think that just to get revenge after these movies are done I'm going to start a kickstarter for Vice Academy 7 <laughs> I will donate to that faster than a Dorito fart there's going this is going to be an epic fucking episode I'm so excited I was so yeah, I was so tempted to have it be its own episode, but uh, nope, we're gonna have it be two because remember the last witchcraft episode only had two. That's true. So, which was amazing, by the way, gentlemen. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I li- where I've got such a horrible commute because I'm I'm having to deal with Atlanta traffic and even turning out of the parking lot of my hotel onto the street in the morning when I have to go to work is so torturous. I've been listening to back episodes of Astro Radio Z and y'all are hilarious. A and B give me a whole new perspective on all these movies and especially the Vice Academy series. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that was kind of cool that they got Dwayne though. I was kind of a coup, right? <laughs> oh my God. You don't I mean, even want to know how hard I had to work to get him on this episode. I don't want I don't good, want though. to know. I don't want to know because it's all fabulous. Good. And I I'm, love every minute of my commute because I download these podcasts and get to listen to them on my commute in. And I, I scare my my poor subordinates when I walk into the building unlocking the door and, and the podcast is screaming from my purse and they're like what are you what is that and I'm like you don't even need to know just get on the phone leave me alone <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should see if Dwayne wants to talk about the last two Howling movies <laughs> that was so great that was so amazing yeah. yeah I'm still trying to get Clive Turner to come on so maybe um, we, that would we, be we oh my god I would love to pick his brain because one thing we didn't bring up as far as the howlings go is the death scene of Eggplant Dracula mm. I'm sorry the sandblaster is amazing that's some really cool effects oh that was a great effect I agree yeah. Yeah. I mean and I'm really you'll anytime a vampire movie comes up you will really get me going because I'm very traditional about my vampires, hence me calling them Draculas, because there's one, he's the father and everybody else is a relative of Dracula. And I'm from the <laughs> South, and we have a particular patois to our speech. Is <laughs> a Dracula. And, and, and those of you who follow me on Facebook know my Dracula rules, and you know how Dracula is spelled. And, and, you know, <laughs> it's a whole thing about oh, me and Dracula. Do you do French fried Dracula? Put them under your lip. French fried Dracula is a Dracula that has been doused in garlic oil and strapped to the church to the cross of the nearest Free World Baptist Church. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I now want to see a movie made where it takes place like in Raccoon Falls, Tennessee. 
and let me like, finish my novel, baby, and there will be the, movies all over. And the place. Like, you know, like the people like uh, that are just getting out of the Waffle House, where you, where you almost fall off a cliff because everything's all mountainous. They're like, oh my god, the Waffle House is overrun with Dracula's. You know, <laughs> because Dracula, Dr- uh, Waffle Houses throughout the South Georgia and South Carolina and Tennessee Piedmont region are all Dracula proof. Oh, Dracula proof. <laughs> there is one right next to a very steep cliff though on Claremont. Not there is. Claremont. Yes. And, and that's where they just, you know, sweep the ashes off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, Howling New Moon Rising made in 1995. was written, directed, produced, edited, and starred Mr. Clive Turner. And if you had listened to our previous podcast, folks, you would know that he has been involved with every subsequent sequel since Howling 3. So Howling 4, 5, and I did find out that he was a post-production supervisor on The Freaks. So he he was involved with every single one of the subsequent films after part three. He also, and this might not come as a shock to anyone that has actually seen the film we're about to talk about. He also was uh, the executive producer on the Lawnmower Man films. So everything this man has touched has been pure gold. Let's go ahead and uh, give a plot synopsis off of imdb.com. A number of brutal werewolf-like slayings begin occurring in a small Californian town after the arrival of an unfamiliar motorist. Lies. No. <laughs> that it? Yeah, that was that was. That was yeah. What exactly is werewolf-like killings? <laughs> what is I, I? Well, let's break down that plot synopsis before we move on, folks. Let's go ahead. Let's do word by word. A number. You want to know what number? Two. Three. Two. Yeah, there's three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. A number of brutal, brutal. And by brutal, they mean somebody slapped a bunch of red jelly on somebody's neck. Off the screen. Off screen. A number of brutal werewolf-like. It's werewolf-like because there's no fucking werewolf in this movie. <laughs> Let's continue, folks. Werewolf-like slayings begin occurring 
in a small California town after the arrival of an unfamiliar motorcyclist. It didn't, wasn't there, the, that body had been there for like a long time before Ted showed up, right? Oh, so that's a total piece of bullshit. You're right. It you was mean, a skeleton. Yeah, the skeleton with with the bad blonde wig on it that, that yeah. starts the movie. Wasn't that was now? But was that in the city limits, or was that not in the actual town proper? Because let's face it, the town's probably like a block or two. Well, yeah, the city limits go on for miles. You know. Well, supposedly that was in the town because it was a, that was a historic monument uh, where the the priest and the cop were and they were talking you know the those bits of the movie where they had to explain away the connection between this film and the previous three to four films in a very horrible manner in which they got every fact wrong and they had to try and retcon everything to make this tie into the series in some way shape or form but uh the film starts off with this amazing sequence where like angelique said there are three gentlemen standing in the desert, looking down at a, a dime store skeleton with a blonde wig adorning its head, in which they say, Jesus Christ, holy shit, mother of God. <laughs> One of my favorite openings to a film ever. I can't dispute that. Seriously, the first time I saw this film, I was sold so hard Within seconds, mm -hmm. I knew I was going to love this movie. That, that opening sequence where they're just standing there, three dudes, obviously not actors, with zero emotion, couldn't even spit out the lines. I, I almost died. I almost died. And uh, I had said this on a previous podcast that uh, I, I saw this uh, after I had rented it on VHS after watching it. I was so flabbergasted and so completely sidestruck by how unbelievably shitty this movie is that I had to share this with someone. And the only person I knew that could handle this was my dear brother, Shane. And how did I do this, folks? I dubbed it onto a VHS tape that had no label on it and handed it to Shane. Now, Shane... When you got this, we were much younger at this time. We're talking 1995. What did you think upon getting this video cassette and watching it? I don't even think I finished it initially. It barely seemed like a real movie. I mean, it's obvious that none of the, the townspeople are just guys he met in town. Like you look at the credits, it's. They're, all their names are the characters' names. They, he didn't even have enough faith in them to give them other name, like character names. And I, I did eventually finish it. And to this day, I still don't know what the plot is, per se. At the end, when he's explaining how the shit went down, like it still mystifies me. I love it. I love it. I love this movie. It's I rank it. You know, just as high as your your troll twos, your hackers, your rooms like this. It it mystifies me every time I watch it. Like it's it makes me so happy. <laughs> this is exactly how I feel about it. It is one of the most confounding films I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm what constantly asking questions. 
that's all you can do. And I think it, it I, you know, I've seen this movie so many times because I've owned it on VHS ever since 1995. And uh, I think the last time I watched it, which was yesterday or actually two days ago, I sat and made a concerted effort to finally wrap my head around what the fuck happens in the last 10 minutes of this film where they explain the entire plot of the film. And I almost got it. This movie's almost 20 years old now. I've probably seen this more than any other person on the face of the planet. And it's sickening. It is sickening. But there's something about this film that is like, it makes me laugh so much. So, Instead of just Shane and I going back and forth about how much we love this film, let's let's get to the panelists who have been telling me over and over and over again how painful this experience was. Let's let's go straight to Seth. Seth, what were your initial thoughts when you when the the film opens and you have these guys looking at this dime store uh, skeleton and then how the movie started to unfold? It gets even better than what you said because after the the mother of God line, the the cop shows up. And they're like, he's dead, Inspector. Very good, Watson. Who's Watson? I, I will say, I was with you. It grabbed me at the at the beginning when I was like, this could be amazing, but it quickly just became this mess of line dancing in the dark and sing-alongs, <laughs> bad puns. The puns that come almost immediately after that scene just broke me down into a mess. The story, if you really wanted to do an elevator pitch to this movie, all you would say is long-haired Aussie shows up in a back lot uh, desert town uh, and decides to sit and drink for an hour and a half with a bunch of rednecks and then 10 frames at the end of the film, a werewolf shows up. That's basically the film. It, it, Clyde Turner shows up to this bar. They drink. There's a lot of musical numbers. People line dance in the dark inexplicably. And uh, then there's this Scooby-Doo mystery about what, what, why is he in town and why are the, the deer in town uh, shaken by some coyote that's coming in and rustling them up. And then, oh, yeah, some drunk guys seem to be uh, getting killed in the in the desert by a red tinted lens. So that's that's the vast majority of this movie. It's not a werewolf film. It's 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 hardly even a conceivable film. It it is kind of like a home video of some town that Clyde Turner ended up holding up in and enjoying the company of its residents. Mm -hmm. That's basically what this movie is, Scott. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't even go and say. I mean, that's 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 a very elaborate description. I mean, I just looked at this. I'm like, it's not even. It isn't a movie. That's the thing. It's like it does not feel like a proper movie. It 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 it, it seems like the plot. If I was asked to do like a synopsis for IMDb or something, I would be like, okay, it's a bunch of shit kickers sitting in a bar drinking and trying to audition their comedy bits for some kind of weird hybrid of hee-haw and the office. And then like just afterwards, they just kind of throw in a werewolf as an afterthought. The thing is that you can see from this movie, like, you know what? I'll bet you that Clive Turner is a decent guy. I'll bet you even the people in the town are, yeah, they, I mean, cause they, the, the whole film is like just trying to get you to like these people. 
<laughs> rather than tell a story. So I'm betcha they're not bad. Having said that, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I, and I apologize to all of the people present on our panel and everything uh, that are our fine Southern ladies and gentlemen. I know we have a few that I just, oh, it's, oh, every bad stereotype I ever have about when I think it's things like this. I was just grinding molars every time they would speak, every time Clive Turner would open his mouth and they'd start some stupid comedy bit, which is 90% of the movie. I was just sitting there, I mean, like, like I belonged in a rubber room just saying, shut up, shut up, just shut up, shut up. I had notes for this movie. And I was going through the notes last night. I had to watch this movie twice. I had to watch it again last night because I realized that my notes for the first time through just started looking like the mad scrawlings of somebody with Tourette's because it would just start to be like random curse words over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, this, oh, God. This movie, dude. Um, I mean, you warned us. You said that you you were getting so you're like like a little like like a little devilish little imp. You like you were like sitting there in your Wisconsin lair, like getting all ready for us um, about getting getting us so that we're going to have to watch this movie. And you're trying to preface for like, oh, you guys have no idea. I'm like, okay, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I've I've done this. I've fought these battles before. Man, no, man, you 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 weren't joking. Holy cow. <laughs> this is really is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, and I am a huge, <laughs> you know, you've heard me before say how Andy Milligan's films, I usually consider to be the worst films. I could see easily everyone's complaints about how this could have the crown as being the worst film ever made because it is an absolute endurance test. Andrew, what did you think about this thing? Well, first of all, I'd like to take back all the bad things I said about four and five and six because I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> Those movies are fine. I mean, they really are. <laughs> They're movies, you know? They have a, they have a first, second, third yeah. act. <laughs> okay. I, my in-laws um, live in Franklin, North Carolina, and at their church every year they do a little program of comedy skits and songs. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to was asked to film it one time. And uh, it was a pretty similar, actually, except for a little bit more happened uh, in their play than in Howling 7. So <laughs> yeah, it just took me a while to get through it because it really just, um, well, my grandma's two favorite shows, Hee Haw and Matlock. It's basically like a combination of those with parts of uh, Howling 5 cut into it. That's all, that's the way I can describe it. It's home video, yeah, I would say. Yeah, that was a good, that was accurate. Endurance so, test also accurate. Well, I think a lot of it, it, it's not only the fact that there virtually is zero script to this thing until the last 15, 20 minutes of the film where they, they lazily attempt to try and sift you through this labyrinth of of intrigue and mystery and and red herrings and, and just nonsense. Yeah, no, get I, to the I, werewolf. 
I'm I'm I understand like how you what you and Shane are talking about like that makes sense to me. I just think that if it was called something besides a, if it was if it was not a howling movie, I wouldn't have had the expectations of it eventually going somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I probably would have enjoyed it the way you guys do if it was just like you know the dumbass shit kicker bar or something like that they just called it something you know what i mean or anything they could have called it the Honor Dowling meets the werewolf yeah. <laughs> just, just don't mention werewolves in it it really made me reevaluate the whole howling series because like you know what it's called the howling. They're not necessarily I'm telling you it's about werewolves. I mean, they don't have any obligation to do werewolves. Howling, lots of things howl. People howl. You know? <laughs> Every like, time they go yeehaw. Like the, the, the wind howls, you know? Sometimes you fart and it sounds like a howl. <laughs> it made me rethink a lot of things. So I see where you guys are coming from. I mean, I'm not just doing, you know, just here to slam the movie. I'm trying to understand any value anyone would place on it so well the funny thing is is that the film it is a howling film and he tries so hard to tie this into the previous three films that he dedicates an entire plot line throughout the film to tying it in and what that is is there is outside of dudes drinking in a bar in telling bad jokes, there is another plot where there's a priest and a, and a cop that looks like about 96 years old <laughs> sitting in a church, um, basically just explaining how there would be a werewolf here in town and, and trying to explain what why there's this shitty skeleton out in the middle of the desert with a blonde wig on and that the tie obviously is werewolves. And then in two to three minute segments that are scattered throughout the film, the priest sits and explains how they're tied to these werewolves. And then uh, the priest's wife or caretaker comes in and then arbitrarily says a bunch of nonsense that that really has nothing to do with anything other than padding out the runtime. And then they go back to the bar. So Clive Turner took real strides to actually try and make this like the penultimate howling film where he's tying all of these films together into this film. And there are werewolves actually in this film scattered throughout, but they're from the other films. He's used other footage from the other films in this in flashbacks. So you do have werewolves scattered periodically throughout this film but it's clips from other films actually to the point where it negates howling for entirely. It has a, a scene where uh, Marie from part four, the writer from part four inexplicably comes back is talking to the priest for no reason whatsoever and literally gives a supercut of howling for you never need to watch Howling 4 ever again. You have it here in Howling New Moon Rising. So if there's any, any value to this film whatsoever, it's it basically gets rid of Howling 4. You don't ever need to watch it again. All the best bits are in this film. So it's, it, it is flabbergasting 
<laughs> that this film makes no sense, yet tries so hard to be a howling film. Glenn, how did you feel about this as a howling film? You guys keep calling it a film. <laughs> I think all this was is it was some old home videos of line of him line dancing with his friends. And it's just an IMDb synopsis of all the previous movies. That's all it is. With some line dancing. With some line dark. dancing in it. Yeah, and some red camera footage. I remember seeing this, I don't know, well, it was on the new release shelf at the video store when I first saw it. So, um, and I watched it, and I immediately said, oh, my God, I have to make everyone I know watch this. You bet. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't keep something like this to yourself. No, no. It's true. It's true. I mean, come on. That'd be rude. Did, the tip in the ring. <laughs> when, when the army, when you know, when, when we liberated all the uh, concentration camps, did we just say and cover that up? No, we shared that. So look what they did. Look what they did. Nothing <laughs> 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 to do with somebody like this. You have to, you have to point a finger and go, look at that, <laughs> and weep for what mankind has wrought. Um, <laughs> Might be a little harsh. For a long time, I used to consider this like the worst film I had seen. And for a while it was. Um, and I mean, I would say I've seen worse films, but I don't know if that's true. If I if I consider the fact that, you know, when I say I've seen worse films, it's like some guy named Bob made his first movie. Well, I'm not going to critique that the same way. I mean, I will say that there are amazing, some, some actually pretty good effects, as, as you pointed out, in this movie that are just clips from other movies. Because <laughs> I think the most expensive thing in this film was probably the water Pappy was, was drinking. It was probably the most expensive thing in the movie. Because, oh my God, they did not spend a dime on this, did they? Dude, it had to be the bar tab. Easily the yeah. bar tab. Yeah, that's probably it. And you got to think, you know, there, there is a line, I think, when you want to com- uh, complain about the worst films of all time. It's really easy to sit and point the finger at micro-budget cinema and underground cinema of, uh, you know, movies that don't have financiers and don't have budgets. Um, they're easy targets, but it's not fair. It's not fair to point the finger at those films. This film was released by New Line Cinema. Mm-hmm. Mass release on VHS. It has yep. subsequently completely vanished and was never released on DVD or Blu-ray or streaming. The only way you can see this if you don't have it on VHS is on YouTube. Thankfully, somebody in their infinite wisdom put it up on YouTube to watch because I agree with you, Glenn. This film must be seen Mark the Movie Man, you were texting me an awful lot while you were watching this film. So much so that you watched it immediately after we did the last episode, then talked about it subsequently for four straight days. We did a couple episodes. Then this week, you watched it again. Did you watch it a third time? Uh, uh, Yes. Because I I love it. It takes me back to my childhood seen the new line cinema man your parents were bastards i love the part is there something after the new line cinema logo because i just played that because that took me back to my childhood i love that bit 
that was a great bit. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> is, is there more to the film than that? Yeah, Mark. I, let me tell you a few things that happen. There's actually more. There's there's a, a load of bad gay jokes. Hey, Jack. Looks like you've been getting your shirts out of Jackman's side of the closet again. <laughs> there are there are pissed off women that are line dancing in the dark for some reason. There are old ladies doing the ham bone with spoons in the bar. Yeah, I don't uh, get that. Yeah, there are ex- extended scenes of guys farting because of chili eating. Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> there are sing-alongs where people uh, in unison use their zippers as instruments. All of a sudden, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. I remember that. I, okay, yeah, you, okay. you know what? I do remember watching the rest of this now. This movie rocked. This movie was so bad. It was fun. I had so much fun with this film for it being so awful. Uh, people talk about, oh, Birdemic and that. Folks, the room, you know, screw that. Watch this. This is this is so much fun in as as Glenn would put it, it's awfulness. You can't help but watch it again. You can't because you can't believe what you are watching. You you're going, this was distributed, this was put out. They they put this on here, and there's so much heart into this. There these people are actually having fun and people trying their best and don't get me wrong, it's a horrible film. But it's it's so much fun to watch because it's that bad. I want to see the chase scene that was in the montage at the end of the film because <laughs> I want to see that movie. I don't know where that movie went, but <laughs> they talk about it, and we get to hear suddenly about how the guy escaped. And I'm like, wait, what? When? And they're showing clips of stuff that we didn't see before. And I'm like, wait, when, when did this happen? Wait, no, go back. But – it was gone like a popcorn fart. <laughs> Mark, but we did get to see, we did get to see um, the character who eventually turned into the werewolf come and rescue uh, Ted from uh, hiding up in the ceiling to for him to run out to the jeep, jump in the back and hide, and then they drive literally half a block down the street to her house, and yeah, then he runs out of there. We get to see that. That's true, but that was so sad because he left his George Jones cassette behind. That's actually how they caught him. Yeah. They, that they learned that he, he actually had an ulterior motive to being there. What that is, who who the fuck knows, because everybody's I, brains turned off at that, that moment. I don't I don't know what, what his motivation really was. Uh, he was talking to a tape because uh, he thought he was some kind of noir film, maybe. I don't know. I My brain actually stopped in this film when they dropped the one joke about... Jim, the only thing you know about country music is the first four letters. Brock. Sorry, Cheryl, I didn't know you could spell. And I'm like, you mean C-O... <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to do that, I'm like... Coon? What? <laughs> it's racist. There we go. What? And I realized, oh, he's spelling it wrong. But I'm like, my brain didn't connect that. So like for 10 minutes, my brain was trying to go, first four letters of country music. What? Why is that funny? And I missed like a good chunk of the plot. So I had to watch it again because my brain kept working on the first four letters of country music and 
and what that actually meant because uh yeah because that those four letters don't spell anything i i got a question sheen i got a question for you do it tell me tell tell me about ted's love interest in the film and uh he is interested in this woman that the barkeeper jim says when i have a lot of lead balloon there what do you think it was a charm on the good looks Hey, dude, it takes a lot to impress that girl. I mean, a lot. He's so lot. serious when he says that, too. It's like, <laughs> it takes a lot to impress her. And I, I don't know what that means. Nobody knows what that means. For some reason, she has an accent. There's a lot of weird accents in this movie, and it doesn't make any sense because they're supposed to be in, like, rural California. Like, it's it's just so bizarre, that, like, the denizens of this little town. Does, do you feel do you feel that she is possibly the most boring and uninteresting person in the film? Yet he was he is told over and over again that he has a better chance with Madonna than with her. Yeah, I love the little Madonna exchange, the joke he's having with the guy walking back to the apartment or the hotel. Which why was that guy keep why did he keep asking him? Pat? Oh. You coming back to the motel? Yes, he is. Oh. Like, they didn't stay together. <laughs> I don't know why. had to, like, go back. Well, yes, I That would be great. <laughs> it's like, uh, I have to peek through the keyhole. <laughs> every night, he asked him, are we going back? <laughs> I have a feeling that is, that wasn't edited, that was a deleted scene. Was that they actually great. go back and have rendezvous? Oh, I would have loved that. He was scared in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is this, you know, and you brought up the thing, you know, and, and, and Mark brought up the thing too. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to ask this really quickly before I forget it because I know we have other people to get to and everything. But did you guys feel like this movie was, a, I mean, because it seemed like it was being really affectionate towards this, you know, this kind of motley crew of people in this town but then at times it really seemed offensive towards them like it would make jokes about them not being intelligent being able to spell or count then they had that canned country fiddle music Which I couldn't help but like sing along to and make even more offensive. Like, I mean, I would, I started singing that in my house like for hours on end. But I mean, like, it really, but when you get down to it, that's actually kind of, I mean, some of the stuff actually seems like a jab towards the people, too. So, I mean, it had this weird balance between being affectionate and being offensive towards its own characters. Did anybody else get that or is it just me? I think it was just uh, a, the humor in this film was from a different time. It, it was, was 1995. <laughs> I know. It just felt like, That's like a different world. Well, it felt like a bunch of old man humor, like dads that sat around that sit around drinking, telling jokes and yeah. that nobody finds funny. Yeah, it, it is exactly that, because when I, I used to work in the, the plate room at the newspaper before I was a writer, um, it was a lot of old Southern guys and they would they had 
oh my god the things they would say to each other they would make the same dumbass jokes to each other every single night they'd be like hey man you you're you're fucking this monkey i'm just holding the tail okay that- you're lucky that you can understand what they're saying in this movie because you know authentic frontier gibberish is a real shit <laughs> Well, let's just say uh, the vast majority of the film is 80 yard. There are there are scenes where people literally drive up, <laughs> walk up, start there and they start talking in their their mouths aren't moving yet. They're talking. They walk up to people that are sitting on the ground like there's this one scene where uh, the, the character and I don't we're going to spoil this. Who cares? The female that turns out to be the werewolf at the end, she walks up to a character, a uh, Jim, the barkeep who's working, who's rubbing affectionately the motorcycles <laughs> outside of the bar, walks up and says, Hey, Jim, you seen Ted? I think he's over there. And then walks away. And then we watch her walk all the way over to the, the hotel. Then Ted walks in, in and says, Ted, Carol was looking for you. That's the story of my life, Jim. She's over there. And then he starts walking and then comes back. Hey, Jim, you missed a bit here. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks away and we watch him walk away yet again. All overdubbed. None of it sunk up. It is flabbergasting. Absolutely flabbergasting. <laughs> Seth, let's let's talk about the Wolfmen in this film. Specifically at the end of this film, what did you think of how they handled the final epic conclusion and climax of New Moon Rising? I don't have a clue what happened in the last 10 minutes of this movie. (laughs) I mean, honestly, they tried to piece this thing together and I was lost and I watched it twice and I was lost both times. (laughs) Just do not have a clue what this movie ended up being. Why can you all watch this more than once? What the hell's wrong with us? I had to watch the the regular cut and the Joe Bob Briggs cut. What is the difference, Seth? I I think you might be the only one that actually did this. What was the difference between the cuts? Um, I can sum it up with early on in the movie, the first time we see the priest and the cop talking. Okay, facts I can deal with. These facts go back 500 years. Excuse me, 500 years? Yes. This is going to be a long story? Especially if you keep interrupting. Point taken. And that's how I felt about the Joe Bob Briggs interludes. Just let this thing end. Please, Joe Bob, I love you, but just let this thing come to an end. <laughs> that's uh, They cut out a couple uh, penis jokes in the puns, and that's about it. Oh, the, the classic. Long ride from Australia? Uh, yeah, but I'll play most of the way. Your arm's tired? I only want to flap him. Hey, that could give you armoritis. Uh, it's all right. I just had a bout of hepatitis. Yeah, a little bit further down your leg and probably get pneumonia. Hell, I'd be more worried about small cocks. Well, I'm pretty lucky there. I've already had diphtheria. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a good one. <laughs> okay. I want, this is something I want. I want to go down the row here. I want to get people's opinions. Angelique, favorite joke in the film? The country music. That's the best uh, way to get a hard yeah. C in your movie and keep a PG-13 rating. Oh, my gosh. Mark the movie, man. Yeah, she's she's she took mine. I... It's my favorite because out of all of them, out of all the other jokes, I could kind of see where they came from. 
but that one is one that just it literally stopped my brain <laughs> while I tried to figure out exactly what the where the humor was. I understood diphtheria, I understood the penis joke, the zipper, the Madonna, all that. Even the well, it's twelve forty five, it's getting late now, uh versus twelve forty four. Yeah, I got all of that. But my brain just could not wrap itself around the four. You only understand the first four letters of country. And I'm like, C-O-U-N. Nope. C-O-U-N. <laughs> I, I, my brain started, you know, juggling the letters around. And, and it just, it, it literally stopped my brain for five minutes as I tried to think about it. That's why I had to watch it again because I missed part of it because I kept thinking, how how is this funny? How, how, where where what 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 universe is this funny in? So yeah, yeah she she's exactly right. This, the first four letters of country music. Kane, <laughs> <laughs> your favorite favorite joke in this clip. Easy, it's the happy dessert in your chili. I need a drink. Like, oh, that whole section it's amazing like, to break it down for somebody for maybe the listeners that haven't seen it they are cooking chili outside and somebody takes off in a truck kicks up dirt there's dirt in the chili so five characters maybe walk by to tell pappy that there's dirt in the chili that's the joke and then to cap it off there's this redneck in suspenders who eats the chili and there's this just you know, sitcom fart dubbed over and he goes in the bar and everybody leaves the bar because he farted. It's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> that was a good one. That let me tell you, dirt, dirt chili will give you some pretty stinky ass gas. Let me tell You've you. got dirt in the chili, Pappy. I know. I know. Pappy looks at the guy who tells him it and goes, I need a drink. Yep. And this only happens like 20 times throughout the film. Every time anyone looks at Pappy, anytime Pappy's in a scene, he, he all of a sudden has, I need a drink. And the main running gag with Pappy is, is that his wife, Harriet, who he runs the bar with, doesn't want him drinking anymore. So they do it over and over again where he's constantly switching between water and booze because he's trying to hide the fact that he's drinking all the time. W-A-T-T-E-R. Water. Did I do that joke right, Clive? <laughs> There's a great scene if you watch, if you watch the, the um, Joe Bob Briggs version <laughs> where Joe Bob Briggs pulls apart one scene where Pappy and Harriet are standing outside of the bar and he goes, I want you to watch this dramatic moment again. I want you to watch how long it takes Pappy to say his line here, okay? <laughs> Roll this clip. Watch this. Nothing. No tracks anywhere. Nope. You didn't see anything. Nope, I didn't. You went around the whole town. All around. I look everywhere. Harriet, he didn't see anything. How many more times do you want him to tell you? I just want to be sure. Talk about your pregnant pause, huh? 
I think old Pappy really was having a few nips between the takes there. Poor Pappy. I mean, if they would have given him a whole shot of whiskey, just a half-ass shot since Barr was given, he'd have been fine. <laughs> Which is why, if you ask me what my favorite joke in this movie is, What's it's that? just Pappy. Because that has to be a joke played on us that they let this man be in a movie. It has to be a joke. The only way they could get these people to act in this film is by giving them their real names. But no, these are the people that live in this town. They are the actual residents of this town. So wrap man, your head around that one. May I ask a question? Yes. So was this like some cowboy mine town amusement park that got shut down and abandoned and these people were like Screw no it. This is great, right this is a great place to live we're just going to live here now here are the guest cabins and you know and here's the saloon and they just made it their own town it actually was a backlot town for hollywood where they used to shoot films uh cowboy films in the 30s and 40s close enough it's like gold rush city that place is abandoned and people squat there. So this is all right. Cool. That That is what this is. Um, Seth, what did we get to your, your favorite joke of the flick? I think my favorite joke is that it made part five look exciting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the part five I watched and the part five shown in new moon rising are two totally different. Movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's and talk to you. Can you tie the tie the knot that they have actually tied in this film between the two films? Can you explain how Ted actually he's supposed to be the same character in this film? Can you actually tell how they they did this, how they made it work? Because he was uh, dead in part five, correct? Yeah, I don't remember how he came out tap dancing out of the castle or line dancing. I don't think Ted could tap dance. Oh, God. Could you imagine if this is all like dapper 30s people? Like, just like getting like really just like swing music and like, you know, werewolves doing the Charleston. <laughs> all in zoot suits. Oh, that would be fucking awesome. Somebody make that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So part five, uh, supposedly Ted is is the exact same character from part four where he was the tow truck truck driver. And then for some reason, he shows up then at a Budapest castle where we've already established nobody went there of their own accord. They just showed up for no fucking reason. Were they playing him off to be the guy at the bar that was like, you know, sorry, darling, blah, blah, blah. That was him. Okay. But isn't he the guy who went out into the blizzard first and walked around the castle? Yep, and then came back in. Well, see, he still survived that because he got lost out there. And we don't know if the werewolf actually killed him. We just saw the really badly cut together scene with the werewolf busting through the ice block for some reason. But they show his body. And scream, well, yeah, but he could have still survived. Yeah, it's just Budapest in the winter. Because they're implying that he's the werewolf in this anyway. So they're trying to put that he didn't actually die from that attack. He got infected by werewolf blood, and that's where he's hiding out now. Well, yep. He was already a werewolf, though, because he was a werewolf when he was the tow truck driver in part four. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Jeez. <laughs> that was his twin brother. <laughs> no, they say it's the same guy. Tow truck driver goes from an isolated town where he's a werewolf with other werewolves, survives that somehow, somehow winds up 
totally clean cut Adam Castle where other people are hanging out and there's a werewolf killing people, but he doesn't turn into a werewolf. He somehow survives that. Then he, yeah, what the hell? I don't He's know. He's a master of disguise. Okay. Well, then he becomes, he, he, then he basically gets hired to go into a some backwater town to dig up dirt uh, on a bunch of yokels at a bar. He's hired by, that's why he's there is that he needs money and he's hired to go there and dish up some dirt, some info for some guy in fucking LA. That's the whole point of his character in this. I thought it was more like involved in that. I thought maybe, and I'm really <laughs> reaching here. I'm really reaching. Cause I thought he was like some secret agent who was about to like bust all the werewolves and, and get them all killed. And that's nothing why he was- to do with werewolves. His character has nothing to do with werewolves in this film. Doesn't say anything about werewolves. Werewolves are literally brought by <laughs> you, the by, by the asshole father Dowling. Time. Yeah. Asshole father Dowling brings all that up, but no, that really just destroyed my brain because I, that was the tenuous grasp I had from what little and enjoyment i got out of this movie was that i thought that ted was here to kill all the werewolves damn it nope 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 Nope. the mystery makes absolutely no sense even when they explain what the great manipulation was about this whole thing it makes no sense does it derek zero sense you're making a face because i'm so so i'm thinking right now (laughs) i'm so sad right now It literally is one of the most confounding things I've ever seen in my life. I've watched this movie throughout the last 20 years that it's been out. And even to this day, I still have zero idea how any of it works. What was the point of the mystery? So so the person from part four, who we see about to get killed at the very end of that part four, she's still alive, but she's been under mind control all these years. They bring that up in a throwaway line of dialogue. Thank you, Shane, for picking that up. She's like, but they kept her alive all these years, but has been put under mind control just so she can like plant these and, and like be like a, like, Frame the tow random tow truck driver from the her the old town, and, uh, in this elaborate plot, you know, which somehow involves Budapest and somehow involves tracking the main character from part six down and killing him off camera. Which nobody likes it when people do that and kill a guy that we've been following all movie off screen. But what for? For what purpose? It doesn't make sense. Why does she do it? I don't understand it. I I still don't understand it. I still don't Help. understand all these Help. years later, Scott, I'm not, I'm serious about this. The movie posits that Ted is this man of, of mystery and intrigue <laughs> because he sits with, with like a tape recorder and records himself talking to it saying, first day, everything according to plan, land the job. Now I got to find out about the town before they find out about me. And it ends like that. And he constantly do this and build it up. Like to, he's, he has some point in any way to anything, and he doesn't. How about that guy, the first guy who dies that that he know, that recognizes him at the bar, and he he drunkenly like they have to wake him up, and he follows him out, and then Ted follows him out. He says to Ted, "Like, do you want me to tell these people who you really are?" And then the guy gets killed. And there's, because at this point, we're led to believe that Ted is the werewolf. But within the, I mean, when you get to the end and Ted's just this dude, what the hell did that mean? That didn't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) 
let me let me posit something here because asshole father dowling had a lot to do <laughs> throughout the entire film you know trying to tie each movie together with a, a mere werewolf hair as it were i think they were trying to make the werewolf into some sort of demon mm-hmm. rather than like just a mysterious you know supernatural creature and so i'm thinking there was something cut out or just completely just yeah, we're not going to film this. Eh, ripped out of the show. <laughs> that made Ted some sort of like guardian angel or whatever to try and save the world from werewolves. But, I mean, I could just be hallucinating because this movie broke me worse than three did. I think the main problem we're having here is we're trying to make sense of a movie in which a guy dies and they find his body. And he has a newspaper clipping of him getting out on parole from jail in his pocket. Why would any dude ever? <laughs> a memento. Hey, mom, look at this. Where would you keep the papers? It was too big to put his wallet. I mean, come on, Derek. Use your brain. And we've devolved into madness. <laughs> that. Every time, I, every time I fucking see that, it's so cockamamie. It's so These clothes are covered with blood. No, that's red paint. Oh, I love that. No, this is a lot of blood. No, that's red paint. The red no. paint could have been used to cover up the blood. That's, that's right. my, one of my favorite changes. changes. I Sister couldn't mullet that. hair? I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> God. I mean, blow the cobwebs off of it. Somebody make her stop line dancing, please. <laughs> One of the greatest exchanges is, is... Bonnie, this isn't blood on the shirt. It's red paint. Paint would cover a man's blood on a shirt. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get back to... Um, uh, our favorite jokes in this film, because I still haven't made my way all the way, <laughs> the way over across everybody. Uh, Scott Davis, favorite oh. joke in this flick. Oh, uh, you know, and Ange- I, I have to, I have to thank Angelique for bringing it up. I mean, I, I did watch the movie twice, but she brought it up, and like, and so I was actually listening for it the second time when they're rifling through Ted's apartment because they think that he might be up to no good. And Ted comes up to the person watching the apartment to make sure that he doesn't show up. Now, she totally fails in her job because is if you're being a lookout for somebody, isn't the idea to say, hey, he's coming. Get out of there. No, she just lets him walk right up. Uh, <laughs> her friend's still inside, like rifling around her shit. And he says, like, uh, what you doing? I'm waiting here. Waiting for who? Godot? And then it like does like a little like cutaway to the first rifling around, and then Ted like kind of looks off in the distance, and says, "I don't think she's gonna sh- he's gonna show up, go or something like that." Here's the thing about that joke. First of all, waiting a uh, waiting for Godot reference. Okay, um, right now we've had jokes about you know farting, about misspelling country so that it sounds like cunt. Um uh, and what? um that's what he was doing? Really? Yeah, I know. We've had all these we've had really my point being is that the humor has been extremely low. I mean so low that you really wouldn't I mean in 
other company, I wouldn't even be repeating it. <laughs> but I know you people. Um, but now all of a sudden we get a Waiting for Godot reference, one of the most pretentious plays ever written. <laughs> he had to show he had some class. And that just comes complete. Yeah, it just comes completely out of left field. It is not. It's like see. It's like finding like a a a, a reference to thus spoke Zarathustra somewhere uh, in the middle of a Larry the Cable Guy show. I mean, like what? <laughs> what the fuck? Where'd that come from? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. The waiting for Godot reference is my favorite joke in the whole movie. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Andrew Shearer, if there was any jokes in this film you enjoyed, what was it? Oh man. You remember that part where they tell Pappy he's got cancer and he goes behind his childhood home and blows his brains out? (laughs) 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 That was fucking cool. No, um, I, I, um, I, I, I'm with Seth, man. I, it was hard for me to pay attention. It was hard for me to keep track of what was going on. I just, I kept, I kept tuning out. I, I watched 45 minutes while I was at work, and then, I don't know, a few weeks later, tried to finish. And I would say the funniest part to me is the CGI uh, at the very end. Um, I, I, I made my wife stop what she was doing and come in and watch because she and I watched this movie many years ago. I think it was in the 90s, actually, called Bad Moon. And Bad Moon, I always felt, had the worst werewolf transformation in it that I'd ever seen. I was wrong. Um, I had not seen Howling 7. So that, to me, was the, the funniest. And, and um I, I made that up about Pappy killing himself. <laughs> we should have just left it in there. <laughs> Don't break yeah, I mean, He might have after finding out about the uh, the tape that Ted recorded, though. <laughs> well, remember in the credits, this movie is dedicated to Pappy because he did die. Oh, after no. So no. Andrew's theory may be correct. Glenn? Oh, man, there's so many good ones to choose from. I mean, there's the time when he talks about how he was almost a world-famous rodeo rider, kept falling off his horse. I don't know. It's just it's too hard to pick one. <laughs> wow. I, I, think, I think for me is the awkward laugh that he has when he points out, as you said, when he goes back to the guy who's rubbing down his bike and he's like, you missed a spot. Because that's what I do to my one friend who I made watch this movie to make him remember it. I just will walk by him at some point and I'll go, hey, they miss a spot. And he will then proceed to swear at me for five minutes. <laughs> I, I will give you my favorite of this entire film. And it is, comes from the priest. The priest is giving this cockamamie, long-winded explanation as to where werewolves come from. And we find out that werewolves take three years to grow to full power, supposedly, as they become engorged. That was a gross thing to say. He he might as well have said (laughs) moist. I mean, the first thing Mind is boners. Andrew, it takes werewolves six years to become moist. 
It takes them six years to develop their nougat. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the day, what ends up happening in the film, there's this big, huge cockamamie, you know, mystery that we've already said. And eventually we find out the one female's a werewolf. She bad morphs into uh, a rubber dime store mask and bursts out of a, a door to a hail of uh, gunfire sound effects. And then we, we uh, crossfade into yet another, probably the fifth in the line of uh, horrible country tunes at uh, Pappy and Harriet's bar. Um, I so guess many more than five. Oh, there's there's a ton. I mean, there's Pappy's epic uh, track, Stand Up. Everybody sit down. Ever had a hot day? One of those I can't wait. Things get a little out of hand. In the middle of a good night, have you ever got in the backseat of your van? Say, Stand Up. Have you ever been there? Come on now, Stand Up. Tell us all about it. Stand Up. Have you ever been there? Oh, I thought it was called Race War. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, but the last track, we get to hear Clive Turner talk, to which he's promptly cut off in the, the cheesy-ass uh, soundtrack that uh, got stuck in Scott's head earlier gets played at maximum volume while the rest of the, tra- the credits roll on out. Folks, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts for Howling 7 New Moon Rising and a thumbs up and thumbs down. Glenn, our a.k.a. Clive Turner, what, uh, what do you give this? I was going to make thumbs up. Down, 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 down. Sorry, I was possessed by I don't know what. No, there's nothing. Everyone should watch this because everyone needs to know pain (laughs) and suffering. And then the fact that, oh, you're having a bad day. Watch this. There's someone out there who, you know, who probably lost their job at New Line because they said, oh, I was supposed to put that on the burn pile, not the public pile. I'm sorry. My bad. So, yeah. Thumbs a little bit towards the nether reaches of the inferno. (laughs) Andrew Shearer. I think I get it. I think I get what you guys are saying. My, I think maybe my biggest problem with Howling 7 is that it wrongly assumes that horror fans um, like country music. You know, because like what metalhead is walking around listening to the Oak Ridge Boys or what horror fan rather? It, it, I, I feel like uh, he doesn't know anything about movies and doesn't know anything about the audience for it or anything else. Elvira. Exactly. <laughs> right. I love that song. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's the song they made about the Mistress of the Dark. It's totally cool. <laughs> no, that song's about his mother who he had sex with. I, I just. <laughs> You hush your mouth. I don't. I, I like a lot of movies that are considered bad, but I couldn't find for me and any of the things that I normally like uh, about it. The '90s, that period of the '90s, was not the greatest for for horror, and this is. Um, uh, it makes Lawnmower Man to uh, look like uh, the greatest thing ever. Like you know, 
like a blue because he learned as a, as the executive producer of Lawnmower Man too. He learned <laughs> from his bad experiences with this. Well, I think anyone that gave money to those other howling movies that is complicit in this film. So if you watch this, you know, it's just like kicking yourself in the face and squirting bloody diarrhea in your mouth. It's you, it's your fault. Oh. It's just a really awful turner of events. I would say. It would not be a show without a sheer pun, man. Yeah, I would yeah, or mention I bloody it. diarrhea. Uh, <laughs> or, or that either. Yes. Um, yes. You know, yeah, okay, God almighty, of course, down, thumbs down, thumbs down, huge thumbs down. It really is one of the worst films I've sat through. And here's the thing is I've sat through it twice and I will probably watch it again. Here's why. Um, as un- intolerable as it is, I have seen Manos multiple times on without any riffing or anything like that. Uh, same thing goes for um, Birdemic. Um Rift Tracks recently did a Roller Gator. I saw Roller Gator five years ago. Um, the films of Scott Shaw and Donald G. Jackson. Uh, not Hell Comes to Frogtown, the other ones. These are all films that are really hard to sit through and are really bad. And I think that Howling New Moon Rising really fits in that. We've been bitching about this movie for more than an hour, guys, and we still haven't covered everything. We didn't cover the great line of dialogue this guy must be the most dumb son of a bitch and werewolf ever. Well, that's why he's so clever. <laughs> we, we didn't cover the police officer who just starts kicking the crap out of Ted for no apparent reason. We didn't cover so many things that just make you want to like just like hold your head in your hands because it feels otherwise that your kind of brain is just going to spill out of your ears. This movie, Derek did not oversell this movie. <laughs> Derek did not oversell this movie. And Shane, God bless you, man. You've had this. You've been living with this your entire life, haven't you, man? <laughs> I, I watch it every year. Holy cow. Uh, I mean, and I know I'm going to probably revisit again, too, and I'll probably make other people watch because I want people to suffer. Derek's been here like here, like a little Wisconsin imp, like going, I'm so excited to see have people watch this. Yeah, look at him. Look at him rubbing his hands together. You guys can't see it on the on the uh, other stream and everything like that. But, oh, yeah, he's demonic right now. Anyway, but yeah, absolutely thumbs down. But I will probably watch it again. In that way that you would watch a Faces of Death, because sometimes you just really want to see, like, you know, human beings suffer. <laughs> Namely yourself, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a total masochism thing. I will say this really quick as, as the last thing, is that I've mentioned before about an extra that is available on the uh, Scream Factory's uh, Blu-ray of The Howling, their first movie, the good one. Um. And this producer of those of the Howling movies goes through each installment and talks about them uh, in brief, like just like a minute or two each. And this is the one where he said, yeah, I just gave it to Clive Turner. He said he had an idea for the next one. So I just gave it to him. And it was this part seven. Now, he has good things to say about every single installment in the series. Like, oh, I, part two, I thought that was really good. Marsupial werewolves in part three, that was great. Part four, yeah, we had some sound problems, but we tried to get things to work. Part five, yeah, we had a castle, and it was really great. You know, all he has good things to say about all these. This is the one 
where he just really is like, ah, yeah, that one. Oh, <laughs> he has nothing positive to say about that one. And it's the only one out of the eight that you can say that about. And this is the most affable, even easy to please guy ever. I mean, you gave this guy a cupcake and he'd be like your best friend, <laughs> but he has nothing positive to say about part seven. And I think that sums it up. So yeah, thumbs down. Watch it. If you're into train wrecks though, Seth, after the second time I watched it, I went on to Letterboxd to log it. And I saw just a plethora of half-star, one-star reviews. And then at the very end, I see one five-star review. (laughs) And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is that Derek Carey? (laughs) And I click on it, and it's Derek Carey. Power level 9,000! I I gave it I gave it the lowest rating I could. Thumbs down, but I've set up viewings with various friends that can appreciate or try to appreciate movies such as this. Uh a friend that loves Troll 2, another friend that loves Manos. And I am somewhat excited to actually sit through this movie a couple more times just to see what they have to say. So I'm gonna say thumbs down, trending towards we'll see. It, it, I I love what's happening here. I, I truly do. I'm gonna I'm holding my breath for my final thoughts, but I'm gonna move on to Mark the Movie Man. Mark the Movie Man. I I gotta give it a thumbs up. Good um, for you, Mark the Movie Man. There you go. Bitch. I, I, <laughs> and I'm not just I'm not just saying that because after watching a third time, I'm sitting here going, I could watch this again, and and I don't know why. <laughs> Because I know in the back of my brain this is this is really bad, but there's something, there's just something about it. I mean, you you watch enough movies and you see all these people try to make try to make bad films because that's the thing now. If you watch a lot of stuff where they're trying to be bad, most of those fail. This film, you can tell who's ever making this thinks they're making a movie. There's some genuine heart behind it. They they think they're making something here. It, it and that's what I love about it is, is the fact that yes, it's awful dialogue, horrible editing, plot, what plot. Um, but at its core, you're watching this going. Everyone involved is having fun, and they these people are making a movie. They went to this town and these folks who've never acted before going, I'm in a movie. You know, <laughs> you know I get a lot of dialogue about country music. You, you know, you, you get the women in there who get to be friendly and then caddy towards the widow lady for some reason, which I don't know about. I want to know. There's just so much genuine awfulness about it. Because they're tr- they they are totally in. They're all in. You can tell they're trying to make a movie. They're all in, and you see so many movies nowadays try to achieve what this film accomplished without trying. I guess is the best way to put it, if that makes sense. Absolutely, uh, and, Mark. And Absolutely, that's Mark. why I enjoy. It. I am under no illusion whatsoever. This is a horrible film. 
do not get me wrong on that. If looking at it from just a filmmaking perspective, this thing is a piece of it. Yeah. Whoever at New Line Cinema <laughs> greenlit this, goodbye. Uh, but as just watching a film, I enjoyed it so much because it was so genuine in its badness they, they, that you've got to appreciate, I think, at least that if nothing else, and I think people should watch it because it is an experience. People think they watch bad films because they watch, oh, Birdemic or Birdemic 2 or, you know, Scary Movie 80,000 or whatever. No, watch this film. This is a true bad, it's good, it's bad film. And it's because there's more heart in it than 8,000 of those parodies that are out there today. Angelique, I I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm on uh, Mark the Movie Man's coattails here, but I have to give it a giddy, confusing, mind blown thumbs up, simply because it's so bad that it's so much fun to sit through. I mean, I watched it the first time, and I I guess I wasn't paying attention because I think I got caught in the same trap. I thought we were filming or or, or recording whatever a, a week before, so I watched it. And it wasn't as painful, but then when I actually sat down and and paid attention to it, my my Facebook can attest, and, and Scott was a witness to this. <laughs> my brain, my brain just completely melting down. It's so bad, but you, it, it's not on purpose bad. It just turned out that way. And they tried really hard to be funny and witty and just failed miserably at every single turn. Not to mention the lack of werewolves. And then when you finally reveal one, it's like they just took PowerPoint transition slides and just put it over a dog mask. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was so bad. And, And just the trying to weave together this, this crazy tapestry between howling four and howling seven everything that happened is related no completely didn't work but they were honestly trying to do something cool and just missed the mark completely and i i have it's not the worst movie i've ever seen which is you know that's saying a lot but it, it, honestly, it's something you have to share with people and, and sitting here watching it alone. I'm like, oh, God, there's so many people I want to subject to this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, giddy, giddy, stupid, crazy thumbs up. Not not like, you know, yeah, this is my favorite movie ever, but it's one that's, that's definitely going to hang around. Shane. I couldn't sing the praises of this film enough. Uh, It has everything. It is a clip show. It is the weirdest musical ever. It is the worst mystery detective story ever. It's, it's perfect. It, it, uh, but I don't know who the star, what is the star in this film? Is it the acting, the great acting? Is it the music? But I think it's Clive Turner in his editing role because uh, my favorite section of the movie is probably the father and the detective talking because 
he must have Clive Turner must have filmed it all in one shot, and then he's like, "Holy shit! I just I have all the it's just exposition exposition because it's the clip show where the father keeps creating new powers that this werewolf has. Well, now it can shape shift, and now it can mind control, and now it becomes engorged. So he had to uh, cut up all this exposition into chunks throughout the film, but he didn't realize they're wearing the same clothes. So within, like, it's days that Ted's been working at this bar, but they're still talking. <laughs> they haven't moved. And then, they, well, then the guy... Remember, every time they start talking, the cop gets tired and then says, hey, we need to go get some fresh air or I need a drink. But the next day, he's still wearing his same clothes. Hey, low rent. So, Harry Mason has one suit, okay? That, but he, he, he does finally change, and then he comes back, and he talks to them. And where that's when they bring in Marie Adams, and she starts talking. And then she goes into her clip show segment, but it's a different woman who's ADRing the narration. It's not Marie Adams. And then they don't know how to finish her scene, so they just show some woman who's not Marie Adams, like, just laying in a ditch. And they're like, oh, she must have fell out of a window. Like, that's how you you brought her back. At, at the end of part four, she died. A werewolf jumps out of the fire to kill her. She's dead. They bring her back to not even show her death scene. She, they just throw some woman in the in a, in, in a ditch. I love this movie. It... it it's perfect. That's perfect. What a movie! Just an abandoned, uh, the, the body of an abandoned of an of a nameless woman in a ditch. That's a perfect review of this movie. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the dance sequence with the the all three guys in their sombreros. Oh, the sweeping up. Eight bit yeah. music. Oh my god, I loved it. That's been in my head for days. Like. <laughs> Or when, or when they're drinking their their timed jokes, where they're drinking their shots and their beer, and then putting up their glasses. Like I, can, anytime I see that, I could just think of Clive Turner like trying to orchestrate the joke because he obviously that's not in a script. It can't be in a script. Nobody wrote that down. He's just like, okay, you sit in the bar and you drink your shot and then drink your beer and we'll cut to me and I'll do it and then somebody else will do it. It'll be great. And I just I love asking questions about the meta knowledge of this movie, like the behind the scenes. I could never not watch this movie. Thumbs up as high as they go. Yeah. It, it, it seriously, like we had alerted to before this movie is nothing more than a series of dad and grandpa jokes strung out for an hour and a half with a Wolfman, uh, just all of a sudden Wolfman showing up in the last five frames of the film. And now for for and now 21 years that this film has been out there in the world. I have tried to subject this film to every last person I have ever met or come into contact with, because I believe the same as you guys had said, there is something about this film that is so insanely like idiotic and, and pointless but yet it's so there. And I know not everyone's going to agree with me. There's something so in, innately charming about it that, that I, every time it hits the last scene in, uh, and Ted gets cut off in the middle of his song, 
all of a sudden I kind of I kind of weep a little bit inside. And I'm like, I just hated the last 15 minutes of this movie because my brain hurt trying to wrap itself around what happened. But I'm kind of sad that this is ending. <laughs> Did you listen to the lyrics of that song? Dirty Dog Blues. He's yeah. singing about how they thought he was a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he is. Yep. He's like, they thought I was a werewolf, but na na na. It's so bizarre. <laughs> and that brings up an interesting thing because he is a werewolf. But they never have him turn into a werewolf throughout the that's whole. Where, that's where my point comes from. He's not a werewolf. I think, honestly, something really got lost in the script. He's not a werewolf. He is not one of the evil creatures that asshole Father Dowling was talking about. He is an avenging spirit. He was trying to protect everybody. That's why he was the tow truck blocking the road. That's why he was trying to keep everybody there. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just let's just stop trying to like rewrite this film into something it's not. This this movie makes zero sense. There, it it literally is a just nothing but bad puns and jokes. What would drive a man? This is what I I want to find Clive Turner and I want to talk to him in a very serious way because I think genuinely, like I'd said before. I, I bet you he's a, a really super nice guy. I bet you he's oh, a great yeah. guy. He has great <laughs> intentions. He wanted to make these were people that he was was friends with. This was a town that he had kind of put under his wing and he had found and then all of a sudden loved the atmosphere there and decided, you know what? I think I'm going to make a movie here. Uh, who knows if he actually lived there or what the, the story was. I am fascinated as to how this movie got made. I have no, I've, I've been searching high and low to find anything about this film and i have come up with nothing absolute dust that's partly why i gave it a thumbs up because you can tell i mean this wasn't just a thrown together you know filmed in your friend's basement thing this was honestly he loved the subject matter and he tried so hard to make it something cool that related to the rest of the films, you know, so it, it, it has a lot of heart in it. And that's why, you know, I couldn't give it a thumbs down because you could tell he was having a blast. He Every was, scene he was in, he was having a fucking blast. Of course, because he got to sit and drink on set all day and tell bad fucking <laughs> jokes. That's what this movie is. It's an hour and a half of grandpa dick jokes and uh, him drinking and, and pappy drinking. So honestly, I this is a film. I love bad films. I'm a fan of a boarding house, a troll, a troll two. Oh. I actually do like <laughs> Birdemic. I watch it quite often because I find it just as cockamamie. But <laughs> this is the king of them all to me. I know growing up, Shane and I used to watch Troll Two all the time, like all the time. This movie is the king of them to me because it is just flabbergasting and I have fun watching this every single time and I love sending I because I know there's more than just me out there people who like finding things that are so that so go off the rails and so get everything wrong that they that they actually become you know it's the it's so good it's so bad it's good type thing this is the king of them to me and I know not everybody agrees but 
I can't recommend this enough. And it's funny that Seth went to Letterboxd and found that I was the only five star review on Letterboxd. <laughs> That's I, so I, beautiful. I, 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 can find see that. Myself, I can see myself coming around to this way of thinking, though. Seriously, I really can. Yeah, give a little more viewing, Scott. Half, Come on. I'm halfway there already. Uh, like, as I said, I'm going to watch it again, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I know how he got the film made. You, you asked how it happened. It's a small town, right? Yeah. Small towns have their secrets. I think he blackmailed the whole town in this movie. He found something out. Maybe that skeleton in the wood that they found with the blonde wig, maybe that wasn't as fake as we think it is. Blackmail, Derek. Blackmail. Oh, boy. We well, hopefully we find out. I've been searching high and low to dig up some information on this film, and I came in contact with a with a person that's actually putting together a Crystal Lake memory style book on the howling films. So yeah. I'm hoping to, to, to get them on the show in a future episode, and maybe we can uncover some of this uh, mystery and intrigue, not in the film, but how this fucking movie ever got made. So um, we're, I'm really shocked that we're actually kind of split on this film. <laughs> in the panel today because I was expecting everyone but Shane and I to completely just fart all over this thing <laughs> but um, but with that let's go ahead and walk away from Howling New Moon Rising and let's fast forward to 2011 and Howling Reborn I need you to be strong and stay with me because you're the one who's going to have to kill me I know a lot of people dog Howling 7 and, and consider it to be the worst film in the series. You know my thoughts about Howling 7. Yes, it's a horrible, horrible, terribly made film. But let's go ahead and go into the plot synopsis um, before I start having Tourette's and just telling you how much of a piece of fucking garbage this movie is. Plot synopsis of Howling Reborn. Oh, did I already let the cat out of the bag? I'm sorry. Uh, the plot synopsis of Howling Reborn. A teenage outcast discovers he is a werewolf and must battle a pack of the brutal creatures when they threaten him and his new girlfriend. Mm. Now, Howling Reborn came almost 15 years after the last film and it's directed by first time director Joe Nimzicki and actually stars actresses compared to the last film where it was a bunch of backwater yokels in some town. They actually got actors and actresses for this film. We had Lindsay Shaw, who was a Nickelodeon actor actress for a while when she was younger and then was in pretty little liars Landon Liborian, I don't know if I'm saying these right. I'm I'm attempting. So if I'm wrong, sue me. Uh, he was in uh, Degrassi, The Next Generation, and the new Netflix series, Hemlock Grove. And then uh, Ivana, I can't say her last name. I I have no idea. But she uh, was... Milicevic. <laughs> Milicevic. Um, yeah, she I'm was guessing. in uh, Casino Royale, Enemy of the State, and a bunch of... She was a TV actress for a while. So this time we actually have... 
actors and actresses. We have a, a movie that looks like a movie, feels like a movie, is wonderful production value. It uh, actually is stylish. I, I, I'll fight that it's not really edited well, but you could say that it, 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 it's competently edited to a point. But um, it is literally what if you were to take an old dead franchise and try and reboot the thing for a modern audience. Now, you this film, the, the producers obviously saw Twilight and decided, you know what? Why don't we make one just purely about the werewolves instead of the vampires and the werewolves? And why don't we use the Howling franchise that was based on horny werewolves in Sleaze when they were actually in the films, the, the werewolves when they were actually in the films? Why don't we use that as our flagship? And, and and make a twiling teen drama romance film off of that. Because that's all this movie is, is, is a Twilight ripoff for an hour and a half. Angelique? Absolutely. You nailed it on the freaking head. This movie is so angst ridden. I mean, I'm sorry. That poor kid put him on antidepressants stat. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Oh my God. I'm a state of apathy and this and that. I mean, what, what's your name, kid? Uh, uh, I don't feel right in my own skin. Please, somebody. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Oh my God. I hated it. I hated it. So it, this, okay. So as Clive said in Howling 7, I'm into sadomasochism bestiality and necrophilia therefore i'm beating a dead horse this movie was nothing but beating a freaking dead horse and and reverse oedipus complexes oh god i mean seven hurt seven hurt me worse than three but you guys weren't here to witness that eight Mm mm-mm that we give shitty films a pass all day long. I mean, honestly, even the folks of us that hated seven, hated four, five, six, three, two, we still gave it a pass. This one was like a legit, we're making a movie movie, and it freaking sucked. My main thing with the film was that it had the most painfully unironic dialogue that was so ultra serious that it made me want to chip out my eardrums <laughs> and mm-hmm. stomp them into the ground. <clears throat> it, it, it is obviously a movie that was, it, this could have been, if certain scenes were taken out of it, this could have played on Nick, Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel. It felt like it felt. I've watched enough of those films because I are enough of those shows because I have three daughters and they watch that kind of stuff all the time. And this film felt exactly in line with that. It was not for a horror audience. This is for a younger demographic that are into romance and teen high school stuff. This is not for people that were into the Howling series, which to me, it, it, it feels so I, – I can't – I don't understand what they were thinking other than trying to get extra tickets for, for – or not even tickets because it never went out. It went straight to video. Yeah. Um, get, get an audience – 
to watch this. Um, it was Degrassi with are, werewolves. Are, are there people who are into the Howling series, though, at this point? I mean, let's face it. I mean, the brand, the brand has been degraded since part two. Well, I mean, like Derek said, it's it's totally riding on the coattails of Twilight, the vampire versus werewolf. Oh, howling, that means werewolf. Let's make it sweet and sexy and sleek and cool with a lisping foreign buddy. You <laughs> oh, know, uh, I'm going to kill you now. You're hitting on my girlfriend, you know, whatever. Uh. <laughs> Andrew, what did what did you I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this one, because I think we can all agree from a filmmaking standpoint. This is a head and shoulders, probably the best feeling and looking film since part three. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, uh, this was the only one that because I owned one, two and three. Uh, four, five, and six I got off of Hulu. Seven I watched on YouTube, and I hated seven so much. I felt so like it was such a waste of time. I decided I did not want to pay to watch Howling 8, especially after what I understood it was going to be like. I've never seen a Twilight, don't want to. So I watched it on YouTube, and um, the only version they had was dubbed in Turkish. <laughs> that's what I watched, and I'll tell you. No! I'm serious. Yeah, I was able to follow it completely, and I liked it. It's Turkish? Yeah. I'm at a loss right now. Yeah, it was fine. I could send you the link if you don't believe me. I sat and watched the whole no, thing. No, I totally believe you. I just can't believe that that's the version you watched. Yeah, no, I was, and you know, you I was like... Would- if, you didn't watch the English version at all. No, I wasn't able to find it for free. So, um, I was able to follow it completely. It was fine. I was like, you know, I watched a few minutes and I'm like, you know, if this isn't working, if I'm not understanding what's going on, well, I mean, you know, right, I'll turn it off. What's the follow? Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, he's doing like a Google search. That's in English. There's a lot of things. It's so it is so cliche and so rote and so standard that um, it you don't need to um, be able to even understand what anyone is saying. It communicates everything perfectly cinematically. And I don't think that I think I think that's a that's a that just speaks to it being solidly made. It might not be the most original movie or even like, you know, a cool or anything. It's it. I would have never watched it, but um, the fact that I watched it in Turkish and that I was able to follow it and I was into it, um, I think that says something good about the movie. Dude, this is unbelievable because honestly, I think you found the only way I would ever be able to watch this movie. (laughs) It really works. I'm like, send me that link because the English version... Yeah, I'll, so, uh, I'll post it in the uh, in the chat there. No, I would. It worked fine for me. I mean, well, the main reason why the script comes off so horribly hackneyed and terrible is because how seriously the actors deliver this horrible dialogue. It is grating. It made me by halfway throughout the film, I literally hated what I was doing. It was insulting as a Howling fan or a horror movie fan that they would do this. This I hated this movie. Um, Seth, what were you thinking when you started watching this thing? You know, uh, what everybody else has said, I can reiterate, but I just don't know who the hell they like were marketing this towards because I actually bought the Blu-ray for this. Um, now, three bucks you know so i've already sold it on ebay i'm waiting for the payment this does not look like a twilight ripoff at all 
No, it doesn't. Werewolf artwork. So I don't know who they're marketing. They could have made a lot more money, I'm sure, if they would have just put on a sparkly werewolf, smoky-eyed girl, nerdy guy cover, right? Because right. that's what this, this is what this is about: is the nerdy guy coming of age gets a little attitude, beats up the uh, the Eastern European guy with the gun and steals his girlfriend. And just they, they had gold. I mean, the the lead guy. I mean, he is a petri dish sperm cocktail of Robert Pattinson and Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Oh I my just, god, that is so perfect. <laughs> this whole movie just felt like absolutely nothing to do with werewolves or the howling until the last twenty minutes. And there's a lot of sexual tension between the mom and the kid and her son. It's just a weird incestual mess of high school <laughs> but they put sex back into the howling because of that you know yeah. and, and i guess since it's incestual a little bit of that sleaze is back too yeah yeah that's that that is true i think if there's anything positive i, I am gonna say about this movie other than the production value is that there was a scene where um the werewolf uh wolf pack which are is the most demographically diverse wolf pack where they have a white guy, Asian guy. Wait, are you are you telling people there's werewolves in Howling Reborn? <laughs> are you telling people that? <laughs> yes, there are actually werewolves in Howling Whoops. Reborn. Uh-huh. And these are arguably the best looking werewolves since part one. Whoops. Yeah, I, I'll agree. I'll agree with you there. Uh oh. What? Except for the rat tails and the bunny ears. Okay, Andrew, what's going on? Just listening to you guys saying that you hate it and then saying awesome things about it that it or kick the ass of all everything since three. <laughs> this is all I'm hearing. This is this true. Is the first werewolf werewolves we've seen since three. Too, okay, so. okay. So if we're Sorry. going, if we're going to place an argument that this is this is is better than those films. Okay, let's let's just say this. There uh, this, are this is how I feel. Well, there is werewolves in this film, yet it's edited in such a way that you can't see them at all until the very final scene. So it's nothing but flashes of movement and blurred motion for the vast majority. It's a werewolf film that's afraid to actually show that it has decent looking werewolves in it. If you okay, were to use but, a stopwatch, man, and calculate Derek, all that up, you know, it would still equal more than any of those screen time. And well, I agree with Andrew there. And also, Derek, here's the thing. Uh, they didn't have a ton of movie money to work with, and obviously they didn't hold their budget nearly as well as uh, part one that had the work of Rob Botin on it, right? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we establish that it had the work of Rob Botin? I can't remember. Yes, it's, because it's, he looked like a werewolf, and that's how he exactly, got the job. That's right. That's right. Now I remember. Okay. And now – so but we're, what we're dealing with most of the time – I mean there's a few CGI werewolf shots in there. And there's other CGI shots in here as well because it's modern filmmaking. That's just what they do. Live with it. Um, But we actually get people in werewolf suits. Now, the suits aren't that good. (laughs) But so if you actually keep the camera on them for a long time, the longer you keep the camera on them, the worse they look. So what do you want? Do you want a movie that doesn't show werewolves? Do you want a movie that shows CGI werewolves? Or do you want a movie that will actually show practical effects, but know enough to say, uh, we got to make these quick edits? Nah, I don't agree. I don't agree. I, th- I actually think the werewolves do look good. And it extended scenes where they actually show them. They're basically an amalgamation of like the underworld werewolves. 
um, and the howling from the first movie and dog soldiers. It's that kind of design. And I would say the, dog soldiers, yeah. The extended shots where you do get to see them, they're cool looking fucking werewolves. So I don't agree that it was out of necessity that they it was a total style style choice because the film has a very 90s visual style and editorial style to it. It to me, it felt like a bad crow sequel with hyper edits and uh, constant music that was telling you how to feel all the time. And the, the visual ticks and the editorial ticks were, were a conscious choice. The makeup, it it was good. Editorial and their decision uh, aesthetically how the film was going to play ruined any chance of those werewolves coming off decently in my mind. I thought it was I thought it was just fucking handled so piss poorly. Shane, what did you think of this thing? I have never been so turned off from a movie from like the credits like it has. It's, it opens with the Twilight font. Like, the credit, the font. I shouldn't be talking about the font, but it just opens so... It opens with the Twilight font, and, and then the opening shots are in this garish blue filter, and it's exactly what they did if anybody has seen Twilight. Like, the first Twilight film is, it's blue. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be overcast in uh, Seattle area, or Washington, rather. Force. And it's just... And then it just becomes, once they do all the Twilight uh, plot points, it becomes the Lost Boys with this weird gang of, instead of vampires, it's werewolves. But it is, I've just never, right after that, just seeing the title treatment, I've never watched a movie so passively. Like, this is, on paper, it's got flamethrowers, it's got fighting werewolves, it's got, like, cougar sex, it's bondage, I mean, it's got a uh, chick in a little squirrel outfit, but it, I don't know, it just did nothing for me, I don't know, it, I mean, all I saw was the it, its ambition to just rake in in that Twilight money. And I've seen all the Twilight movies inexplicably, but this is like, I just, it does nothing for me. Yeah, I, I could there's agree. No, there's not the fun. There's not the fun of like um, the marsupials. Like what? That's, that's, that's insanity. But this is just, it's, it's a cliche and it, it yeah. Overdone. And it doesn't have an original voice of its own whatsoever. Not that exploitation film always needs to have an original voice, but this felt like such a cash grab that that's all that mattered in this film. I'm, I am amazed and, and honored that we have Mark, the movie man, had to leave, unfortunately, tonight. He couldn't handle um, – he told me off air that um, he could not handle coming in and actually talking about Howling 8 – um, because he had a very bad experience, personal experience with the film in the past. So he called on one of his favorite people in the world to fight the crime that is Howling 8 Reborn. Batmark has come in to help hopefully save the day. Batmark, thank you for coming back on the Astro Radio Z. Uh, I'd just like to say it. it's an honor to be here. I found out from Howling and I walked on Robin. <laughs> He was he was playing with his bat wang to the credit scene of Halloween 2. And I was like, what are you watching? And he's like, I'm 
watching Rowling too. They're like, what is this? Why are there tits here? <laughs> you know, you're a kid. Go away. So after I watched that movie, um, <laughs> I watched the rest. And then I watched this one and I was like, okay, Robin, you can watch this because it's okay. Not that it's good. But when I got done with this one, uh, I was fighting Man Bat one time and he was flying in the air and I was holding onto his legs and his guano, his guano hit me in the eyes and it burned. And that feeling was what I got when I watched this film. It was bat, man bat guano in the eyes, burned. It, you gotta pour milk in your eyes to clear that out, by the way. I, I went through a gallon of milk. It didn't help. Uh, I, I did like the hot old lady. Uh, she reminded me of Catwoman, kind of, only she was a dog. So I guess that makes her dog woman. Um, yeah. Uh, flamethrower was cool. That Mark, but, you're having a tough time. I, I, why is it that it, it, you kind of sound like Mark the Movie Man? You, it, no, I'm not Mark the Movie Man. Oh, are you sure about that? There, there's, there was hints of Mark the Movie Man in that. I'm that Mark. <laughs> so, so Mark the Movie Man, are, are, are you saying that this was a painful experience for you? I, I would, I would, it was there. It, it was, this movie did nothing. Whereas at least seven, it was. Wait, so wait, is this Mark the movie, man? Wait, I see Batmark. What's going on here? I'm very confused. You just, you just, you just said my name. So I'm here. <laughs> so. We, you heard it here first, folks. Batmark is actually Mark the movie, man. Yep, <laughs> it's real. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's the glasses. I know the glasses threw you off. Like, <laughs> my heart is broken. I love Batmark. I, 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 I'm sorry, folks. I, 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 it was a ruse. I was a little delirious from fighting Supermark. Batmark versus Supermark. If you go see it, um, I was a little delirious. I forgot who I was there for a minute. I do apologize. But this film, um, yeah, it was there. It really was there. It did did nothing for me. Yes, there were werewolves, but yeah, I it got done. I was like, okay, yeah, I want to watch Seven again because this one felt exactly like it didn't. Yeah, there were werewolves in it, but this felt even less like a howling movie than the other ones did. You know. Agreed. It, yeah. And I don't know why, because it had werewolves in it. It had had the sleaze parts. And I'm like, oh, hey, there's sex in here. But in the end, I was just like, I want to watch the other ones, because this one definitely is someone got a hold of the name and they said, hey, let's make a movie. Uh, and people will buy because it, it has the howling name on it. But in the end, I'm like, yeah, this could easily be a you know, saved by the bell episode where Zach gets extra hair on his nuts and doesn't know what to do. So he goes to Screech who takes a look and he goes, Oh my God, you got hair on your nuts. And it was too slick. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's all I got for this film. I, I did not enjoy it. It was there. It felt it's so cliched compared to the others that, 
I, I just couldn't get into it. Even at the end, I was like, Hey, werewolves. Okay. And then even that was, I bet she gets bit and I bet she helps out. Yep. There you go. Uh huh. <laughs> at least with seven, you didn't know what the hell was going on. So you can never predict what was going on because you're like, does Pappy actually drink alcohol or not? You know, that was more of a mystery to me than, you know, whether or not she was going to get bit at the end and they're going to be a loving couple doing it doggy style the rest of their lives. It, it, yeah. W-A-T-T-E-R, Mark. Water. Yeah, sure. Okay. I, now, I'm really super interested to hear what Glenn has to say about this because was this the first time you've ever seen this movie, Glenn? It was the first time I've seen this one. And it, I can't say for sure it'll be the last. I'm especially intrigued now by the Turkish version because, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I like kind of where they're going with, with, with the story. You know, it's the fact that here's this kid, you know, who, you know, finds out he's a wizard, I mean, uh, a werewolf. Um, and his mom shows up and she's like, you know, all pissed because uh, this, you know, the, Teenage werewolf, like like most teenagers, has has forgotten his line dancing roots, um, <laughs> and you know she wants to bring him back into the fold, um, but he's having none of that. So I mean, he's they this new girl, and they like raves and all that kind of stuff, and they're just not into the line dancing thing. So, um, but man, just they made it. I mean, I'll, I'll agree the werewolves are actually really well done, um, but. Just having a good werewolf doesn't mean you're going to have a good movie. And you can even have a good movie and have what I think are pretty crappy werewolves like you did in late phases. Just the the dialogue, as you said, is just so awful and so painful to sit through that even though I I think the story's all right, I want more flamethrower. As soon as they had that, I'm like, oh, great. This is going to be some good. No. They just he sets the floor on fire. What the fuck was that? Why go to the effort of making flamethrowers if you could just accomplish the exact same thing with a zippo? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, here's a flamethrower, but you never get to use it. If someone did that to me and said, "Here's a flamethrower, but you can't ever use it," I would fucking punch them in the nuts so hard <laughs> that their dick would pop off the top of their head. I mean, come on, man, what is that? It's like, <laughs> I wanted him to at least melt one one werewolf so we could revisit Howling, which one was that, with the melty uh, transformation. We could revisit four, that. Four. You know, I wanted I wanted him to go Indiana Jones Nazi on one guy and just have him all go... That's what I wanted, but no, I don't get that. Instead, I get him lighting the floor on fire. And then, am, am I wrong? Do werewolves not have claws? Because <laughs> the whole fight with his mom, it's 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 like... It's the WWF, it's Werewolf Wrestling Federation, because they're just picking each other and throwing each other constantly. Oh, if man, you have time to stop and pick someone up, bury your claws through them. The chick figures it out in like four seconds of being a werewolf. Yep. Oh, I got these big sharp claws, I can rip people's hearts out. Mom, who's been a werewolf for, what, 18 years, can't fucking figure this shit out. Now I'll just throw my son through walls. If I can say something, what threw me, I think what threw me out of the film right away. This is mom? Because that's what she does. She throws <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Besides the mom, 
and the fact that the guy does have the nails, but he only uses them during sex with the girl. Two really bad versions of Don't Fear the Reaper. Uh, the same reason. version, uh, as I just said, told Angelique, was the same version they used in the similar seduction scene in Scream. The it's most angstiest, angstiest yeah. sex scenes ever. But, exactly. Also, that sex scene was fully clothed. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was lame. And I mean, I'm like, her whole shtick was lame. Can we just get that out there? She was yeah. the stereotypical little, oh, I'm bad, I'm edgy. Oh, look how short my schoolgirl skirt is. Mirror, you know. And that was a weird time to fuck, too. That was a weird time to fuck. And that's all that matters. Yeah, well. Well, I, um, think, what, I think what it is is that that's what the problem I had with this film. When I, what I was going to say was, uh, where, where I was going with this was, what took me out of the film right away was when he had the filmmaking buddy. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Yes, I love film. But we see this so much, especially in the newer quote-unquote horror films, the self-referential referential guy. I'm like – we got this in the late 90s with Scream, and it has not gone away. Thank you. And that was the first thing that threw me out was the fact that his buddy not only was uh, not only was an aspiring filmmaker, but an aspiring horror filmmaker who had the shtick of when prom is going on, I'm going to break into the entire city's broadcast and show this horror film. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> is Wes Craven coming from the grave and calling you up and going, give me my fucking idea back, you little bastard? <laughs> really? That, that's what took me out right away first thing was I'm like, why does the buddy have to be a film guy? And then we circle around to the end going, oh, my God, we are trying to reboot the series for a new franchise, but we're getting the whole thing over again. I'm going to show you what it looks like to transform into a werewolf so you know that these people and i'm like wow really <laughs> i mean it, it had potential it, all the elements were there but they used every cliche in the book from previous films that you're like no give me something at least a little original and instead of the like you guys someone else mentioned the lost boys rehash Yep. Yeah, the minute the guy, the minute the guy's friend was a horror film aficionado who was an aspiring filmmaker, I was like, ah, oh, crap, because I knew where the rest of the film was going to head, and it went exactly there, and I think that just that that was minute one when I it, it checked me out of it, you know. Besides the twilight and the angst, I I think the same as we did with the last film with the favorite joke. Let's give our most cringe-worthy line of dialogue, each one of us, because I see in the chat everyone is starting to, to quote the film. And I'll start it off with, with an especially wonderful little nugget. Remember that mere 2% that separates us from the animals? It's everything. I like that. I actually like that line. I hate I There's so much... Shane, what was your your uh, cringeworthy line of dialogue? Well, I had listed in the chat earlier, which, again, is a direct rip of a line, as if you need to be ripping uh, Twilight's dialogue, of all things. It's the... So what is it about me? 
I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like the rest of the world's in black and white. You're in color. And that's something almost exactly said in Twilight. In another one was, there's like a Twilight jab. He's the, the like the, the, the movie friend, like talks about how lame sparkly vampires are. It's like, do you, are you seriously, do you have the balls to rip on the movie you want to be so bad? And it's like, uh, so confusing. So confusing what this, this is for. <laughs> Seth, your line. Uh, when the, the smoky-eyed girl is professing her love to the not-so-geeky boy anymore, and she says, I always knew it was you drawing me. You made me feel beautiful when I never did. Oh, that's poetry. That is pure poetry. <laughs> oh, Angelique, you have one? This class. You guys are making me feel like a complete asshole because I don't have an actual line, but just like any kind of dialogue between him and the camera. Like, Hey, look, I need you to be strong and stay with me because you're the one who's going to have to kill me. And silver nitrate kills vampires when you weren't even in class for a whole semester, you fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I'm being rather, rather mean-spirited toward this movie. This movie just makes me angry. It just really makes me angry because it is such a freaking ripoff. I mean, I understand. Yeah, okay, we see that that this franchise is doing great and it looks like this. And this franchise is doing pretty well, too, and it looks like this. So we're just going to take all the great things from either one of these franchises regardless of how tiny those great things are and make them big and in your face but make them suck oh okay until the until the if you make them suck part there that was kind of like what an exploitation film is though well i mean it, it tried but failed it failed scott you we i haven't actually given you your time to to kind of go on about uh your thoughts on reborn you want to you want to let us all know what your thoughts are well you can kind of figure it out okay first of all i gotta tell you yeah the dialogue in this movie really really is the worst it's terrible it is absolutely terrible but here's the thing uh, Derek, I think you mentioned that you thought that the actors were came on way too strong with their dialogue. I don't think they did. The it's the writing. The writing sounds like it was the script sounds like it was written by somebody who says, "Okay, this is the audience that we're aiming towards." Yeah. Just, you know, they're not that in that audience. They don't know. They maybe not. They don't have kids that age or anything like that. So they're like, I don't know. Uh, check Twitter, uh, check Facebook or some emo blogs and find out what they're talking about or something. So it sounds like somebody, something that's written by somebody who doesn't know how to write for this audience. Hence, so it's the CW of werewolf films. Yes. Yes, but I actually like some of the shows on the CW, the superheroes, not the necessarily the other ones. Anyway, but that wasn't uh, happening when this movie came out, though. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing: and so the writer makes everything seem so overdramatic, so angsty. And in the end, I don't think it's the actors that come on too strong. I don't think it's the characters that come on too strong. It is the writing. It comes on way, way, way too strong. Absolutely. Now, this is a good movie. 
<laughs> yep, I liked this movie genuinely. I don't think it's the greatest oh. movie ever. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever. But uh, Shane, actually, uh, who who did not like the movie, I'm not like dragging him into my little pit with me. Um, <laughs> but Shane uh, was very co- correct. He said that he had seen the Twilight movies. And that this is not like them at, at all, even though it tries to mimic the style of them. Uh, would that be correct, Shane? Like the absolutely. Te- However, thematically, I would say another film that Shane name checked. I would say it has more to do with, like, say, like a Lost Boys, or even a Near Dark. In that, it's about a guy who's, of course, like some you know misunderstood person because that's the person you have to cast as the lead in these things, who gets involved with a girl, and around the same time he uh, comes under the influence of this demonic cabal of supernatural creatures. Just like those movies, them those movies it was vampires. In this movie, it's werewolves. I thought, okay, cliche, get it, but I'm kind of expecting the cliches just basically because I know what they're working towards. Having said that, this movie has a lot going for it. It has plot twists that I did not see coming. I did not see the 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 twist coming midway through. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. With um that his that the uh school nurse or whatever turns out to be his like long lost mother who is running the cabal i did not see that coming at all uh i thought that they did a good bit of misdirection by having the uh teenage girl reference uh staying staying with the pack and she has bits of dialogue and her flirty nature that makes you think that she's the werewolf but it turns out she's not Lindsay shaw she was really good she had to act one way in the first parts of the movie and then act a different way in the second part of the movie and make it seem like it was the same character. Did it. And then you get to this third act. They went balls out with that third act and only to like, so, I mean, I know that there's probably never going to be a howling nine. And if there is, it's probably not going to follow the events of howling eight. We hope but not. But let's be honest, like the last five minutes of this movie and then the end credit sequence where there's extra scenes going on throughout the end credits and you have to watch the end of the credits. Holy shit. <laughs> I was watching this and thinking like, good God, they're talking about a werewolf war and everything like that. I'm like, good God, that sounds epic. So now In they're my not- notes, I typed the exact thing that Derek just so now, so now they're not take, so now they're not just taking Twilight. They're not just taking the Lost Boys. They're taking like an underworld vibe, and they're trying to blend it all into one. When I was done with it, I'm like, you know what? That was a legitimately decent movie, and it's the first one I can say that about since part one. So yeah, this is my second favorite of the series. I'd rated along outside other movies in the genre, certainly uh, that genre that today is aiming towards that younger crowd. I mean, let's not forget that this was not marketed towards 40-year-old horror fans. But I don't know how anybody could look at this as being worse than Part 7 or even any of the others. Honestly, I looked at this and said, no, it's a decent film. I liked it. I liked Howling Reborn. I'll say it. Have, have you watched? I mean, no offense, Scott, but were you dropped as a baby? <laughs> and you by a horse onto a freeway and then run over? You are right. <laughs> As far as a, a film goes, this is a, an actual put-together, start-to-finish, bookend-to-bookend film. If you've watched 
a lot of the recent modern horror films. This is the Nickelback of the Howling series. <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm, that's what I'm saying. Is, Bravo, Mark. Damn, I, I, it I cannot be put any better. I this know that's is the, the Nickelback of werewolf films. <laughs> I, I mean, I totally respect. I'm glad you and I'm glad Andrew found and I'm glad there are people out there who could enjoy it. And I think if I hadn't watched a lot of modern horror films in the recent decade, I probably would actually enjoy it too. Had I just say, I just sat down and watched the howling films and all of a sudden I saw this and as a howling fan, I watched it, I'm like, Holy crap, this is actually a complete film. They actually were putting some thought into it. But if you watch enough of the modern, especially modern direct to horror, uh, horror direct to video stuff that they've put out ever since the scream films, it, it follows the formula so well. Like you were saying, you didn't see the twists coming. I unfortunately saw all the twists coming. Oh, see, that's, that's, what, a, that's a difference of opinion then. I it, mean. And, and that's, bu- that's what bugged me. And that's why I'm saying when I watched it, all I could see is the a dozen other modern horror films that had come before it. And, and that's what frustrated me. And I understand it was for a new audience. But even for a new audience, they borrowed so much from other films that I'm like, I just I couldn't get into it. I really have zero to add to this film. I want to I want to get let's get final thoughts uh, on this on this one. Um, Let's go down the line. And I think everyone could kind of get their uh, their final points out. Obviously, Scott, you, you give this an emphatic thumbs up. Well, emph- emphatic, I would not say like emphatic is saying like it's a horror classic. I would say that it's the best one since the first one, though. So, very, yeah, I would give it a thumbs up. Very interesting. Andrew, ultimately, you've been kind of quiet on this one. Uh, you seem to have liked it uh, in some capacity. Uh, what, are, what are your final thoughts? Thumbs up, thumbs down on this. Well, right. is Howling 8, how does it stack up against 7654321? That's all I care about. And uh, when I was watching it, I was going like, I'm actually into this movie. I don't know what anyone's saying because it's in Turkish. And I have not enjoyed <laughs> watching a Howling movie since part three. And maybe it's Eddie Murphy's thing. If you starving and somebody throw you a cracker, you're going to think that's the best cracker you ever ate in your life. Was that a rinse? Maybe that's what was going on here. <laughs> but I liked it. It was in Turkish and I liked it. Glenn, final thoughts. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, I personally, I got to say thumbs down on this one. I mean, like I said, it had good werewolves as far as our series goes, but still it's the dialogue is so terrible. And yeah, okay, fine, stack it up. Is it as bad as seven? No, it's not as bad as seven on the fact that, you know, it had was produced better, but the fact that seven had no one who was a fucking actor, and I actually enjoy that one more than I enjoy this one, where everyone's an actor, and this one had a budget probably, well, let's see, if it had a budget of $1,000, it had a budget one million times bigger than Howling 7. It's... Howling in name only, and I just they, they they just try to tack on the howling to this at, at the end, and it just doesn't work for me. It mm-hmm. doesn't work it, at all. In its defense, almost every other film other than Howling One and Two are howling in name only. But <laughs> I was going to say the same. Thing. We won't go there, but I I tend to agree with you on almost everything there, uh, Glenn. Uh, Seth, uh, I, I will say that it's not a complete Twilight ripoff in the sense that it 
does come to actual horror movie content, but it very much wants to cash in on the Twilight trend. And I think it wants to be Twilight and horror movie friendly and fails at both. Uh, yes, it's better made than the majority of these Howling movies, but I'd say, honestly, I'd only rather watch this one than part four. Everything else has something going for it over this one. I can't believe this one got made 15 years after another one to keep the series alive, so maybe in 2030 we'll get something else. Maybe Clive Turner can uh, tie part seven together with this one. <laughs> we can only hope, Seth. We can only yeah. hope. Shane, what do you have? What are your final thoughts? Thumbs up, thumbs down on this. Both are bad, but for different reasons. I mean, if we're going to compare the two, it's uh, there's something so fun about the like Clive Turner's magnum opus. Like, it, like he wasn't ripping anything off. He just had no idea how to tell a story or how, or how to act or to edit or anything like that. But uh, this. Uh, with Reborn, it's just I again I've, I don't think I've ever watched anything so passively. Like it it it, it entered my eyes, and it's just I I guarantee to I watched it today. I was like I had it minimized on uh, my computer at work, and I, I I'll forget about it tomorrow. I mean I I, I that's I yeah, that's all I got. I mean it's not. It, it's hard to have a fun conversation about it when you're just left with so little emotionally, like even in terms of like fun trash. So thumbs down. Mark the movie man or bat Mark, whoever's there. I don't know who's there anymore. <laughs> well, I just like to say, Andrew, uh, you do make a point compared to the others. If we want to compare this to the others, yes, as a movie, it was made well for me personally. I just couldn't get into it like some of the others. As far as a horror film in general, uh, I guess for me, the predictability for it took me out of it as well. Uh, production value wise, yes, it's all right, but I'd give it a, a, I still couldn't recommend this one. It isn't like the other Howling films, though it does have more werewolves and it does have a higher production value. Angelique. You know, it, again, as everybody has pretty much said, this is a very beautiful, well-shot movie. It has very high production quality, but the story just loses it. But I have to say thumbs down. I mean, it, I, the fact that I can give Howling 7 a thumbs up and this a thumbs down just speaks to the power of the story and, and the cast and everything. Because I, I could not deal with that douchebag of a, a pre-pubescent werewolf i couldn't deal with him and i'm just going to wrap this all up and say this halfway through this movie my brain shuts completely down yep and i totally forget the film immediately after watching it i've seen this three times now i don't give one rat's ass how nice this film looks how well it's constructed it is incredibly forgettable and not meant for fans of the original series. <laughs> this film was not meant for like you like was said earlier is was not meant for 40 year old horror fans. We're talking about this is my opinion. We're talking a bunch of uh, guys that are around this age now. Yep. This film, if it's my opinion as to what this is, 
it's not for me. This, like I said before, this is a movie that would have played on the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, or is it plays on Netflix streaming in the kids section if you would just take out a couple scenes. It plays exactly like all those movies. It's super serious and no sense of irony to it whatsoever. And it is grating like halfway through at the age that I'm at right now, this movie is grating. I could not handle it at all. And unfortunately I can't give a thumbs up to this whatsoever. And I know this is going to be downright shocking, this is my least favorite howling film of the entire series because it is so fucking forgettable and grating. Now I know I screamed about howling five, but this film is just so vapid and not one original bone is in its body whatsoever. This is a cash grab of the highest order. And honestly, I am glad I never have to watch it again. Glad I never have to watch it again. But folks, we're going to take a short break here and then we're going to come on back and we're going to put put the stamp on the Howling franchise and say goodbye to it. Uh, We may bring some people on or I may bring some other people on involved with the franchise in later episodes this year. But for us, for the core group of Astro Radio Zombies, we're going to say goodbye to the Howling series. So listen to a little music and we'll be right back.
folks, here we are. Another franchise, another year, all done. Let's let's wrap this up quick and let's just give our final thoughts on the Howling uh, franchise. We've endured eight movies. Hopefully, crisscross. Um, if they ever do make another one, it'll actually be decent. I doubt it. I I I mean, really, if I was going to say anything, Howling one, two, and three are really the only good ones <laughs> of this series. Seven, yes, I love it to death, but that's not a legit like werewolf movie i'd love to hear your guys overall thoughts on on, on this because as we always do we always do a quick wrap-up of, of the franchise after we're all done so uh andrew what do you what do you think coming out of watching 18 or 18 eight howling films <laughs> like 18 at times but what do you how'd you come out after watching all the flicks uh, I mean, as as a 39 year old, you know, movie watcher, I, my judgments have been pretty good as far as picking stuff for myself and dodging stuff that I know I wouldn't like. I rarely dislike anything that I watch, and uh, I never got into the Howling series. Um, liked one, two, and three. Uh, revisited three because of this show, and end up, you know, loving that movie. Um, but no, I'm I did not like, you know, I. I, I, I yeah, the rest of them I don't really like. I mean, even the ones I gave a thumbs up to, I just was like, <laughs> thanks for putting werewolves in the movie, basically, <laughs> because this is the howling and I want to see werewolves. And my big problem is most of the movies don't have werewolves in them. Um, my rule for things sucking, though, has to do if it is better for more of the time than it is bad. And a uh, good example, the band Guns N' Roses, they were, have been shittier for longer than they were good. When they were good, they were <laughs> awesome. But the legacy of Guns N' Roses is it's shitty. And uh, that's the way I feel about the howling is uh, the legacy of the howling, unfortunately, because there are more bad ones. The good is it's a shitty film series and I'll never watch those again. I, I think you have to get going tonight. So why don't you uh, let the I listeners do. of Astro Radio Z know where they can find you? Uh, Amazon On Demand. I have some movies, including uh, Dr. Humpenstein's Erotic Castle, where a woman strips her clothes off and turns into a werewolf and humps my leg. Uh, com. And um, yeah, on Amazon On Demand, we have Fake Blood, Mondo, Gonzo, Pajas, and all of you guys rule. You know, I had such a good time talking about these movies with you. If I look forward to watching movies that I know I'm not going to like and aren't going to be good, that says something about what you've put together here. So I really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, letting me talk. As always, thanks for coming on to my show, Andrew. And uh, we'll talk later. Ooh, vaginas. <laughs> later. <laughs> and uh, Shane. What are your final thoughts? I know you didn't sit and watch all of these films, but I know throughout the years we've watched all of these films. So why don't you give your overall thoughts of the Howling franchise and uh, the films we watched tonight? Uh, yeah, I've totally seen all these uh, before. Um, I just didn't watch them all again, as you guys were. Uh, two is amazing. Red Brown? Yes. Yeah, of course. And that but uh, one, yeah. <laughs> it's great. America himself. Uh, part one's like a real movie. Part one's fun. Um, then they start to just fade a little. Like the, I know there's the circus one and there's the castle one. Of course, I know the castle one because seven. It always uh, gets me familiar with it again. Uh, it's not a good series. <laughs> um, Reborn's probably the worst. The best, of course, in my mind is 
seven because I watch it all the time. But uh, <laughs> and one is a real movie, probably one. But for me, my favorite is seven. But I, would I recommend the series to somebody? No, it's it's it's. I mean, you got two. Two is great. One, two, and seven for me. That's about. That's about it. Cool. Seth, this was your first franchise. I brought you in. You've been a good bud of mine for a long time. How'd you come out with the Howling films, bud? I knew what I was getting into with parts one and two. I've seen them plenty of times. Part three I've saw once before, but totally forgot what had happened. So that was a uh, fun one to revisit. Four through eight were completely new experiences. And uh, I wanted to check out the Howling franchise for a long time just based on part one. And I guess part two as well. I, I am a fan of part two. And I was completely baffled to find out that these were just full of shit. All the way through, just completely terrible movies. I didn't have a bad time watching them, I guess. You know, it was fun watching them and talking about them with everybody. But this franchise is really bad. <laughs> Shockingly <laughs> bad to me. Uh, it starts out with such a classic movie. I guess that's how a lot of franchises are there now that I'm thinking about it but the first two movies I have such a good time with and then three is so bonkers changing into marsupials that I completely did not expect it to go off the rails from four through eight into uh, boring remakes and walks through castles and Pioneer Town and then a Twilight ripoff. Just every end of the spectrum is covered and in the worst way. And I've had a blast watching them, though. So, hey, I recommend them to nobody aside from parts one and two, really. And maybe part three if you're into weird gonzo kind of sequels. But I've had fun. So it's all a positive experience for me. Right on, man. Well, I'm glad you came on. We'll see what next year has in store, I have some ideas, but I'm not going to relinquish those uh, to the wait. public as of right now. Can't wait. Awesome. Glenn, your third year, third franchise. How did this stack up? I know you done you did the entire series on your web series. Yes. So here um, watching them again with us, how did you come out? I view the Howling franchise as it's like an amusement park with eight roller coasters. And the first one, it's like your first, you know, real roller coaster you've ever been on. It's, it's a lot of fun. You enjoy it. And the second one, it's it's not quite as good as the first one, but it's, you know, it's different, man. You still enjoy it. And the next six are just a big guy named Yarl throwing you off a hill. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's just, it goes from, you know, what I think is the, for me, is, is, uh, the oh, best werewolf film ever made being the original Holland, for me at least, in my opinion, it's the best werewolf film made. And I rank it as probably one of my favorite horror films of all time. And then the second one, I think, takes, you know, it's a, it's a step <laughs> down, but not horrible. And then everything else is just like, well, this is just not even cinema anymore. I don't even know what it is, but it's it's not even in the same field. It's not even the same sport as, as the howling is. So go from, from where you started to where you end up. It's like it's this is Webster's definition of, of uh of failure. <laughs> it just you started out so great and you squat or squander. That's even better. It's the Webster's yes. definition of squander. Because you had something brilliant and you just fucked the life out of it. 
You fucked the life out of it. <laughs> I think that's part eight, uh, right? That's reborn where you fuck the life out of it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh, Angelique. Yes. Let's hear it. This is this was your first one along with Seth. Yeah, it is, and I mean, this has been kind of an amazing ride. I mean. I thought I was broken at three, but when I hit seven, I was like, oh, I don't even know what broken means anymore. I warned you. I warned you. Did. You, you did. You did. You truly did. But I mean, it, seven was so deceptive in that it was trying so hard and it was just so awful. But no, uh, I mean, the series as a whole, if it had continued like one started it would have been great i mean there were some interesting steps and and seven tried really hard to kind of bring it back but overall not great i mean it should have stopped at one but the experience as a whole you know being with you guys and talking about all these movies you know having to to feel the same pain together (laughs) made it better than I think it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how it goes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your time doing this with us. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me very much. Scott Davis, how did this end up treating you at the end of the day once we're finally all done? Oh, they're mostly terrible movies. Uh, you know, <laughs> Seth just put it so succinctly. So it says, like, yeah, this is a bad franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, if I had to rank these movies, and I know that, that my ranking, again, for those who haven't been paying attention for the, what, five, six, seven plus hours that we've uh, discussed these movies. Uh, no way mirrors anybody else's. I would say like what I would say like uh, part one's the best, of course. If anybody doesn't say part one's the best, like well, Shane has his reasons. I understand, uh, but you know, like <laughs> part one's the best. Part one, part eight, six, five, four, two, three, and then seven. But like honestly, the only ones I would really recommend is I would recommend part one to anyone i would recommend part eight to a certain audience and part six to a certain audience and then part five i would say yes <laughs> but mostly yeah mostly the films are bad mostly they're not on un- they're, they're uninspired it's kind of like when somebody just comes breaking out of the gate with this amazing amazing thing which was the howling but then other people have to take control of it. Because let's not forget, no, nobody that did part one had shit to do with the other movies. Except maybe like a producer or two. And honestly, they're the money people. So then it's like, okay, we did this. We have a lot less to wor- work with for the next movies. So how about this? Wait, no? Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Part three, how about this? No, oh, no. Uh, okay, let's let, let's go back to the wheel. Let's go back to the wheel. Let's go back to the wheel. Uh, part four. Oh shit. Oh, that's the worst ever. Okay, no. Uh, part five. Uh, gothic. Hey, uh, freaks. Uh, God. What do you want, people? What do you want? You know. So they were constantly trying to get the formula right again after lightning struck with the first one. They could never quite pull it off. Personally, I think they came closest with by saying just let's just start all over again with part eight. But I realize that almost no one agrees with me on that. 
It's not a great franchise. I will say that maybe 30 or 40% of them work. And uh, even that's probably being a little generous, I think. Uh, Having said that, I'm very happy to be on another franchise episode. I will come back willingly for more. You know, if I'm invited, if I if I haven't totally like ruined all the goodwill with what I said about part eight, that's <laughs> <laughs> like it's like oh shit, I'm off the Facebook group. Uh, but <laughs> that's cold, dude. That's cold. But you know, yeah, that shit, right? But um, you know, I but you know, I'm very happy to be on this. Um, Shane, if I didn't have a chance to say it before, it's great to finally be on a podcast with you. Um, and um, yeah, had a great time with the movies, even if the movies sometimes made me really suffer. And Clive Turner, I'm looking at you. <laughs> well, last but not least, my right hand man, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. We had a lot of fun talking back and forth while he was watching these films. So, Mark, why don't you let the listeners of Astro Radio Z know? How you ended up feeling about the Howling franchise? <laughs> well, well, first, I just want to say that uh, I hope Scott and, and Andrew both realized that uh, I wasn't trying. Uh, I was just putting some heated debate in there. And I oh, no. total respect for both your guys' opinions that you loved eight. I'm glad you could. I wish I could see the film that you guys did. You had, I, a, reason, really you had a reason. You know? had a reasonable opinion. It wasn't like you were just so, trashing on people. <laughs> so I just want. I just no, want to put me. that. That's just me. That's all I was. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just want to put that out there uh, for for you and for uh, Mr. Gonsrific who uh, had to depart early. So, uh, but as far as this goes, I, I do wish I could see the film eight that you guys saw. Uh, it's an interesting experience. Uh, this being another franchise we've gone through, uh, and uh, I know it's getting late, but it, I love experiencing it with all of you folks, uh, you know, because I love hearing the difference of opinions. So, you know, if everybody had the same opinion of these franchises, I think the these podcasts would not be it, as exciting as they are i love coming to the episodes and and i'm like oh great what's andrew gonna think or is scott actually gonna like this one maybe he will <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> or you know just how much does shane love seven you know um a lot because derek's told told me about it so much you know uh and i love experiencing f- films like this need to be experienced with a group this Howling franchise needs to be experienced with a group. Do not just watch them by yourselves. Watch them with a friend. Watch them with a group of people uh, of mixed tastes because you'll get something different out of them. And who knows? Someone may surprise you with them. These are franchises, unlike some of the franchises we get where they get so cookie cutter after a while that you get bored with them. AKA, I'm looking at you, Saw series. Yeah. yeah after a while, you know, these series, especially the more modern ones, they, they are. They're necrophilia, bestiality, you know, <laughs> you're beating a dead horse. Violent, but, um, you know, uh, and with these films, they weren't really beating a dead horse. Yeah, the name was, but in all honesty, each of these films, 
as Derek said, and, and Scott said, and everyone here said, they're they're trying something different. Now, whether or not that works for your audience, whether or not you like it or not, they are trying something different as far as the series goes. Maybe not so much as far as other horror films go with it, but within the series, they're trying something different almost every time. And you've got to at least respect that, even if you don't care for the film. So Howling Franchise is an interesting one. I could only really recommend the one. But if you are going to watch the whole franchise like this fine group of folks did, watch it as a group. Watch it with some friends because you'll have a lot more to talk about and you'll be less likely to go out and self, uh, you know, whip yourself. <laughs> watch, it with somebody, watch it with someone you love, but also somebody whose friendship you see, you feel confident and securing. <laughs> make sure there's a safe word so that yeah. at any time someone can just go spoon and you're done. Please, we need a safe word. So while you're watching the franchise, at one point someone just goes albatross and everybody stops watching the film because that <laughs> it's a safe word. You're done now. Okay, let the person leave. <laughs> I think you nailed it on the head, Mark. I think these, this is a franchise, uh, or at least a couple of the films in the franchise are work better as group experiences, as stuff that you watch with other people. Because I coming out of this, I know at the, on the first episode, I talked about how I liked this franchise, how I've always liked this franchise. Shit, I have tapes that are the entire franchise put onto one tape so I could just pop it in and let it run. I used to do that back in the day. You are a better man than I, sir. Well, I like Wolfman. (laughs) What can I say? I like Wolfman and Wolfman movies. And uh, that's what held me for a really long time with this franchise was that it was a Wolfman movie and it was silly and and uh, they were goofy and they were kind of stupid. And I like stupid, goofy, shitty movies. Um, looking back on it now, coming back to it all these years later, this series sucks. If I'm going to recommend any, the first three, the first three, and obviously part seven, part seven is it's one of the staples. If it, if there's two movies in this franchise that, that I would literally make anybody watch, it would be part one and part seven. There's no doubts about it. But if you're looking for uh, your horror fan and your exploitation fan, you're looking for fun flicks, one through three, are fun flicks, genuinely fun exploitation garbage. Um, and then part seven is just, it's the pinnacle of shit mountain. You need to see it. Everyone needs to see it, needs to experience it. So uh, as a whole, it was, a, it was kind of a weird experience going back to these movies because I always remember liking them. And now I just kind of like, man, I don't think I'll ever watch any of these ever again. This is kind of weird, but um, c'est la vie. It's over. It's done. Let's uh, let's move on. So uh, next year, I have a feeling I'm going to um, place out there on the Twitter and this we won't get to this until later in the year. But there's I think there's three franchises I'm mulling around and I want to quick say see if you guys react to these. I'm thinking uh, because they seem to be big getters this year, um, but they didn't end up coming out. I'm thinking between um, the Puppet Master series. Um, Children of the Corn mm. or um, obviously the Leprechauns 
either of those, any of those will be good. But I'm thinking more, it might be a battle between Children of the Corn and the Puppet Master series. I just got a full-on robotic chubby. Well, let me tell you. Tie between Leprechaun and Puppet Master for me. I'll take them all on, man. I mean, I've got a wide on for Oof. Leprechaun. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to start posting uh, my reviews for the entire Children of the Corn series on on the website. So I've never seen them. I've seen some of them, but I've, I've never only watched the series. The first and the remake until this viewing through the entire series. So it's uh, it's been quite the experience. That is so strange because I was really, honestly, swear to God, just about to watch the entire series of Children of the Corn within the last next month or so. There you go. Oh, <laughs> so, no. You just killed Shane. Just killed Have him. you guys seen? I've seen most of them. That's a rough series. Well, I no problem. I'll finish him. <laughs> I mean, it, that one's it's a rough one. And you've got so yeah. Part ten is filming. I'm a, I'm down for any of them. I'm I didn't mean to cut Derek off before, but I'm down with any of them. I'll bring yeah. them on. Yeah, I agree with Mark. Any of those sound like absolutely awful good times. We all seem to have fun regardless of what is picked. So, I mean, I'm I'm down with whatever the group decides or whatever's voted upon. It can't be as bad as this one. <laughs> oh, oh why face. did you say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> My ninja. Oh, who's got me gold, son? I got to say this. I got I to gotta say this. Glenn. Do you think either of those two franchises could be even remotely as shitty as the Vice Academy series? <laughs> no, because I've seen movies from those, and I already know that just based on what I've seen, the other ones could be nothing but a dog chewing in my testicles, and it would still be better than the Vice Academy movies. <laughs> That's why I have no fear. I have zero fear going into if we do the Children of the Corn films, because I can guarantee I will find at least something in those. Even in the Howling films I didn't like, none of them were as bad as some of those Vice Academy. Seriously, seriously, part seven of the Howling or he was not as hard to sit through as the Vice Academy movies. Really? Yes. Really? <laughs> I, just got done, I just got done telling you I've watched the Howling 7 for 20 plus years. Okay. I well, watch it at well, least then, once well, a year. Well, then you're smoking that weird cheap Wisconsin crack. I get it. Okay. It's fine. Nah, I get it. No. Nah. You're, 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 you're altered. No, some of the Vice Academy episodes, and and everybody but you sounds to be you know, in some pretty intense pain. I don't, <laughs> I don't get how. I mean, I get if you don't like the movie because there's, you know, I mean, there, the last one I didn't even like that much. But I mean, like that, that was the bit where I'm like, I don't, I don't get how like some of this is really that much worse. I just don't get that, you know. It's just I don't know. It's just it's just it's just a difference in um, how we look at things, I guess. Both <laughs> franchises do run parallels in the net that they promise something, but they don't deliver. Howling promised werewolves. You don't get it. That's true. Uh, uh, Vice Academy, especially the later ones, promised some really good titty and you didn't get it. So no, in that way, true. They're both the same. No, Mark, you missed missed the main thing. Vice Academy promised comedy and didn't deliver it at all. 
zero. Who's lacking in the nudity too late? Yeah, nudity. I know. I know, Mark. You need them titties. You need the titties. You need the ass. I understand. I get it. I get it. Speaking of titties, (laughs) yeah. Can we we just rewind to to the to the last few scenes of of Howling Eight when the only hot werewolf in the whole bunch dies with her hands clamped across her breasts. Yep. Not to reveal any sort of cleavage at all. Yeah, that's if that isn't the perfect note to end on. The Howling franchise uh, strategically placed non-titty shots for the for the arm. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, whatever. There's the <laughs> Howling franchise in a nutshell, folks. Thank you for listening to all of this. I'm sure in the, in the next week or so, I'll put the mega cut of the Howling franchise out there for everyone so you don't have to sift through all of the episodes and you can sit and listen to it all in one huge chunk. It's going to be big. I feel sorry for you if you got to sit and listen to it in one big chunk, but a lot of people <laughs> prefer to listen to it that way. So uh, look for that. They'll be coming out soon. Now, Let's go ahead and let's wrap this episode up and let everybody know where we can find each other. Angelique, where can the listeners find you? Listeners can find me on Facebook. My name, I'm, I'm not hard to find, but uh, if you want to uh, read some movie reviews by myself and a bunch of other really funny cats, uh, go to losthighway.com and check us out. Awesome. Mark the movie, man. Specialmarkproductions.com is where you can find most of my stuff. Uh, that's like the launching pad from there for everything. My YouTube channel stuff I do for We Love Film and my own podcast, The Spoiler Room. Awesome, Seth. Uh, CelluloidTerror.blogspot.com, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at uh, CelluloidTerror. Scott. No, Werewolf Hillbilly. Well, sorry. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yes, uh, you can catch me at Mooiocrity.com. Uh, that's where you'll have all the podcasts that I'm on, hopefully, uh, and uh, all the stuff I'm doing. Uh, also, you can check out my show, uh, Mooiocrity, on Vimeo.com. And occasionally I do short reviews called Reaction Shots on YouTube. Glenn. You can find me on YouTube with Guy in a Bunker Productions, the Bee Boy Bunker, or just follow me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at Guy in a Bunker. Thank you, guys. And Shane, I want to one thank you for finally coming on the show. No, thank you. Thank you. you guys have been awesome, and thanks for having me. Uh, this was really fun. It, 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 finally, there's there's a double dose of the carry in the house. It was nice. I'll have to bring you on some more shows if I can talk you into it. Yeah, sure. It sounds good. It's but, too hot in here with two carries. No. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. Um, Shane, do you have anything to show? Anything you oh, want to No, I have no wares to pimp at the moment. Uh, but just, again, thanks a lot, guys. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Obviously, you guys, you know me. I'm your host, Derek Carey. If you want to find out about Astro Radio Z, you can go to astroradioz.com. You want to contact me and, uh, Talk to me about the show or you have some music you want to supply to the show or you're a filmmaker or anything. You can email me at Astro Radio Z podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, on uh, Facebook. Uh, we're on iTunes, YouTube, uh, tune in radio, Spreaker, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. Anywhere where podcasts can be found astro radio z is astro radio z is there um give us a subscribe i love getting them five star reviews about how sexy my voice is 
Uh, it seems to be a thing now. I now have two reviews on there about my voice. I, I, I really appreciate it, guys. I kind of want to hear about the show, but uh, you, you can say whatever. Everybody on there just sounds so sexy. Oh, God. Well, everybody's doing the Howard Stern kick where they're they're turning me up, the bass up on their stereos and putting the uh, the speaker on the ground and then sitting on it and getting their jollies off. Well, I mean, that's how I record the podcast every time we do something. So. You, you, you have to turn that way up for me. It's all high pitch. What the <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know how. Well, to, I don't know how to help you there, Scott. But, anyways, it, thank you for listening again. 2016, another franchise is over, but Astro Radio Z will continue on. We'll be back talking about some zombies next week. All them zombie films. So stay tuned. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, people. Goodbye. Bye. Turn up the bass. Oh, we thank you so much for this beautiful benefit. Thank all of our neighbors and our friends. And Ted, we're sorry. I was looking at Pappy with that tail on his hat, and I thought about a song that I wrote just for him. at night are big and bright.
Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs>